Legionnaires, and welcome to episode 133 of RPG Digest. In segment one, we read through a tabletop RPG to introduce it to you, and oftentimes to ourselves as well. In segment two, which we will not have today, we provide higher level overviews and fundamentals, and even the occasional how-to of systems, settings, and game mechanics. I am John Maxley Auslow, your favorite curmudgeon, critic, and judge, and today it's just you and me. Lo, for heathen dog failed to resurrect, thus ending his dream of becoming the messiah of a religion of his own making. Poor heathen dog. He drank the lich potion and it failed. And forever will he be bound to his mortal coil. <laughs> uh, so happy Easter, everybody. And I want to thank you all. All of you wonderful people. Fantastic people. You amazing people and those who aren't people as well, who support us monetarily. Your gracious donations help us provide giveaways, produce more content, and generally give back to the Legion of Myth community as a whole. I don't know, we've given away a few hundred dollars worth of uh, Palladium gift cards. So uh, there you go. And maybe uh, maybe we'll do Hyperborea or something at some point here. I don't know. Find out. Some Year Zero stuff when we get into that? I don't know. We have just over 4,200 YouTube subscribers, and we are thankful for each and every one of you. Check the description below for links to the various Legion Myth sites, social media, Discord, merch, etc. Yeah, I haven't been advertising the merchandise recently, mostly because I haven't made anything new in well over a year. <laughs> Slowly but surely, certain ones are getting kicked off of different venues, but you know what? It's okay. It's okay. There is still one place where you can get the tampons of the Coast shirt. <laughs> and finally, oh no, I saved that for later. This isn't the Friday Night Show stream. Let's get that crap off the screen and say hello to everybody. That's right. It's just me. I'm taking up the screen today. Woo so I hope everybody is doing well. Who do we have with us today? Let's take a look. WJ, hello, hello. Crafty screams at us. It's Easter Sunday. Remember, Gygax rose to give Carabay the good news for your TTRPG sins. Have you died today? God, why does somebody always have to mention his name every stream? Every stream. <laughs> Thank you, Crafty, for that and for your tithing. Uh, Malachi's here. See, Malachi, Malachi knows how to use the reactions for him. Good on him. Title those things a little better. But other than that, he knows exactly what should go in there. I think like damn near every time he posts something in there, it's worth reacting to. And I will have actually some commentary about that in a little bit. Darthiak is here. Hello. Good to see you. Hungar the Starvarian. First. Well, you weren't first, sir, but you know what? You're first for me. <laughs> Free Merchant Corps. Dingus McFartnocker. Gotta have him in every stream because I have to say the name. There we go. Seth McFulton. When I first saw it, I thought it was Seth McFarlane. I said, like, what? Really? Probably not. But no, thank you for being a member, by the way. Appreciate that. And there we go. Hungar the Starvian with a super chat that says, uh, do you like guys that uh, say Hadouken? Well, Hadouken! Tatsumaki Senpukiaku. <laughs> My wife's going to come in here and tell me every one of those syllables that I said wrong. But thank you for the $2, sir. Uh, Patriot Hobbies, good to see you. And Skullman 616. 616, isn't that the um the Marvel the new Marvel stuff? Did I get that right? The like the 616 uh system or something. I don't know. I don't do superheroes, but uh anyway, good to see you. All right, enough of the hello. So so what are we gonna do today? We are oh, we're gonna talk, we're gonna have a lot of hyperborea today. I don't know how long this stream's gonna be. It might be fairly long because we are gonna dive into each 
class and subclass. Now, maybe not word for word, but since I'm not covering sorcery in and of itself because it's pretty much just tied to classes, we're going to cover sorcery today as well. It's going to be a lot of stuff. So uh, we'll, 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 see, we'll see how long this takes. I don't want to bore people, but I've got to get through the entirety of the character class stuff today. What I'm hoping is that by the time we get to the thief, because that's the last one, right? Like, yeah, 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 it's a thief, a steal stuff. Let's move on. I'm done. <laughs> you know, so, so we'll see. Oh, 616 is the original Marvel Universe. Okay. So something to do with Marvel. There we go. Or it's the main Marvel Universe. Got it. Okay. Look at that. I'm a little bit of a nerd. Oh, comic book nerd. Woo. <laughs> so, um, so I, I don't really have much to say. Uh, well, actually I do. I do have my note card of doom here. So first of all, happy Easter, all the folks out there, whether you're religious or not religious, you can still have a good day today. You can be thankful that, uh, you know, if you're Christian, that Christ is risen or that, you know, spring is upon us and that the bunnies are procreating and, you know, your cats are having a good time looking at them outside the door. Whatever, whatever your faith, religion or lack thereof is, you can find positivity in today. So please do so. Uh, especially when you come here and, you know, we spout off a lot of stuff on occasion that might seem negative. But honestly, you know, I, I have people... Not so much anymore, like on the Discord, but I'll have people that don't know me will be like, you're just a really sad person. You're negative all the time, aren't you? You just hate life. Like, no, I actually love life, man. <laughs> like, life is great. What are you talking about? I just call out nonsense when I see it. And I just don't, and when I call out nonsense, I don't pet you. Like, it's okay. You're a bit, no, you're a dumbass. You need to be told that. So, you know. um, other than that, no, I'm a very positive person. And, you know, life is good. There are struggles in life. We all have struggles in life. It's how you get through those struggles that uh, that makes you the man that you are. That's right. I said man because man is gender neutral. You'll figure it out. So uh, with that, I hope every one of you are also positive people. And uh, we can all carry on even when we get bad news like I did earlier this week that uh, I hinted at on the Discord, but I will not dive into. I know it seems kind of mean. It seems like I'm teasing you guys. I don't mean to do that. So uh, <laughs> Crafty for $2 says, I'm, he's like a Filipino. He's sacrificing himself. He's putting himself on his own cross, sacrificing himself at the altar of retail. Hmm. Capitalism and Easter. Do those go together? Those go together? I don't know. Hey, if you burn any, uh, any gaming books in there, you've got, to, you've got to record it. You've got to record it. And I'm with Malachi on this one. Who the buys a car in Easter? And who the hell says hell in the same sentence as Easter? There we go. Double burn. Uh, hey Charlotte Williams, good to see you. All right, uh, what else do I have? Oh, just want to remind people today and maybe tomorrow. I don't know. He hasn't told me what day, but uh, very soon, you know, when he's done with his Easter shenanigans, uh, Heathen Dog is going to start making a a character. He's going to convert it from whatever game got the most votes, essentially, or the most discussions, into riffs. And well, there was a bunch of initial commentary on that. There hasn't been much recently. So I want to let you guys know that either if you can find that video, it's just a couple weeks old on our YouTube channel, or you can come to our Discord. Link is in the description below. And put it in the RPG Digest suggestion channel as to what you want to see him convert. Right now, I think it is the Nightbane character that we didn't really make, but we kind of, you know exampled our way through to some extent when we did night pain I, I think that one so he's actually got to make two characters in that regard but if you want to see something from palladium fantasy after the bomb dead rain a uh, system failure whatever 
it's time to time to uh, step up and come to our Discord and say what it is you want him to see. I want him to do Dodger the Duck from After the Bomb because I'd love to see how that converts over. But at the same time, I don't want to torment him like that because, you know, the anthropomorphic animals aren't his thing. So uh, anyway, but check that out. C come to our Discord or or find the video. It's it's the Rift's conversion book video from a couple of weeks ago. And finally, I already kind of mentioned this. Um, Malachi's got an interesting post in the reactions forum that I'd love to see some comments to. And how I address this on Friday, I, I don't know. I'm probably not going to read all of your comments, but they're going to help me form my discussions, which so far the comments I see on there say the same thing I was thinking. Uh, well, let me rephrase that. It has, has a general overtone. You guys have put much more detail in that, which was pretty cool. But uh, I'd love to see your reactions on that. So it's, it's again, it's on our Discord. It's in the reactions forum. It's called, uh, again, this title, this title could use some work, but <laughs> good for a reaction and it's without social commentary. But essentially the title is uh, Avoid These 10 Terrible RPGs Like the Plague, which is the name of the Medium post. And then he goes into 10 RPGs that, uh, that he hates. And man, <laughs> it's almost as if I wrote it, except for I wouldn't have chosen necessarily those games. But uh, go ahead and check that out. I think it'll make for a great discussion on Friday, especially considering our normal panel of guests play different types of games, some of which are on that list. It could make for a really fun topic on Friday when we have the panel, these panelists who play different games. So uh, look forward to your comments there. Uh, yeah, basically, I, I think that that post will make you feel ways about things. So there we go. All right. Um, I think that's really all I want to say because uh, I want to dive into this stuff from Hyper. It's going to take us a while. I'm, I'm promising you guys this is going to be a while. So uh, let's, uh, let's just jump in. So that means I have to swap things around here. It's going to be interesting how I do this today, especially considering I'm not going to have Heathen Dog on chat to, to grab comments. So. I hope you understand I'm not doing this to be a jerk. But essentially, pretty much outside of Super Chats, I mean, I may scroll back to get a couple of them. I might see a couple that are on the screen, depending on where I stop. I cannot promise to read your chat today or to grab your question. So if you really want to make sure you grab my attention, Super Chat that thing, or just hope I go back and take a look at it. Again, that's not me trying to be a money grubber, but I'm trying to be honest about the fact that I'm not going to spend 75 minutes trying to scroll through every comment that you guys write. Um, so it's just part of the nature and, and, and it's be also because I don't have my chat in front of me. It's way over on that side of the screen or way over on that side of the screen. So yeah. All right. All right. Enough with the excuses. Let's get into, uh, what we're going to be talking about today. Get stuff up here and I have squeaky cat. Seriously. Sounds like a dog squeaky toy. It's weird. All right, to start off segment one today, <clears throat> wow, my voice is cracking already. That's a great sign. <laughs> we are going to talk about Hyperborea 3E and specifically dive into the character classes. In this first video, we're going to talk about the fighter class and its various subclasses. And there are a lot of subclasses to the fighter. And we're going to figure out what's the difference between a huntsman and a ranger? Why do we need two different ones there? Is the cataphract any good off of its horse? Who knows? Warlock, does anybody really want to play a fighter mage, especially in a world like Hyperborea? We don't know. We're about to find out. So let us dive into this. 
And of course, the first thing we got to talk about is that we believe that role-playing games should take place in fantastic worlds. And the world of Hyperborea is absolutely a fantastic world. And the focus of the game should be on role-playing and having a good time. The core values of hashtag RPGate and any good tabletop group are escapism, not representation, entertainment over activism, and natural organic inclusion, not forced diversity. Spread that around, pass it around, share it around, all those little things. Donate it, put it in the collection plate, whatever it is you need to do to get that word out with hashtag RPGate, because those are really the core values of roleplay. The charity we support is the Wounded Warrior Project, a national nonpartisan organization whose mission is to honor and empower wounded warriors. Please refer to the description below for the link to where you can make your hopefully tax-deductible donation. And finally, this was Easter week, so you know things changed. I tried to stream for Heathen Dog last night. Unfortunately, I got a pretty massive headache a little later on in the afternoon, and it didn't want to go away. It was dehydration. I wasn't drinking enough water, and it finally caught up with me. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I did not pick up his slack. He'll probably yell at me about that later, but uh, my apologies to everyone. But normally, on Thursdays and Saturdays, the Dirty Casuals stream multiplayer uh, multiplayer uh, video games for your mockery and enjoyment. I know a lot of you guys play video games as well. You should come on by and watch the anecdotes and the shenanigans. Uh, I know some people complain that Heathen Dog cheats in his games. Well, guess what? He only cheats in the Saturday game. He can't cheat on the Thursday game because Thursday currently is Dungeons and Dragons Online and Saturday is MechWarrior Online. You know, I, I've, I've given him my piece on the cheating as well, but it's his stream and you know, we still have the interactions. And of course, here on our YouTube channel, you can watch these game-related segments live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Central Time, or check out the Friday Night Chill stream, where our panel of guests opine, comment, and editorialize on the TTRPG hobby as a whole. And I've had a few people recently comment, mostly negative, believe it or not, that we've segmented out that it's too structured now. Too structured? <laughs> people are asking for more structure. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, I'll let you guys uh, you know, comment on our Discord or your thoughts and so forth. But I like it. Uh, I think it's a it's a good balance between structure like RPG Digest here and just kind of going off on random. Yeah, I'm sorry we haven't had dancing midgets recently. They'll come back at some point. You know, weird things happen on the Friday show stream, but I like having a topic that keeps you guys engaged. So I know there's a pretty lengthy introduction. I won't do that for the rest of these. But uh, hey, you know why it was lengthy? Because RPG Digest is a live stream podcast discussion, not a concise step by step tutorial. We may deviate off topic, go on tangents and talk to our live stream viewers. That's me talking to you guys. So please enjoy and subscribe, 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 subscribe. Even beyond subscribing, leave a comment. And beyond leaving a comment, share, 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 share. Boom, there we are. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's present this, get it on the screen. And like I said, I'm apologizing one more time for anybody who came in late. I will not be able to focus on chat as much as I would like, um, but there are ways you can get my attention. Please don't spam. Uh, that's the only thing that'll get you really timed out or, or, or blocked or muted, whatever, is if you spam. Everything else, chat will figure itself out. Okay. So we are going to start off by talking about the fighter classes and subclasses. Look at that. From 20 to 114. We are going to go from page 20 to 114 in one stream. Four, four parts to it, but one stream. So we got to, we got to, kick this into overdrive here which they did in future i'm on bam <laughs> uh that's statistics that's what we did last week actually i probably look at the page now, right 17 18 19 there we go so what are the classes well there are four principal classes 
And if you were to play the game for the first time, my suggestion for you is to play with just these four. I mean that. If it's your first time as a player or a referee, stick to these four. Don't worry. Characters are going to die. <laughs> One way or the other. Probably, you know, hey, maybe you got a great player. Maybe you have a great campaign. And, you know, maybe things just luckily work in their direction. That's fine. But chances are characters are going to die. So start off with these four. They're the most basic, yet the most generalized, and very, very capable in their own right. So the fighter, which we are starting with today, is an elite warrior and battle tech, a technician, not tactician, and swordsman, bowman, or spearman. Attribute requirements, strength of nine. All right, what are the subclasses, which we will look into each one? We have the barbarian and the berserker. What's different between them? I don't know yet. We're going to find out. We have the cataphract, who likes to ride horses. We have the huntsman and the ranger over here. Again, what's the difference between the two? Not exactly sure. We'll find out. The paladin, because you have to have a paladin in every setting like this and the warlock which uh, apparently is a tiefling <laughs> no that's a helm that's a helm tieflings in this game we'll get to magician cleric and thieves later so uh here are the definitions if we need to go back to them i will uh, i'm not diving so deeply into this that we're going to explain every well we'll explain it at some point or another but uh we're not we're not gonna go through this word for word all right so what's the fighter fighters what you'd expect somebody goes out there and fights He's got a sword, he's got a shield, might have a two-handed uh, uh, axe, he might have a pole arm, he's probably got some thick armor, a helm. He's out there ready to stand in the way of danger so that you little finger twitchers can do something or so that the common man can be protected. Or maybe to kill the common man. Eh, you never know. <laughs> Attribute requirements, as we already said, strength of nine. So, uh, you know, last week we talked about the die rolling system. Okay. 3d6 is, you know, a lot, a lot of people do 4d6 reroll ones. You know, there's 3d6. I, I mentioned my, um, my system, which isn't even in the book, which is uh, 5d6, uh, remove the highest and lowest. Again, it's not about the extremes. It's, I, like a, I like a very pointed bell curve. I like people to be average to start. I don't know if that would work in this game. That might not be the best die rolling method for this game. But the point is, is you need to have a nine of that strength. Now, if your prime attribute, which is strength, is 16 or higher, you get a 10% XP bonus. So if you give out that 1,000 XP to the character, the character gets 1,100. And we'll find out what that does for the character a little bit later on. Hit die type, D10. Now here's what I'm going to be upfront with you. I don't know. I don't know if it hit points. Maybe it tells up here. Start at max or if you roll at first level. What is it? Does it say up here? Generate hit to die, also impacts healing. Okay. Uh, maybe somebody can put it in chat or we'll probably find it later. If it starts at max, because I, I saw something somewhere that said, oh, in Hyperborea uh, starts at max. And I don't know if that was a house rule or if that was uh, actually written in here, because I haven't seen that yet or I skipped it. Anyway, alignment anyway, because you're just a basic fighter. You can be good. You can be evil. You can be selfish. You can be whatever you need to be. Your job is to swing a sword. Armor allowed any, of course, because you're a fighter. Be weird if you couldn't wear any armor, right? And don't underestimate armor in an old school style game. Our armor is going to make or break you. Shields any. Favored weapons any. Now, that's going to be kind of cool later on. When we, when we discuss what favorite weapon... Or does it discuss it up here? I forget. Favorite weapon does discuss it up here. Discuss it up here. The weapon type with which the character is proficient. So it's like a weapon proficiency. 
Unlisted weapon skills may be learned at 4th, 8th, 12th, or 4th, 8th, and 12th level experience. Remember, this game goes up to level 12. Saving throw modifiers. You get a plus 2 to save versus death, and plus 2 to save versus transformation. And I think it's in the combat section, might be in the adventuring section, so it's going to be a couple weeks where we can actually dive into saving throws, but know that that is... Uh, well, that's important unless it was last week was it last week sorry i'm, I'm gonna do a little bit of scrolling because i sometimes i forget where stuff wasn't no it's, it can't be it wasn't last week it's all that okay it's gonna be later on i've skimmed through the book i haven't read it word for word which is why you know i'm deep diving this for you but i'm also deep diving it for me i've played second edition this is third edition all right class abilities eight percent chance to form extraordinary feats of strength do you remember when we talked about that last week? Well, let's go back up, scroll back up to here, and let's look at extraordinary feats of strength. So if you've got a 16 uh, strength, okay? First of all, you're going to get a 10% XP bonus, right? But this 16 turns to a 24. It's as if you have one strength higher. Imagine if you had that 18 strength. You got a 40% chance for an extraordinary feat of strength. This is a... Uh, so if he's a, a rock stamp, wow, such as bending the bars of a jail cell. 40% chance to bend the bars of a jail cell. I'd like to see any of you try that right now, today. To break manacles. Bam! Lift a portcullis or powering a massive boulder off a pinned comrade. These aren't things that normal people can do. And you could have up to a 40% chance of making that happen. Of course, you have to roll pretty high to make it happen, but still. I mean, hell, even if you have the 16 right here, right? You still have almost a 25% chance. Yeah, it's technically 24, but you have almost a quarter chance to make it happen. And that's what you get as a fighter. Scroll down again. Sorry for the page spam, but uh, I don't have the, numbers, the page numbers memorized, so. All right. Heroic fighting. To smite multiple foes. When combating opponents of one hit die or less, double normal melee attacks per round. Okay, so this isn't just a normal cleave. This just doubles your attacks. I shouldn't say just. This is awesome, actually. Doubles your attacks or triples your attacks if using a mastered weapon. Fourth level. Triples your attacks. So when you got that horde of little, little dudes coming at you, little mini picks coming at you, or, or little, you know, a one hit die... Creatures, gibberings, or whatever you have coming at you. Whap, whap, sorry, I'm going to use a lot of D&D terms because I know the creatures are better. You get triple the attacks. And if you already have, say, uh, three attacks every two rounds, or two attacks every round, that's six attacks in one round. Theoretically, because they're one-hit-die creatures, you could kill them each in one hit. Now, before you say, oh, that's too powerful, uh, but what it allows a game master to, a referee, sorry, what, a, what it allows a referee to do is actually throw more stuff at you. Malachi says starting uh, hit points is up to the referee. Okay. So this actually encourages the game master, instead of trying to just make one or two super powerful creatures, to allow there to be ten that could possibly over overrun you, to hogpile you. But now you got the warrior out there, maybe twelve, maybe fifteen. But now the warrior can kill three, five, six, seven in, in one uh, round. That gives it a very, very sword and sorcery feel. Okay, this dramatic, so, so don't, one of the things that I want to say, cause, and I say this because in my past, in my experience as a game master, especially in the 90s, when 
I did my most good and my most harm, so to speak, as a, as a dungeon master, game master, and referee, I would look at this and try to find ways around it. Great, I'll just make every creature two hit dice or more, and then it doesn't matter. Ha ha ha! But that really does a disservice to the to the players. Allow the players to have this. This is why they pick these classes. Let let them have that. Just build your encounters bigger. If you expect that the cleric is going to turn five of the undead. Well, make sure that there are eight there so they still have some some to fight. If they don't turn them, well, yeah, the fight just got out of hand for them. Always leave them an out, give them a chance to run. Well, in this case, hey, maybe they're they're low level and maybe they're skeletons. Well, now the fighter, sure, he turned and got rid of five of them. Now the fighter turns around and whacks five more. That's 10 in one round. Let it happen. Encourage that stuff. At seventh level, when combating foes of two hit dice or less, double normal melee attack. So at seventh level, it's just past the halfway point of the game. <laughs> uh, it's uh, two hit dice or less. And by that point, these things are just acting like minions. Not that they couldn't kill in high numbers, but a two hit die creature to a seventh level fighter, it doesn't mean much. Which is supposed to give that cinematic, that, epi uh, that epic, yeah, I was going to say episodic, but epic feel of the fighter is doing what the fighter does. So let the fighter do it. Now, moving on to weapon mastery. Mastery of two weapons. Plus one to hit. And plus one to damage. So, a couple things here. A Hyperborea uses a single saving throw. And, I, and there it is right there in, in the characters. So, going back to say, it's plus two. Where is it? Uh, for death and transformation. Okay? It's plus two to the die roll. Not, not to the number here. So, a 16 or higher for a level one character. Or a 14 or higher for if it's death or transformation, right? Well, fighting ability is one. Unfortunately, right now... I don't know what page it's on, and I don't have my hardcover book with me. I'm sure it's at the end of the book. What page are we here? 28 PDF. Let's go see if we can find a, a character sheet. Probably should have had this up on the side. There's the art. There's the art. There's the art uh, character sheet. By the way, I like that index, the way it's formatted. Oh, no. No character sheets? Okay. Well, I'm not going to go paging through the entire book to try to find a character sheet. I, I have some blank ones, but uh, I'll have to get to that later. Uh, 26. Fighting ability is a chart. It's essentially Thacko, but it's a chart. All right? So, a fighter starts at fighting ability 1. Let's scroll down here for just a moment and look at, uh... That's still a fighter, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. Lots of... Okay, scroll use ranger. That's still a fighter. There's gonna be a lot of fighters here. We're gonna go through the fight... There we go. Here's, here's what the chart looks like. The, the matrix. This is the warlock, so it's different. And it's base, so fighting ability one, that's what this is, fighting ability one, okay? I'm guessing that the warlocks is different, and maybe I've passed the fighters, we'll, we'll see in a moment, but I want to discuss it now. If the creature has an armor class of nine, you need to roll a ten or more. If the creature has an armor class of zero, you have to roll a nineteen or more. Effectively, this is a Thacko, using the old second edition term, of nineteen. And it provides, this is on the character sheet for you. So you never have to guess. You don't even have to do the math. You just look down at the character sheet. Unfortunately, if the character has an armor class of negative 9, you're going to have to find a way of rolling a 28 on a d20. But you probably aren't going to be fighting creatures like that at first level. You're supposed to grow into the hero, right? So, all right, that's 57. We need to go to like 30 or some nonsense. Oh, not even 30. Oh, that's right. These are the four core classes. Oh, you know what? Is it, was it there? <laughs> never mind. It's right there. So right there, same thing, though. Again, I have not read through the book. I've only skimmed it, so uh, bear with me. 
Oh, got a super chat here. Get over there. I did pass it. Thank you. Um, okay, Crafty Matt says, Hyperborea is old school. It assumes the character sheet is a sheet of paper. Fill out sheets on hyperborea.tv. Oh, you can fill them out right there. Yeah, I, ha I have paper sheets. Oh, and character creation for this game is, is simple. The way we're covering it is a deep dive. Thank you for the $5, Crafty is a deep dive more than just a simple character creation. I haven't decided if I'm going to do a character creation video on the side. It depends on my time. But if you played any old school games, it's it's there with them. I like the way Hyperborea sets up the character sheets. And I also, you know what? I'm a Thacko guy, but I like having this at the bottom of the screen. Having the, the combat matrix. And I'm sorry if you can't read that. I should zoom in more. Um, he means line paper, notebook paper. I agree. That's how I make like my Rifts characters. I like the character sheets for Hyperborea, though, so I, I use them to start, but yeah. Okay, let's move on. By the way, the reason why I'm diving into some of these now, where I might just gloss over them later, is because it's the first time we're talking about them, okay? Grand Mastery. At 4th, 8th, or 12th level, player's choice. When a new weapon mastery is gained, fighters may elect to intensify the training with an already mastered weapon. With this weapon, the fighter becomes a Grand Master, plus 2 to hit. So... That plus two to hit down here, so at uh, fourth level, well, let's just use this chart, okay? I know it's not accurate. This is fighting ability one, not fighting ability four, but we're going we're gonna to go with it. You roll a 19 to hit armor class zero, right? Well, now with a plus two, you would roll that die and a 17 or better, because remember, you add the, the bonuses to the die roll. If you roll a 17, add two to it, it becomes a 19, you hit armor class zero. So... And on top of that, you do plus two damage. You have an increased attack rate as well, which uh, I think there's, uh, I don't know where the chart for that is, but it basically is one attack for round, three attacks every two rounds, two attacks rounds, typical D&D &D stuff. And if you're new to D&D, &D, that's fine. It's not hard to figure out. It just means you get two attacks this round, one attack next round, two attacks this round, one attack next round. Hell, you can have five attacks every two round. That means you get three this round, two next round, three this round, two next round. You know, it's not, it's not hard to figure out. A fighter may achieve Grand Mastery, but with what? One weapon. So pick one. Of course you don't go Longsword, because that's what cheese balls do. No, you go with something cool, like a Battle Axe, or a Warhammer. All right. And we'll find out more about this in Chapter 9. At 6th level, a fighter may seek or be sought out by one or more henchmen. Classed individuals, typically of similar class, race, or culture who become loyal followers. By the way, race in this game is everybody's human. So race is Pick, Hyborian, um, uh, was it Scalian, whatever the hell they're called. <laughs> I don't remember them all. Um, we're not talking elves, dwarves, and so forth. They're all human. So, And they become loyal followers. For more information, Chapter 8, which will be in a couple of weeks. So, uh, melee expert at 7th level. The fighter's standard melee attack rate improves from 1 to 1 to 3 to 2. There you go. That, that's standard. That's with not counting weapon mastery. And mastery will first further increase that. So it goes from 1 to 1. That means 1 attack every round. To 3 to 2, which means 3 attacks every 2 rounds. So 2 attacks this round, 1 attack next round. Next one will be 2 attacks per round. So 2, 2, 2. Then 5 attacks every 3 rounds. Or sorry, 5 attacks every 2 rounds. So 3, 2, 3, 2. And I think you can I think you can get up to three attacks per round. Don't quote me on that one. So that's how that works. 
Now we'll look at the chart over here. Now, this is something to pay attention to. It's an old school game. So that means experience point charts are different. But I really like the math used in Hyperborea. Now, did he get it from somebody else? Is he copying another game? I don't know. I don't care. I'm talking about this game, and I like the math that he chose to use in this game. 2000, 4000, 8000, I mean, partly probably because I work on routers and switches, so these numbers just gravitate my head. But uh, yeah, so it makes sense. Was it up here? Yeah, once you get to eighth level, then it's the same amount each, each time. It's 128,000 per level uh, after eighth. Okay. Hit dice. This is what you roll for hit points. And like Malachi said, it's it's up to you how you do it. If you want to give them max at first level or if you want them to roll. I will tell you what my method is in Dungeons and Dragons. I don't have a method for this game yet. You roll a D10, you roll re you re-roll ones, twos, threes, and fours. If you roll a D8, you re-roll ones, twos, and threes. Roll a D6. Oh, wait, no, I did that wrong. Sorry, did that wrong. <laughs> D4, you don't re-roll anything. D6, you re-roll ones. D8, you re-roll ones and twos. D10, you re-roll ones, twos, and threes. And D12, you re-roll ones, twos, threes, and fours. That's just to make sure that you're on, you're getting your average to some degree. You're able to play your class. I hate the idea that the wizard rolls four hit points and the fighter rolls one. Okay? I just, that, that bothers me. So, you know, again, your mileage may vary. However, ninth level is the last time you roll. After that, you just add three each time. I think plus your con bonus. Uh, I, I'm sure we talked about it last week. Uh, if your con bonus is added into that. So, uh, and yes, you would add your con bonus to the roll as well. So if you have a constitution bonus of plus two, you'd roll a d10 and add two to it. All right. And the fighting ability, pay attention to that because basically this is, again, it's like your Thacko. Down here, fighting ability one starts here, but will shift by one every level for the betterment of the character. So, uh, armor class, uh, sorry, a d20 roll of 19 hits armor class zero at level one, but level two, level three, level four, level five, at level five, a roll of 15 will hit armor class zero. So, it makes it easier for you. And if you got that plus two bonus, a roll of 13. And if you got a strength, yada, yada, you can, you can, pile those those modifiers up and you should all right finally at ninth level a fighter who builds or assumes control of a stronghold becomes a lord and is eligible to attract troops this is one of those things i struggle with in games i like the way freely or like forbidden lands handles this more than old school DD. i know you grognards love it and i respect you for that i really do it's just something I've always struggled with. I don't like dealing with this in D&D. It's just like henchmen. I honestly don't like dealing with henchmen either in D&D. It's just because of my style of play, of play. That doesn't mean it's bad. That doesn't mean it's wrong. Hell, you can even go out there and call me wrong. I don't care. I'm just saying I do struggle with it. But at ninth level, you get to become a lord. Why? Because you've lived that long. Ninth level is not like, well, that's mid-level. No, ninth level is like the one percenters, okay? And if you don't understand that, I don't know what you're doing in your games. People retire at fifth level. Sergeants are third level, you know, <laughs> things like that. Uh, you know, it's not as easy as you think to get to the end here. Soldiers aren't fighting wars every single day. Adventurers don't live through all their adventures. They die a lot. So when you get up here, yeah, you're a lord. You have made a name for yourself. You are probably pretty rich. And people want to flock to you because people flock to strength. 
so that they can be protected. So at ninth level, you become a lord. All right, fighter starting pack. To expedite the character creation process, your fighter may begin with the following gear in lieu of rolling for starting gold and shopping for gear. Regardless, refer to chapter six, which uh, is not next week. It'll be the week after. It'll be two weeks from today when we cover that. For more information on armor, weapons, and gear. Using this starting pack may affect weapon mastery choices because it comes with weapons. Studded armor, large shield, short bow, arrows, broadsword, arrow quiver, backpack, bandages, winter blanket. I, do I have to read these all off? I don't have to read these all off. Okay. And 1d4 plus 1 gold pieces. Uh, what, was the, uh, what was the weapon? Oh, broadsword. Broadsword was the weapon. Okay. There you go. And here's your combat matrix. Okay, and this is a very important note. I already talked about it, but we'll say it again. Fighting ability improves every level. So at level two, fighter needs a modified 18 to hit armor class zero. Because remember, at level one, 19 to hit armor class zero. It just shifts. It just column shifts. There you go. Well, we're going to skip magician. That's next, that's next episode. Cleric is the episode after that. And uh, thief, where's the, there we go. Thief will be the episode after that. So we're going to go into the fighter subclasses now. Now we start with the Barbarian. So what is different about the Barbarian and the Berserker? Who knows? Let's find out. The Barbarian is a savage warrior from the outlands of civilization. Some Barbarians may have urbane origins, but have degenerated to barbarism, whereas others descend from countless generations of savages. Barbarians bridge the instinctual gap between human and beast, oft trusting in the conventions of beasts more than humans. Indeed, the Barbarian understands bloodshed, violence, and predation more readily than politics and niceties of civilized life. The tribal laws and taboos typically are heeded. Many barbarians suffer wanderlust traveling the length and breadth of hyperboreous lands and seas. Ferocious and unforgiving, the barbarian is hardened by a stark and warlike lifestyle, though some comport themselves to an indistinct code of honor. All right. So let's look at the art. I don't know how I feel about the art. It's very old school. Some aspects of it are amazing. Like, I really like how, how this uh, armor, this hide armor looks, but I can't figure out what's going on with this face. <laughs> the hell? Um, but it definitely evokes the type of feel that you want for the Barbarian. So what, what does Barbarian get? Well, first of all, look at these attribute requirements. They're insane. Insane, especially if you consider 3d6 straight rolls. Uh, Oh, it needs to be hyperlinked in the PDF. Well, talk to Jeffrey Tulanian about that. <laughs> I do agree with that. I do like it when they are, but I don't get I don't get salty when they're not. But I do prefer it when they are. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, strength thirteen, Dex thirteen, Constitution thirteen. Now, you're going to play the game at your table the way you want. But this this is some advice from somebody who's been gaming for forty years. On one hand, I'm going to say if somebody really, really, really really wants to play a barbarian and do you feel that person deserves the opportunity to play a barbarian well then you might have him roll and roll and roll and roll and roll until he gets this point or you may just let the person use a rolling method that that allows him to get there okay i i, I get that but there's also the spirit of the game barbarians are not dime a dozen look at the because of these attribute uh, requirements they're not dime a dozen and they shouldn't be treated as so it's like paladins very rare people should have the ability to be a paladin. 
again, you're going to do what you want at your table, but, but I always say respect the game to some degree. Prime attributes, strength, and dexterity, and you only get the 10% bonus if both are 16 or higher. Okay, chances are you're not getting the XP bonus, right? But a D12 hit die. Alignment, chaotic good, and chaotic evil. So they're going to be chaotic. Now, chaotic doesn't mean crazy, batshit crazy. Chaotic means, or can mean, individualistic. Not, or, not part of an organization. It's kind of already said it here. Doesn't have to be some crazy bastard just doing random acts for the sake of randomness. Just means a loner, doesn't deal with laws, doesn't care about hierarchy, just live and let live. Now, now how you take it from there, you could be crazy, absolutely. Crafty for $2, thank you for the $2, says, uh, remember people, there is method 5 to the rules, or that is method 5 in the rules. Yeah, I'm not going to scroll back for it. I think that's the point by one where you can use as well. I, I don't personally don't like point by I like randomness, but I don't want to screw somebody who really has his heart set on playing something like a barbarian. You know, again, while respecting the world at the same time, if that makes sense. All right, so what are class abilities? Agile, plus one armor class bonus when unarmored and unencumbered, those shields are allowed. Hmm. Yeah, there you go. Chaotic does not per, uh, per, uh, feel personally limited by established laws. I, right? Uh, oh, Crafty corrected. said method six. Okay. Hmm. That might not sound like a lot, but at the same time, every point is good, right? But you have to be unarmored. Ultimately, I think wearing armor is going to be better for you. But during those times when you're not armored, maybe you're in town. Maybe, uh, you know, you're in some sort of wrestling match or, you know, I don't know. It's some sort of savage fight. Remember, it has a very animalistic feel to it, right? Survival of the fittest type thing. I could absolutely see that, the, you know, this being beneficial, though I think for the most part, you're probably going to wear your armor. Alertness, reduced by one on a D6 roll. That's, that's what, 15%? Averaging. The party's chance to be surprised. Now, I thought Jeffrey Tulanian was uh, from New Hampshire. Maybe I'm wrong. He keeps put Z's in his, and he put U's in his armors. Actually, I don't care. I, I, I think it gives it an old-timey feel by doing that, so I, so I actually like it, to be honest with you. <laughs> anyway, um, I mean, th this is an incredible percent chance, and when we get into combat and talk about surprise, this is absolutely amazing. You cannot overlook both the penalty of what happens to you if you're surprised, and the fact that this gives you a minus one or reduces by one the chance of you being surprised. Ambusher, when traversing the wilds alone or with others of like ability, the barbarian's base surprise chance increases by one. So barbarian versus barbarian, it cancels out. But if barbarian's in your group and you are of like class, you're not clunking around, you know, with your big plate mail armor. Uh, well, that's just one aspect. There are other things that can get in the way because I know chat's going to go crazy. What about this? What about that? Um, you actually increase your chance. Furthermore, when outdoors, even an untrained party's chance to surprise increases by one if the barbarian positions and prepares them accordingly. Check that out. What an amazing role play opportunity right there. I don't care if the player himself is great at tactics. Who cares? 
if that player goes out of his way while he's playing the barbarian to say, hey, I'd like you guys to go here. I think we have a good ambush point here. If you do that and cover yourself with some leaves, yada, yada, I'm not going to go into all the details here because you could role play that for 15, 20 minutes if you wanted to. Depends on your group. Some tables wouldn't want to do that. But you got an awesome role play experience there. For, and then the entire party gets a plus one. Climb to ascend or descend sheer cliffs or walls without need of climbing gear. That word sheer is important. Okay, normally only thieves can do that. But, again, I know I'm going outside the scope of the book by saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. The barbarian is kind of animalistic, right? Almost imagine like he's got claws. He's like a squirrel. Or one of those was those rams that can damn near uh, climb mountains. Or cliff faces, right? Without needing climbing gear. If lightly armored... Are armored or unarmored so that means light encumbrance no no no. actually it says lightly armored it does, specifically doesn't say encumbrance so i'm going to go with the fact if you're wearing like leather armor or something as a thief of equal level chance in 12 reduced by four if wearing medium armor impossible and heavy armor. yeah okay so it specifically says armor all right i got it if vertical the surface must be roughed or cracked that's fine that's you know sheer still means straight up and down basically 90 degrees right at least one check must be made per 100 feet of climbing. That's it? 100 feet? <laughs> okay. Um, if you're climbing a 300-foot cliff face, you really are in an epic movie. I'm just saying. Failure indicates the climber has slipped and fallen at about the midpoint of the check. So about 50 feet each time. So 50, 150, 250. That's pretty awesome. Draw poison. P.A.T. <laughs> Barbarian alarm technology. There you go. To draw and spit poison from a snake bite or other venomous wound. Here we go. We're crocodile dundeeing right now. Such as a scorpion sting or spider bite. By the way, science says this doesn't work, but this isn't science. This is a video game. Oh my God, I just said video game. I'm so sorry, Mr. Tulanian. I didn't mean to say that. Um, this is a role-playing game. We're allowed to do epic things in role-playing games. The attempt must be made within two rounds of affliction for a three and six chance. So a 50% chance. Roll that D6. One, two, three. You get it. Four, five, six. Uh-oh. Within four rounds for a two and six or within six rounds for a one and six chance of success. I like that gradient scale right there. Success may revive one who is expired from poison. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Let's, let's, let's say that again. Success may revive one who has expired from poison so long as a successful traumatic survival check is made. That's constitution, right? How incredible is that? Especially when I can tell you Hyperborea has a lot of poisons and diseases and, and things like that. You don't just die from, <laughs> from, from getting sliced in half. You will die of the dysentery here. Oh, actually, no, it's never as boring as dysentery. You'll die of some sort of venom, some sort of mummy rot or something. <laughs> the diseased poison victim is restored to zero hit points, albeit at a price, a permanent loss of one constitution point. I think that's the same for any type of revival resurrection. Don't quote me on that right now. Victims of envenomed blades or ingested poison are beyond the barbarian's aid. This has to be something uh, basically like a scorpion sting, a, uh, a snake bite. Okay, uh, that not not a weapon. 
I don't know why that distinction is made, but uh, it is. And okay, let's just move on from that. Extraordinary 8% chance from extraordinary feats of strength and dexterity. We already talked about the extraordinary feats are last week, we're not, and I did it, showed it again for the fighter. We're not going to go into that again. 8% to both. Remember, look, you might look at this and be like, man, an HP requirement's so high, and then you only get 10% bonus if they're both plus 16. Yeah, but on the flip side, you get this 8% bonus to both of those. And you can suck out Venom. What was that? Uh, I don't know why that popped in my head. Okay, so first we have... I can't read that, so I have to read it over here. I got bit in the junk! Come, help me! Barbarian! Sorry, buddy! You're gonna die! Yeah, Barbarian's like, sorry, buddy! You're gonna die! <laughs> and then Hydra says, she told me... Uh, let's put that on the screen. Uh, she told me her test results came back clean. Now I have mummy rot. Max. <laughs> uh, there you go. Well, uh, I mean, WJ, I mean, that wasn't Hyperborea, I guess. I don't, I don't know what to say. Now, hype, uh, Hardy, uh, is that off the screen? It is, okay, good. Physical resilience and indomitable will to prevail, plus two bonus to all saving throws. This number right here, just scratch, scratch it out and put 14, 14, 13, 13, 12. 12. <laughs> all saving throws. That's amazing. Horsemanship. Many barbarians are exceptional horsemen, hailing from nomadic tribes who rely on their steeds in times of peace and war. Even the most stubborn of mounts submit to the barbarian's will. A little ranger-esque there, huh? From the saddle of a tamed mount, a barbarian can fight with melee weapons and discharge missiles. Depending on geography and background, this skill may apply to camels. Remember, there's a lot of desert in the Hyperborea map, right? Leap. Mighty, oh, mighty Thews. I like that. Is it Thews or Thews? I've heard it pronounced both ways. I used to pronounce it Thews, and then somebody correct me and said it's Thews, and eh, I haven't seen the word in a long time, though. Mighty Thews enable leaps of 25 feet or greater, if unencumbered. Bridging pits, chasms, and the like. Vertical leaps of up to 5 feet can also be accomplished. Man, the, the barbarian is toting that line between, do I want to go unarmored and only get a plus 1? Where's it, uh, where is it uh, plus 1 to my AC? Or do I want to be able to do my fighter business and armor up, but then, man, I, I can't leap because I'll be encumbered, I can't climb. It's really a pick-and-choose thing, isn't it? You'll be, taking, you'll be donning and doffing that armor a lot, right? Move silently to stalk as a panther. Moving, and yes, I know I didn't read the five feet there. You'll be fine. To stalk as a panther, moving with preternatural quick quiet. Comparable to a thief of equal level, see table 16. If the Barbarian is lightly armored or unarmored, chance in 12 reduced by 4 for a medium, impossible, and heavy. Seems to be a theme there. I like consistency in rules like that. Thank you, Jeffrey Tulanian, for your consistency in rules. This skill is executed at half the Barbarian's normal movement rate. It's okay. Run to move swiftly as higher. Base 50 move when lightly armored or unarmored. If I remember correctly, what was base movement? We saw it last week. Was it was it 25 or was it 30? I forget. Might have been 20 even. But still, it's a lot faster. Base 50 move. Everything comes from that base. Barbarians are quick. They can close the gap fast. Sense magic sorcery raises the hackles of animal fear and superstition. 4 in 12 chance to cog cognize? That is not a word I think I've seen before. 
Born 12 chance to cognize the presence of magic up there if the barbarian knows this for it. So basically he has to declare it. I'm looking for magic. I'm sniffing for magic. Is there magic upon the winds? Why, barbarian, go ahead and roll. Where's oh, where my dice go? Let me roll my d12 and see what I come up with. Some of you guys are probably like, oh my god, this, se uh, this uh, segment is going to take four hours. It might. And I rolled myself a one. I have cognized the spell. There's evil magic upon the winds. Tread no further. Discerning the precise source is not always possible, merely that it is close at work. This ability does not function as the detect magic spell and usually does not apply to minor magical items and like the Weomers. Well, thank you, Malachi, for the definition. <laughs> I, I kind of figured out what it was from the context. It's just, I, I was trying to read, uh, cog I was going to say cognitive in there. I was like, that doesn't make sense. But yeah. So, uh, but thank you. Now everybody in chat knows the definition of cognize. We've all been made more intelligent. Add plus one to your int. Uh, yeah, there you go. You know what? I'm going to put this on the screen because more people need to do this in all fantasy RPGs. I mean, well, because I see it more in sci-fi, but uh, fantasy, it needs to happen more. The problem is, is everything in fantasy RPGs is based on the numbers, right? And it's hard to argue with the straight numbers that you get from wearing heavy armor. So, oh, 100%. My two favorite game authors. And some of you might already know who I'm going to say. Are Jeffrey Tulaney. And Matt Finch. And as long as neither of them start going in the direction that even Palladium Books is going in. Um, they will continue to be my favorite authors. It's one of the reasons why this is my, my favorite OSR game. Because part of it is in the presentation. Again, using Palladium books, if there's something that Palladium does so amazingly well, it's the presentation of its settings. Jeffrey Tulanian here does an amazing job with the presentation of his game while still being clear, concise, consistent, and accurate. The technical manual style. Words like treble, which we haven't got to yet. Vexed, betwixt. I love that in Astonishing Swordsman Sorcerer because it gives you that old-timey feel. The fact that he puts use in here. Now, he may be from somewhere else. I could have sworn he was from New Hampshire, though. Um, I love it. I absolutely do. If you're going to try to add, we'll call it narrative style, that's not exactly the term I should use, but into a book while still writing a technical manual, this is the epitome of how it's done. So yes, Crafty, we absolutely can stop to appreciate Jeff T's vocabulary. Love it. Love it. I mean that. Uh, so run, sense magic. Okay, so we're over here. Sorceress distrust. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. May there be a reason why he can sniff out the magic? Suspicious of sorcery and those who wield it. Some barbarians may not tolerate the company of magicians. This is something that a game master and the players need to work out. Game masters should not just hand wave this away. Ah, whatever. Your, your barbarian doesn't care. Barbarian characters also shouldn't just hand wave it away either. Now, you might still do it at your table. I get it. You know, there's got to be a line that you can draw somewhere. And of course, everybody rationalizes like the whole tapping the paladin on the shoulder so he looks the other way while somebody does something stupid over there. Doesn't make any damn sense. But you're going to hand wave it away. At the same time, it doesn't have to be an end to your campaign. You have to figure out how to do this at your table. But 
it's meaningful. It's necessary for the Barbarian to have this injected into the game because of the ability to sniff it out. Okay? They might esteem tribal shamans, druids, and the like. So, you know, maybe even a warlock would be okay. You never know, depending on how it's done. Maybe a witch. I don't know. Then again, no, no, never mind. No, I, I should never have said that. Clip that out. That should not have been said. <laughs> anyway, um, witches are not natural or mad. I can't believe I said that. I apologize to everyone for my ignorance when I said that. Now, moving on. A barbarian may wield a magical weapon or be girded with a magical belt. They're unlike. Uh oh. Uh oh, that's the first mistake I saw. Uh, so let's read it correctly. Barbarians may wield a magic weapon or be girded with a magical belt, but they're unlikely to be bedecked with all manner of dwiomered amulets, cloaks, rings, and other trinkets. Such behavior is contrary to their nature. The extent of the barbarian sorcerer's distrust is best established through individual roleplay. And okay, there you go. It said it there. Yeah. Um, but you can't downplay it to the point that it's non-existent. And I'm saying can't. I'll do what I want. Yeah, you will. But then at that point, I'll say you're playing it wrong. But if you have to find that balance for your table. To stalk prey. Tracing physical signs and scenting as a predator. Mm, this poo is only two days old. I smell. I smell the sweat of somebody scared running off into the distance. Ahead we go. A barbarian can track at the below suggested probabilities. Suggested. Wilderness, a base of 10 and 12 chance to find, identify, and follow fresh tracks outdoors in natural caverns. Why so high? Why so easy? Because a barbarian is a creature of the wilderness. Non-wilderness, a base 3 and 12 chance to discern tracks in a dungeon, castle, city streak, or like setting. Can you tell where they're comfortable? Furthermore, the barbarian can identify in general terms the species tracked if it is a known animal type. Large feline, heavy bovine, small canine. All right. I'm not going to read the referee note on there. We're going to move on. And, okay. Weapon mastery. Mastery of one weapon. That fourth, eighth, and twelfth. We already talked about that. Wilderness survival. Hunting, trapping, fishing, boating, shelter building, fire building. Okay. All the survival things that you'd want, right? These tasks are performed without need of a check. Without need of a check who's gonna help you live outdoor the barbarian you just might have to forego having that wizard in your group or that necromancer in your group if you're gonna have a long <laughs> wilderness campaign where survival is going to be an issue they're simply the barbarian's province under adverse conditions the referee may assign a reasonable probability of success whether a chance of failure applies it's at the discretion of the referee as reflect reflected by the prevailing conditions and ability we got henchman at level six, melee expert again, and lordship one more time. And we got the starting pack and the combat matrix, which is the same. So we're going to move right on to the berserker. The berserker is a ferocious warrior endowed with unbridled battle rage. So where the, where the barbarian is animalistic, predatorial, the berserker is just pissed off all the time. Just angry man. Incredible resilience to the elements and leathery skin like the hide of a beast. These fearless shock troopers can enter a frothing wrath that augments their strength and vitality. The most heroic berserkers can transmogrify into bestial monsters. Or monstrosities, sorry. Quasi-bears, quasi-tigers, or quasi-wolves. Savage and unpredictable berserkers can be as dangerous to their allies as to their enemies. Well, there we go. 
Like barbarians, some berserkers live as outlanders. Others might serve a king or feudal lord. In Hyperborea, Viking berserkers are notorious for brutally raiding, looting, and pillaging coastal villages from their swift longships. Look at this. Look at this. Strength 15, Constitution 15. Good luck! Go <laughs> quasi waka waka waka. Uh, it's something I always thought this hard to play. You can't always tell an item is magic. Not all magic items glow or talk. A ring of protection plus five might just be a simple. Yeah. yeah. Until you get some sort of identified, detect magic, whatever. And I mean, you can argue now, could a, uh, could a barbarian sniff it out? I mean, I, I would have to play the game to, to give you an answer to that. My, my initial gut feeling is probably not. But then maybe why not? You know, so anyway. All right. So strength and cost. So where the barbarian was strength and dex, the uh, what do you call it? The berserker is strength and constitution. And 10% bonus if both are 16 or higher, which probably won't be hard if you already have both 15 or higher, right? Um, but again, odds are not in your favor. D12 again, chaotic good, chaotic evil again, armor any. Favorite any but opposed to missile launching weapons. Now, we'll see if it says more down here, but I could see a player say, well, I'm opposed, but I'm going to have one because, you know, it just makes sense. I don't know. If you're opposed to it, you should not want... I mean, you can have throwing axes, right? It says missile launching weapons. That means bows and crossbows. You're going to keep your axes, maybe your throwing daggers, you know, things like that. Saving throw modifier plus two bonus to all saves again. Man, I'm telling you, the Berserker and the Barbarian are just powerful, powerful classes. All right, Berserker Rage. All right, this, you know, the iconic Berserker Rage, right? Let's see how Hyperborea handles it. A furious battle lust and feral madness unleashed. A rage may be entered anytime during battle that was most often witnessed when a Berserker's blood has been drawn. Okay, so it's the Bruce Lee thing. <laughs> uh, frequency of Berserker Rage. First to fourth levels, one time per day. Fifth to eighth levels, two times per day. Ninth to twelfth levels, three times per day. Duration, rounds equal to Berserker's Constitution score. So a minimum of 15 rounds. 15 rounds! 15 rounds, minimum. Pretty much you're going to have between... You're going to have 15, 16, 17, or 18. <laughs> rounds... And if you do that three times per day, 45 rounds. Wow. That doesn't mean you're going to have three combats every day, but you get what I'm saying. You are an angry, angry man. I think I just breathed in some of my coffee. <clears throat> Excuse me. The following benefits and drawbacks apply. All right. Melee attack rate of two to one or five to two. So that's five attacks every two rounds with weapon mastery. Enhanced combat, plus two to hit and damage on all, all melee attacks. Okay, so right now you're an offensive powerhouse. Fire immunity. Impervious to normal fire and save versus magical fire are always successful. You know, when I talk to people who play like 3E and 5E Dungeons and Dragons, and they're like, oh, I love my feats and blah, 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 and old school games don't have feats. What the fuck do you think this is? Pardon me for cussing. This is a feat. 
You just don't take it because classes have roles and you want those classes to play those roles. The subclasses have roles as well and you want them to play the sub roles. This is effectively a feat. Don't act like OSR games don't have feet. This is it. We just didn't call them feats because we didn't care. It was a class ability. Okay. Frightening aspect. Fearsome to behold. Enemy morale checks at minus two penalty. For people who don't know what morale checks are, at certain points during a fight, you'll probably roll to see if the enemy runs away, because not every fight has to be to the death. Well, um, enemy morale checks with the Berserker and the, the group or in the fight are going to be made at minus two. They want to run away. <laughs> They're like, nope, not hanging out with this guy. Hit point burst. Temporary hit points equal to one half the Constitution score. Let's go round it up. So let's go with 15 against eight. Eight! If you have the minimum constitution, eight hit points. Temporary of eight hit points. These false hit points are deducted first whenever the Berserker is hit. In D&D terms, that is an aid spell with a maximum die roll. Are you kidding me? At the conclusion of the rage, any remaining bonus hit die or hit points are subtracted. So you could kill yourself doing that. Just saying. Refusal to fall. Can fight to as low as negative three hit points. So... Look, your hit point scale is already a lie. Because <laughs> you can go below. Once the battle is over, the Berserker collapses. Refusal to surrender. Cannot yield, retreat, or withdraw from melee once the rage has begun. Now, this is a true detriment. This is a true detriment that a lot of people like to scoff at or joke about. But this is a true detriment. We need to get out of here. I will not leave! I've got to kill you. Uh, we're out now what does the party do does the party go oh my god we don't want him to just stand there and die he's going to and then possibly tpk do they say screw you dude you're making a new character we're out <laughs> this is a detriment but it is also iconic very iconic neither can the berserker take actions unrelated to battle and bloodshed so he's not going to be over there binding up your wounds or you know firemen's carrying you out of the fight foot no He's going to be swinging his axe, spittle going everywhere, eyes bloodshot. You know? Unbreakable willpower, immunity to fear and charm. Wait, is this just while... This is just while Berserk, or is this at all times? You know what? Just the way this is written up, like, okay, Berserker... Okay, it's under the main Berserker Rage head. Okay, so it is still under Berserker Rage. This is just while Berserk. Good, 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 good. Wow. Okay. Um, unbreakable. And it makes sense because refusal to surrender at any other time would just be weird, right? So immunity to fear, charm, and like sorcery it may affect the berserker's resolve. Uh, clarified emotions. Uncontrollable. Once all enemy combatants have been vanquished, the berserker continues to attack or rend slain enemy forms until the rage duration is. They're on the ground like maybe just rolling, speaking un uh, incoherently because they're about to die or bleed out or whatever, and he's like, ah! <laughs> he's like hacking up. However, on a 1 in 8 chance, the Berserker continues attacking any, any living creature within 30 feet. You know, the squirrel, the birds, you, for 1d6 rounds before all good senses regain. Exhaustion. When the range, when the rage ends, the berserker is exhausted for one d three turns. That's ten to thirty minutes. Because remember, a turn is ten minutes, which we haven't got to yet. But you know, which, by the way, very happy that he put that in here. One could say, "Well, I know what a d three turns is." No, he hasn't defined it yet. So putting this in here, good job. That is how you write a technical manual. 
During this period of lethargy, the Berserker suffers a minus two to hit and damage rolls. So basically, he, he, you know, he, the adrenaline rushes over. The, the heroin, he's going through withdrawals. <laughs> the heroin's worn off. And he doesn't feel so good. Attack rate is reduced to one attack per round, regardless of mastery. And running is impossible. And he's tired out. He's, he's tuckered out. Okay. Climb. To send or descend sheer cliff. Okay, we already read uh, climb before. I'm skimming that. Doesn't look like anything's different. Extraordinary feats of strength and constitution. Hardy, same thing as before. Plus two to all saving throws. Leap, just like uh, the berserk. Or sorry, the uh, barbarian. Thick skin. So where the barbarian got a bonus to AC. Flesh not unlike the hide of a bull, which toughens over time. The berserker has a natural armor class of eight. At level one. Seven at level three, and so on. Wow. Body armor does not stack with this ability, so in order to get an improvement, this is much better than the Barbarians. Uh, uh, with this ability, that's fine. Who cares? I mean, this just... See, again, we can all quibble about what the Norse really were. But what Vikings really were. Were they truly merchants, or were they savages? Whatever. Remember, the winners of war write history, and... Well, Dane law did pervade for a long time. The English didn't fully lose, so you know they 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 have they have their version of Norse culture. But this is the iconic fantasy Viking, the one that's coked up <laughs> with his battle axe, no shirt, ripping it off, Macho Man Randy Savage style, going out there and just trying to whoop ass and take initials because he doesn't have time for names. This makes perfect sense, okay. Body armor does not stack this ability, but thick skin does provide a plus one AC bonus or plus two AC bonus, depending on level, to berserkers clad in light armor. Also, the berserker can function in sub-freezing temperatures with little need of protection. Yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah! Yeah, so this is an old-school Kraken. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Juicer minus the juice. Another way of looking at you. All right. So... Weapon Mastery, we already read through Mastery before. Enlist Henchmen, Bestial Form, this is new. At 7th level, the Berserker is blessed by a deity or spirit, animal or ancestral, with the ability to transmogrify. All I can think of is freaking Marvin the Martian now. Transmogrification Ray. Into semi-human, bipedal shape, whilst in Berserk Rage. The Bestial Form assumed is one typically associated with the Berserker's culture or ancestry. Once the animal type is selected, it cannot be changed. Choices include bear. I think bear would probably be the most common one. I know some people would probably go with wolf. To me, tiger and lion don't make as much sense, but it also depends on where you come from. I mean, to be fair, I am picturing the Viking aspect of it. So, you know, maybe I shouldn't say that. But uh, bear just, I don't know. That's the one that, for me, that's the most iconic one. Wolf seems very Native American-like. Tiger and lion, I don't know. During transmorphification, uh, you know, uh, Oh, no, this is actually says transformation. During transformation, thews bristle with fur and countenance and elongate to whiskered muzzles. The berserker's hands become paw-like with great claws or talons. The following benefits apply. Man, what is... Oh, I was going to say, what's the drawback to playing this? It's this right here. Where is it? Good luck getting those rolls. This is why you have to make those rolls count. This is why you have to, because there should not be many of these roaming the world. I mean, they're not so unique that uh, there's only one ever, obviously. But, shouldn't be all over the place. These things are tough. 
All right. So enlargement times 1.5 height and times two weight. Recovery, half of any lost hit points are recovered. This is like the old druid ability. Does not include false hit point total of hit point burst. So it's just of your actual things that you lost. <laughs> oh, I'm putting that on the screen. <laughs> uh, that was good. That was good. Um, if both okay, uh, where are we? Can wield melee weapons and attack? How can you what? How? How can you wield a melee weapon if your hands become paw-like? Okay, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to question. Not going to question. It's there. Can optic claw claw bite for a base 1d6, 1d6, 1d8 damage, be plus your strength bonus if both claw attacks strike a single opponent of smaller, medium-sized berserker can hug the victim. I'm going to hug him and squeeze him and name him George. Ah, uh, for an additional. So 1d6, 1d6. Those two strikes hit, right? Where did I put my dice? Where did I put my dice? Where did I put my dice? Okay. So, 1d6, 1d6. I did a 6 and a 3 dash. That's 9 points of damage already. But because they hit, oh, guess what? I'm going to roll my hug. My hug is another 8 points of damage. Dude, that's what? 17, 9 and, yeah, 9 and 8. 17 points of damage? That's no joke. No joke. Note that plus 2 bonuses attack and damage will still apply per the enhanced combat benefit. Well, as well as strength, attack, modifier, damage, adjustment. Crazy. Crazy. Okay, the following restrictions. Bestial form ends when berserk range. Okay, so bestial form can only be used... Oh! Did I, did I not read that, or did I just skip over it? When Berserkers, blessed deity, spirit, ancestors... Oh, whilst in... Okay, I, I did not pay attention. Whilst in berserk rage. Okay, so it can only be done whilst in berserk rage. I did not focus on that well enough for it to enter into my noodle, but now I get it. Uh, so, yeah, good, uh, woe unto thee who goes against the enraged wolfen <laughs> a berserker. Armor, no armor allowed. Indeed, the transformation rips close. Oh, you're in the Incredible Hulk. Enraged connection. All benefits and detriments associated with berserker rage remain. Okay. Melee expert, we already did that. And lordship, we already talked about that. And it's the same combat matrix. Woo! And you know, and crafty that makes sense. I, you know, again, I, I was picturing the uh, the Viking side of it, but yeah, that that absolutely makes sense. That up there, and yes, Darthic, these would be the elite warriors. Yeah, this would be you know, it, it's hard because I'd love to see a player play one. At the same time, I, I want to keep them with the rarity that seems to make sense, especially based on those die rolls. For sure, if you rolled the dice, I'd let you have it. Yeah. Uh, would I want to tweak it to allow somebody to play one who's just really thrilled at playing one? And part of me likes to say, sure. So I'll probably allow that you can add two to an attribute by, or you can add one to an attribute by reducing another one minus two. I mean, but then depending on how far away you might have like 15, 15 and then four, 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 four. <laughs> Nobody wants to do that. It's tough. It's, it's, it's tough because I want to play within the spirit of the game, but at the same time, allow people to, Play these fun, fun subclasses. All right. So what's a cataphract? Cataphract is armor-clad soldier whose prowess from the saddle is peerless. A cataphract might be a mounted mercenary, oath-bound knight, savage step horseman, or cavalryman. Basically, this is your mounted rider, right? 
How you want to do it after that is a matter of role-playing. Some cataphracts operate as rapacious freelances, mercenaries who subsist on tournaments and warfare. Others esteem themselves knights comporting to a rigid code of honor. What I love about this is this kind of makes my example for basic D&D. There's no knight in here. Yes, there is. Play a cataphract. You add the knightly stuff to it. I just want to be a wild rampager. Great. You're a cataphract. You call yourself a Mongolian horde. You know, whatever. Like, this encompasses all types of riding mounted class characters outside of, you know, the paladin, which doesn't necessarily have to be mounted. That's more of a, a medieval English thing. So let's, uh, let's skip on down. Uh, oh, actually, no, there's a part in here I do remember seeing. Where is it? Took African Veil Protection Armor Shield. Um, actually, this is important. A cataphract can avail the protection of armor and shields to a degree unmatched by other warriors. You can actually protect other people. A cataphract is equal of any fighter afoot mounted none are better on the bloody battlefields of Hyperborea. So, you are not a schmuck once you get off your horse. Like, well, I'm not on my horse, I can't fight at all. No, you're just a master on your horse. Dungeon masters, I'm sorry, referees. Allow the cataphract to shine on occasion. Allow that cataphract to be on the horse, to be in those open plains, charging forth, man and steed. Allow it. Allow it. Now, lots of attribute requirements, but they're all low. Strength, dexterity, wisdom, charisma, all have to be nine. Basically, you have to be, you just have to be a generally average person. If your strength and charisma are 16 or higher, you get 10% bonus. D10, so we're back down to the D10s, typical fighter type. And then our alignment, any. Again, you can be any. If you want to be the lawful good knight, or lawful neutral knight, however you want to look at that, then you can be. If you want to be the chaotic, evil, crazy man, I scorch the earth, then do it. Saving throw modifiers, death and transformation, plus two. All right. Extraordinary. It's uh, feats of strength again, just like the fighter. Honor. Okay, this is new. Let's read this. Cataphracts who operate as knights must be lawful good, lawful evil, or lawful neutral. Well, there you go. It, it gave it right there. I didn't even have to say what I said a moment ago. Serving a lord, monarch, etc. Enjoy all the political and social benefits derived therefrom. In fact, people of similar affiliation are expected to accommodate the knight to the best of their abilities. To enjoy these benefits, knights must comport themselves to a strict code of honor, abiding the following precepts. Duty, integrity, justice, loyalty, respect, and valor. Failure to do so may result in disgrace, banishment, and in some cases, execution. If honor is comported, comported to with competence and distinction, a cataphract may be knighted at fifth level or greater. Now, I don't know what that means yet. Maybe that means something. Maybe that's just a role-playing stick. I don't know. You know what I forgot to do with the other... Oh, dang it. I'm sorry. I forgot to do this. I forgot to go down the chart here because I wanted to look at the Berserker. So it was 2,000 for the fighter, right? It's 2,500 for the Berserker. I think it was 2,500 for... Oh, it's 3,000 for the Barbarian. So the... Yeah, the barbarian needs a lot more hit points. Oh, sorry, experience points than the the basic fighter. The berserker needs a little bit less, probably because his abilities are are more tied to the rage that he can only do so often, right? And then now we have the cataphract, who's uh, also at, at oh, is at twenty two fifty, so less than the berserker, but more than the basic warrior. So if you want to level up a little faster, just go with fighter. 
horsemanship. Oh, wait, horsemanship. Trained in mounted combat from their earliest youth. Cataphracts can fight from the saddle, urge their mounts into nimble feats on the battlefield, and engage in close order charges. Depending on geography and background, this skill may apply to camels. Mounted charge. Thunderous mounted onset, both feared and renowned. The cataphracts lance charge from horseback or camelbacks, plus two to the attack roll, plus three versus footmen. Why is that in there? Well, because you had plus two to attack, you know, basically jousting, right? But plus three versus people on the ground trying to, you know, swing at you. You've got you've got height advantage, you've got weight advantage, you've got length advantage. Typically, I mean, you could say you're using a sword, I get it. And treble, oh no, this is a charge. You wouldn't be using a sword. And treble damage. Okay, triple for, you know, Americans. Triple damage. Triple. Three times. Damage dice. So if you're rolling, I don't know, let's just pick, let's just pick a d6. Well, now I'm rolling 3d6. Average on 1d6 is what, three and a half? Now it becomes, uh, was it 11? Wait, three and a half, three and a half, so that's uh, seven. No, oh, ten and a half, yeah, so eleven. Big difference in damage there, just on average. Other modifiers are added afterward. So you add your plus, you don't triple your plus two to strength, you add all that afterward. So. Shield sacrifice. To sacrifice a shield and escape harm from a single melee blow. Somebody's gonna yell at me for not saying melee, whatever. When wielding a shield in combat, if the cataphract is struck by a melee blow, the player may opt to announce a shield sacrifice to avoid damage. Now, the hit comes in, but damage cannot be rolled yet, okay? If the shield is magical, it has a chance in 8 to survive destruction equal to the shield's bonus. For example, a plus 1 small shield has a 1 in 8 chance of surviving destruction. Plus 2 small shield have a 2 in 8 chance of surviving destruction, and so on. This ability cannot be used after damage is rolled. Oh, there we go. After damage is rolled and is usable, but once per day regardless of results. So even if it fails, you've still used it up for the day. But that's amazing. Imagine you're, 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 you're low on, on life, even if you're not low on life. Something big is about to club into you. Roar, a big tree ant is coming down with a limb, just ready to pummel you. You're like, you know what? That shield's taking it all. You have a horse. You probably have a wagon. You probably have other people there. Go grab another shield. Go grab another shield. As somebody put in a chat earlier, you know, Conan used the right armor for the right situation. Well, most horsemen have more than one shield. You know what? I'm sacrificing this one because I want to live. And of course, then that's when the monster will one point of damage and you feel bad with your life. But you know, hey, <laughs> it's a great ability. Skillful defender to avail armor to its utmost. When clad in medium or heavy armor, cataphract gains plus one AC bonus. This is already on top of the amazing. If you're wearing plate mail armor, it's already got an amazing armor class. You get another bonus to it. Plus two from seventh to twelfth levels. You are the epitome of defense. You are the stand your ground. What's funny is you're both stand your ground and you have a mount so that you can move pretty fast. Unspeakable willpower. Immune to the effects of magically induced fear. Okay. Weapon mastery read list henchmen. Again, read all that. Um 1d10 hit dice as we saw here. Saving throws are same, and fighting ability is the same as all fighters. Melee expert, lordship. We have read all those before. We're moving on to the next class. I like the I like the cataphract, the sound of the cataphract. I love its versatility because you, as the player, get to determine what type of fighter you're going to be or what type of horseman you're going to be. I love it. And 
I love its dual, its versatility in terms of I, I, it's in the open plains, it can charge and do a ton of damage. If not on his horse, he can be your bastion of defense. Uh-oh. Hold on one second. Hold on, I have to respond to something. I'm sorry here. cut this out of the stream i have to answer this otherwise i would have ignored it okay, just, i'm done all right sorry about that guys uh that very rarely do i say something has to be answered but that had to be answered Let's move it on. The Huntsman. So, for the Huntsman, what is different between the Huntsman and the Ranger? I don't fully know or remember, so let's find out. The Huntsman is a wilderness warrior who roves the hoary wilds of Hyperborea in search of formidable game. Okay, so it's a hunter. Got it. Some Huntsmen hail from barbaric tribes where they are celebrated for their impressive conquests. Others come from within the walls of civilization where they are admired for their astounding trophies. Some huntsmen, I'm oh, sorry, some huntsmen glory in subduing and taming the most feral beasts, while others pride themselves as werewolf hunters. Oh, that's neat. Purging Hyperborea of its dreaded lycanthropy curse. I didn't, I didn't even realize that. I don't use a lot of lycanthropy in my games. Might have to start. No matter what, no matter what their aims or origins, all huntsmen share an insatiable thirst to dominate that which others rightly fear and loathe. Oh, that's interesting. Forsooth, some opine that huntsmen are as wild and feral as that which they hunt. Okay, interesting. Um, I mean, the, the read of this sounds very similar to the uh, Barbarian. Or, or not as like the same class, same capabilities, but same generic background. All right. Attribute required strength of 9, dexterity 9, wisdom at charisma of 12. Wonder why. That's uh that's interesting. Uh so strength, but strength and wisdom are the ones that give you the XP bonus. Huh, I wonder what this charisma 12 about. Hopefully there's a, an ability down there that explains that a little bit better. D10, because it's a fighter. Any alignment. Now, this is interesting. Only light armor. Now you might say, well, of course, only light armor. You're a huntsman. Well, it's still under the fighter class. Then again, the old school ranger had limited armor, right? had suffered more penalties it wasn't like it was limited but suffered penalties so light and medium armor so up to chainmail shields allowed any favorite weapon he's saving throw death and transformation again and starting uh money is same uh alertness reduces by one okay so this can go along with uh oh was, was it the barbarian i think it was the barbarian that gave a bonus so if you have a barbarian and a huntsman in the same group boom boom look at this when traversing the wilds alone with others of like ability, I would argue that the Barbarian is one of them. The Huntsman's base surprise chance increases by one in six. Uh, sorry, sorry, I'm not reading a, a lot of chat. Um, action is his cry from the forest to the city. He will get there in a jiffy to sock evil in the eye. Well, that definitely sounds like a, a catchphrase. I don't know what it's from, though. So... 
It's really hard for me to read this chat while doing this. I wish Heathen Dog was here for that aspect of it, so I apologize if I miss stuff, and I know I've missed a bunch, but... Uh, to uh, climb, to descend... Okay, again, we got the climbing thing. It is still a chance in 12 reduced by 4 of wearing medium armor. Okay, table 16. We've already read through that. It's 2250, just like the... Uh, it's one that was before this one. Oh, I forgot. Uh, a cataphract. Okay, so... Uh, extraordinary. Feats of strength. So just on the strength, harvest venom. Wait. So this this one can harvest venom. This must be an important feature. If two subclasses get it, if two subclasses get it, to extract venom sacks from snake spiders. Okay, I'm not going to go. We, we already read it once before up above, but it's base nine and twelve uh, chance. If a twelve is rolled, a mishap occurs. Oh, so the barbarian actually has a little bit better because remember the barbarian was. Uh, what was the Barbarian? I forget the numbers now, but I don't remember reading this from the Barbarian. So, okay. Backtrack. Backtrack. I'm surprised chat hasn't, you know, I didn't give chat a, a time. No. The, the Barbarian was sucking out venom from somebody who was poisoned. This is harvesting it from the creatures. Maybe I should read a little bit better. To extract venom sacks from snakes, spiders, giant insects, and the like, should the opportunity to present in appropriate containers be available. So this is actually trying to get the venom that you're going to use on somebody. Huntsman learns to dissect venomous creatures. This skill is performed at a base 9 and 12 chance, so pretty good. If a 12 is rolled, though, a mishap occurs and the Huntsman is exposed. Eyes no skin to the poisonous fluid. And now is when you want the Barbarian to suck it out. Uh, for more information on the extraction of venom, see chapter 9. So. Hide. If lightly armored, unarmored. Able to hide outdoors, wilderness, as thief of equal level, lurking behind bushes, rocks, trees, and the like. Chance in 12 is reduced by 4 if wearing medium armor, yada yada. In non-wilderness areas, the chance in 12 is decreased by 2. Well, that's kind of cool. Um, move silently to stuck like a wolf, moving with preternatural quiet, comparable to a thief of equal level. And again, chance is reduced by 4 if wearing medium armor, impossible in heavy armor. Let's get to the fun stuff. Predator. Trained from the earliest youth to hunt and kill animals, both fleet and robust, the Huntsman inflicts one extra damage per level experience when combating normal and giant-sized animals. So basically, these are natural animals. Amphibians, birds, crustaceans, dinosaurs, fishes, insects, mammals, and reptiles. Does not apply to constructs, daemons, elementals, fungi. Aw, not to fungi. Giants, humanoids, magical beasts, molds, oozes, otherworldly... Okay, got, we got it. Not, not uh, Normal creatures versus magical ones. When used in concert with a successful hide attempt, the initial attack roll is made at a plus four bonus. Subdue animal. To soothe and tame an animal, normal, not magical, of hit dice equal to or less than the huntsman's level. To succeed, the following steps must be completed. So where the, um, the barbarian basically becomes a... Uh, uh, can, can dominate the animal, this is subduing the animal. Through combat, you physically reduce the animal to half or less of its hit points. Huntsman must be a prominent aggressor in the beast's impairment. Restrain the creature. That means, you know, you can have help, but the, uh, the huntsman has to do the majority of the work. <clears throat> Restrain the creature. Many huntsmen will use a bola, lasso, fighting net, or whip to make prone the target before attempting to restrain it. I'm going to have to drink something here in a moment. My throat's going. On the round following restraint, the Huntsman attempts to assert mental and physical dominance. This is where the charisma comes in, I guess. The base chance of success is 4 in 12. This chance of 12 may be increased by the following modifiers. Strength is 16. Okay, again, animals might make right. Huntsman's strength is 16 or higher. 
you get a plus one bonus. Wisdom is 16 or higher. Why? Because wisdom is also your instinctual nature. <clears throat> Charisma is 16 or higher because, you know, you're just likable and apparently animals can feel that. Huntsman is level seven or higher. You know, again, you've got more skill. You're better at it. You know, right? If the Huntsman has dominated a member of this species before, you know what? I know you're kind. I gotcha. Failure indicates the animal is impossible to tame. May continue to attempt to break free. Success indicates the animal is subdued. The huntsman must continue to restrain the creature for one turn, 10 more minutes, kneeling on it, commanding it, and forcing submission. There, thereafter, it will be docile and relatively obedient. Okay, I'm not going to read any more of that. Uh, again, you can dive deeper into what that is on your own track. You can talk, Bray. What time is it? Yeah, my God, I think we've been covering this for an hour. We still have, what, two more to go? To stock, Bray, Trace... The warrior or the fighter has the most subclasses, to be fair. To stalk prey, tracing physical signs, and scenting as a predator. The huntsman can track at the uh, below suggested probabilities, which we already looked at tracking before, but this one is a 10 and 12 in the wilderness and a 5 and 12 instead of what was it before, a 2 and 12 or whatever, in a dungeon. <clears throat> so I would say that the the... Huntsman is a little more versatile than the than the uh, barbarian, but the barbarian's a bit more uh, uh, powerful. If that makes sense. That's just off the cuff. Um, where am I? We did that tracking. Okay, weapon mastery. We've already talked about that. Wilderness survival. These tasks perform without the need of a check, just like we read before. So I see nothing in there that's new. So let's move on. Wilderness traps to set an outdoor trap include pits. Deadfalls, snares, and spring traps. The huntsman is also adept at finding and removing such traps. Of course, if you can place them, you'd probably know where to look for them. That makes sense. These tracks are uh, these tasks are performed as the as a thief of equal level performs the manipulate trap skill. But the huntsman has no facility with mechanical or magical traps. So this is just for uh, pit deadfalls, you know, punji sticks, you know, Viet Cong type stuff. Yeah, I said it. What are you gonna do about it? Werewolf Slayer. Okay, this sounds cool. At fourth level, huntsmen develop the aptitude to slay lycanthropes. Ooh. Or lycanthropes, wherever you want to put your syllable. Indeed, when men and women suffer the curse of the beast, huntsmen rise to stamp them out. When wielding silver or magical weapons versus lycanthropes, huntsmen gain all the benefits of the predator ability, regardless of the advanced intelligence of the afflicted. Okay, I have to cough. Pardon me, just one moment here. And I'm going to take a quick drink. And we got henchmen, melee expert, lordship, all things we have seen before. Oh no, we've got three more to go. Jeez. We have the paladin, the ranger, and the warlock still. Uh, barbarian survivalist, huntsman is the big game hunter. With survival abilities, yep. Um. The paladin is a martial exemplar of the lawful good alignment, where others fall into despair or are seduced by the malefic temptations of decadent world of a decadent world dominated by chaos. The paladin not only resists but inspires others to do the same. That is such an important line. Inspires others to do the same. If you have heard my rant about paladins and Dungeons and Dragons, I'm not going to go into it here. They, they set examples. They're humble. They have humility. Now, Hyperborea may make them a little more ep you know, epic than that, but they set the example. They're not just douche nozzles that threaten to cut off your hand because you stole something. 
Paladins are paragons of truth, justice, prudence. Look up that word if you don't know what it means. <clears throat> Honor, loyalty, faith, charity, and love. Consequently, they are favored by otherworldly powers of benign and lawful nature. A champion of the oppressed and abused, the paladin strives to undo the chaos and evils wrought on Hyperborea through temperate words. Temperate words. And courageous deeds. In rare circumstances, a paladin who falls from grace, typically due to murder, treachery, or consorting with demons, may become an exemplar of the lawful evil alignment. Uh-oh. Such malefic beings are regarded as fell paladins. While some fell paladins are former paladins, others are inculcated by such abominations. Fell paladins abide by a wicked code of law and honor. And oft, and oft are they said to be in league with, uh, what the hell is that? Thalmura Gorga. Is that a god? All right. Strength 9, dexterity 9, wisdom 9. I wish that wisdom was a little higher. But that's fine. Charisma 15. So it's not the 17 of like 2nd edition AD&D, but 15 is still pretty hard to get. Strength and charisma. Now, remember, charisma of 15 means you are a likable person. Likable person. People want to follow you. They want to be like you. Stop being a douche nozzle as a paladin. Strength and charisma is the XP bonus. D10. Probably because they get a bunch of powers. Alignment limited to lawful good or fell paladins lawful evil. Any uh, for the armor shield and weapons. Saving throw plus two to all saves. See the divine protection ability. Okay, so it's just explained. So they're, instead of being hardy, this is uh, the gods protecting them. And here it is. Here's divine protection. Paladins' indomitable spirit and blameless conduct attract the favor of benign otherworldly forces of law that provide immunity to natural diseases, plus two bonus to all saving throws, and a plus one armor class versus attacks made by evil creatures. For fell, uh, for fell paladins, the favor of malefic otherworldly forces of law is enjoyed, and the plus one bonus is versus attacks made by good creatures. Got it. Okay. It does not provide uh, immunity to magical diseases such as lycanthropy. That's fine. 8% chance to perform feats of strength or extra 8% chance from healing hands, the power to mend wounds and alleviate disease by laying palms on the injured or afflicted. The paladin can restore up to two hit points per day per level of experience. Paladin can also cure disease as a spell. Now that, that is the one that I think I'd be more interested in. I mean, don't get me wrong. Hit points are always necessary, but in a world like Hyperborea, the ability to have cure disease that's awesome. It's only once in every seven days, so you, hopefully you don't have a quick disease that is, you know, wasting you away in like one day. But, you know, most diseases and illnesses take time, you know, to really get you at least to the death side of it. You might be suffering negatives, but... With few exceptions, the paladin will treat allies first. Okay, there we go. And if we look at these hit points, 2750, so we're almost pushing up there with the barbarian, right? That's a lot. Oh, what is this? Fighting ability, turning ability, and casting. So, Paladin, oh, we're going to see this in a moment. They can turn and cast. Okay, cool. Fell Paladins do not have healing hands. Rather, they have sapping hands. <laughs> a touch attack that drains a victim of up to two hit points per day. Oh, wow. Smack! Okay. 
Uh, class individuals can be drained to negative. Wait, 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 what? Uh, class individuals can be drained up to 10 hit points and monsters to zero. The sapped hit points are transferred to the fell pound. That's why I was wondering why this distinction was here, but okay. Are transferred to the. Okay. Okay, so the, the fell paladin smacks you with it and heals himself. That's kind of the difference between good and evil, right? Good is out there sacrificing to help you. Evil one's taking from you only to heal himself. Fell paladins can inflict disease once every seven days. That's just gross. You're mean. That's just mean. Honor, to comport oneself to a code of honor, extolling strength, skill, stoicism, consistency, fidelity, courage in the face of enemies, clemency towards, clemency towards defeated opponents, largesse towards dependents, largesse, hospitality to associates and superiors, and a willingness to protect the weak. You know, part of me is like, man, why, why do you have to point this out so many times? It's because there's so many douche nozzles that play paladins like dickheads. So thank you, Jeffrey Tulanian, for putting this stuff in the book. A paladin must never commit murder, perpetrate a felony, or utilize poison. A paladin must oppose tyranny, despotism, cruelty, demonism, and other forms of evil. Well, I think he used the word sapping because it saps your life from you. I mean, I don't care. He, he uses uh, old-timey-wimey words. Um. And I, my guess would also be that vampirism sounds too close to undead, and, and I don't know, maybe they still don't like that. I don't know, I don't know, anyway. Uh, failure to adhere to these precepts is grounds for penalization by the referee, possibly including experience point reduction, denial of all supernatural abilities, which we'll get to in a moment, or level loss. In worst cases, murder, damning innocence, relations with demons, a paladin can metamorphose... Embracing the wickedness of abomination, ultimately transforming into a fell paladin. Such beings become honor-bound paragons of the lawful evil line. All right. Trained in mounted combat from the earliest youth, paladins can fight the saddle, urge your mounts, nimble feats of battlefield. So it's just like cataphract, engage, close hard charges. Depending on geography. Okay, that was all. Didn't have to read that. That was all just like cataphract. Um, we looked at the experience points, saving throws. Okay, we'll get to yep, all that other stuff. Sense evil. Oh, perspicacity to evil, most palpable. The nearby presence of a purely evil, purely evil sorcerer, undead demons, and other unclean spirits. Particularly strong emanations such as from a malign artifact or dominion of evil may eclipse lesser sensations. Note that this ability will not discern if another character is of evil alignment unless the subject is about to commit the most vile act or is of a pure and intense evil. We used to call this, uh, the Paladin's ability was to detect evil actions or, um, or evil intent, not just evil alignment. Because it was weird running around just a beacon on evil, not evil, not evil, not evil, evil. Look, man, I'm just a farmer. So what? I'm a douchebag evil person that abuses my kids. I'm, I'm not the grand evil across the fucking you know, planet that you have to come up and smite. Okay? So we, we looked at his evil intent upon actions. So I'm glad that's kind of spelled out here. In any case, the paladin must stop and concentrate, sensing in a 50-foot range. So it doesn't just come into you. You have to to get it. Fell paladins sense similarly detecting kindred powers. 
Valiant Resolve, immune to the effects of magically induced fear. Weapon Mastery, we've already done that. Righteous Wrath, a third level when delivering a charge attack, so mounted or afoot. So you're running at somebody. Against an evil foe, Paladins gain a damage bonus equal to their level of experience. Replacing the plus two bonus normally associated with the charge attacks. Minus two AC penalty applies. So you're opening yourself up for attack, but if you're seventh level, you get a plus uh, seven damage. Okay. When mounted, this bonus is in addition to the double damage inflicted by a lance. For fell paladins, this ability is against good folks. Got it. Sacred mount. At fifth level or later, receive a vision that's learned the location of an extraordinary mount. Stewy, wild stallion is of keen senses and great resolve. The mount must be quested after, lassoed, and trained. This equine is a heavy warhorse of superior health and exceptional wisdom. Maximum hit points 12, or sorry, maximum hit points and a 12 morale. This venison can be realized but once per year at most. Most At 10th level, Paladin may seek the fabled Pegasus, and the Fell Paladin can quest for a nightmare. That's pretty cool. That makes sense, though. I, I like that. For both. I, uh, for both the Paladin and for the uh, uh, for the um, Fell Paladin. Turn undead at 5th level. Exert control over the undead, causing them to flee and or cower. Refer to table 13. Uh, at fifth level, Paladin's first level turning ability. Now you might say, "Well, you know, that's not going to be great against specters and all this other stuff." That's fine because the Paladin can still chop them down. Not meant to be a cleric, but he can get some of those pesky ones out of the way pretty quick. Yeah, whatever. Shut up, skeletons. Go away. Ah, stupid zombies. I need to get to the big one. That's the point. The point is to get rid of those little the little minions so that you can actually get to the one that uh, or two or whatever that happen to really be dangerous. Uh, the paladin must stand before the undead and speak boldly a commandment of faith or law, displaying a holy symbol or lawful crest. Uh, I don't like this. I'm going to be honest with you. I know a lot of modern games are doing this, but screw that. It's a holy symbol. You, you, there's none of these. Well, I follow my own code, so I'm a paladin. No. No. It's, it's, uh, it's bestowed by a deity. Anyway, moving on. This ability can be used once per day. Other rules and restrictions are noted in the clear class ability of turn undead. Okay, fell paladins can command undead. Got it. Endless henchman, melee expert. Here, scroll. Scroll use. Now, this is the first time we've seen scroll use for a fighter. Seventh level, decipher and invoke scrolls with spells that are included in this clerical spell list. But he can't do it till seventh level. But he can decipher and invoke. So that means he can read and cast scrolls. Unless the scroll is created by a thaumaturgical sorcerer. Okay, so uh, I don't even want to get into that. Basically, he can class, uh, class cast cleric scrolls. Sorcery. At 7th level, paladins gain the ability to cast spells drawn from the cleric spell list. These spells are learnt through prayer, study of scripture, or communion with otherworldly beings associated with lawful good. Conversely, fell paladins commune with otherworldly beings associated with lawful evil. Spell memorization involves prayer meditation and study and recitation of scriptures dedicated to tenets of law. The number and levels of spells cast per day are charted above. You know, I'm starting to think that uh, we might not go through spells today. This is taking a long time. I know I'm reading, reading a lot of this stuff, and this is just the fighter. We still have to get through the mage, the cleric, and the thieves, although there are less subclasses there. Um, so we may, I may have to put spell into another, uh, looking through the sorcery and the spell list into another week, but we'll find out. Well, for example, a ninth level paladin with wisdom of 13 can cast three level one spells. That's uh, talking about the wisdom bonus here that we talked about last week. 
Lordship, we already did that. And there's the Paladin starting pack. And there is the Thacko chart again. Sorry. Uh, Combat Matrix. And there is a Paladin surrounded by all types of undead. Doing her job. Ranger. Okay, two left. Ranger and Warlock. The Ranger protects the borderlands of civilization. Ah, this is our Department of Homeland Security. Infiltrate savage frontiers. Oh, they're also sappers. It vanquishes the otherworldly monsters and alien beings that debauch Hyperborea. A ranger might be a grim-faced frontiersman patrolling the march of civilized land, a fearless raider waging a war of ambush and disruption behind enemy lines, or perhaps a disenfranchised wanderer roams vast wastelands hunting down extra-dimensional entities whose aims are incongruent with mankind's survival. Rangers can unerringly guide others through the lonely wilds, traversing unseen even the most guarded and hostile territories. Two, in the wilds, they can learn to dabble in the clandestine sorcery of tribal shamans. Rangers are doughty warriors. Did I say that right? That's a word that I think I, sh I should know what it means, but I apparently do not right now. But Rangers are doughty warriors who are versed in the secrets of the wilderness and the countless horrors it harbors. Okay, lots of nines here for ability requ or attribute requirements, strength and wisdom. Okay, kind of makes sense. I bet you they get druid spells. Uh, D10 hit points, that's fine. Alignment, lawful good, chaotic good, and neutral. Okay, if I remember correctly, the alignments in this game I, I sh are... It's not, it's not the nine alignment system, it's the five alignment system. So lawful good, chaotic good, uh, lawful evil, chaotic evil, and neutral just kind of in the middle there. Uh, same through bonus death and tra transformation and same money. Alertness reduces by one D6 roll party's chance to be surprised. Good. So there are, you can mix and match these classes together pretty well to find a set of fighters that aren't going to screw up your survival chance. Uh, ambusher, we've already read that. That's giving you a bonus. And uh, also, if you prepare, you know, remember, if you prepare your team, you can give yourself an ambush bonus. Climb, we've seen that before, and I'm skimming through it, and I'm not seeing any change to the uh, to description. Now we're back to the 2250, so uh, slower than the fighter, but uh, better than most of the other ones. Discern noise, unusually perceptive. Detecting the faintest sounds, the ranger can discern noise as a thief of equal level. Six rounds of concentrated listening are required. So you have to spend one minute. So rounds in this game are apparently 10 seconds. Spend one minute to listen. And if you do that in the silence, yes, put your ear to the train track. You can hear things coming. Uh, extraordinary feats of strength. Hide uh, on our hide out in the wilderness as a thief equal level. And again, armor. Reduce it by four, move silently. Same thing we've read before. Armor makes worse. Otherworldly enemies. From the earliest training, typically age 10 to 12, rangers are awakened to the terrible knowledge of malevolent alien beings and the nameless horrors they represent. Through painstaking instruction, supernatural insight, rangers can cognize, there's that word again, the most effective means to harm the otherworldly. Rangers become uncannily perspicacious to these creatures. Consequently, they inflict plus one hit point damage per level of experience versus the abominations that are categories categorized as otherworldly. Interesting about this is if you guys played like second edition AD&D, &D, you picked a creature like orc or bugbear or some crap like that, right? I like the fact that this specifically says no, no, no. This is just uh, extra planar creatures. Abominations and so forth. I, I like that. 
I'm not saying it's not going to have the other one maybe later, but I like the fact that it just says, look, um, you you give the stabby stabs to those people who don't belong, or those beings that don't belong here. Oh, uh, with a druid spells per day, magician. Oh, wow, they get magician and druid spells. That's pretty cool. Okay. Oh, well, can't wait to look that. Look at that. Um, track. Okay, we already saw what tracking is. Now we're back down to <laughs> non wilderness. Only three and twelve chance, but a wilderness is ten and twelve chance. So there you go. Track concealment in the wilderness. Obscure the tracks of a number of companions equal to the ranger's level of experience. So, well, if you have a large group, sorry. But if you have a small group, or if you're high level. However, maximum speed is restricted to half the ranger's normal movement rate. Traverse overgrowth. overgrowth. Negotiate natural overgrowth. Briars, brush, tangles, thorns, vines. At normal room movement. Oh my god. Speaking. Negotiate natural overgrowth at normal movement rate. Without leaving a discernible trail, if so desired. The ranger cannot perform this skill while wearing heavy armor. Makes sense. Weapon at mastery, we know. Wilderness survival, we've read through. Enlist henchman, melee expert, all these things we have seen before. Scroll use at seventh level, decipher and invoke ecclesiastical scrolls, spells from the druid spell list, and at eighth level, decipher and invoke thaumaturgical scrolls from the magician spell list. Cool. And we'll look at the spell list in the next episode. Uh, so sorry, I'm not going to cover that here, but this one's this really long video already. But uh, we'll talk about that. You can look at some of those spells, or you can just buy the book and know it yourself. At 7th level, the ranger develops the ability to cast spells as a shaman, practicing the ecclesiastical sorcery of druids and the thaumaturgical sorcery of magicians. The number and levels of spells cast per day are charted above. So, uh, right here. So at 7th level, it's one. Just one druid. At 8th level, it's one druid and one magician. And then you can see you get a second level spell there. So the druid bumps up a little bit quicker than the magician, but I think it's interesting to get magician spells. So, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, da -da -da -da. The numbers and levels of spells cast per day are charted above. The rangers of high intelligence or wisdom gain bonus spells. So you gain, gain bonus spells just as you would if you're a cleric or a mage. Got it. Drawn from magician. Yeah, I got that. Seventh level. Okay, hold on. What's that? Druid spells are granted by uh, Animistic Elemental Spirits. Seventh level ranger cultivates a level one druid spell. Magician uh, spell ranger develops new spells. Each little game that schedules as follows. Okay, just read the chart. Yeah, just read the chart. Spells are gained automatically with no need of qualification rules. The ranger cannot learn additional spells beyond those developed during level training. Oh, and note that a 7th level ranger has first level casting ability. That makes sense. Remember, these things are to... You're already a dang good fighter. These things are just meant to enhance. Enhance what you already do. That's what they're for. They're not to take over. You're not all of a sudden, well, I'm a spellcaster. No, they're there to enhance your already awesome capabilities. That's one of the things that I think that people sometimes missed out on in 2nd edition D&D is they looked at the ranger and the pound and they're like, well, why, why do I even bother with these spells? They suck compared to whatever. Well, one, you might be focusing on, on the spells you probably shouldn't be taking for your class. You're trying to be the cleric. You're trying to be the, the wizard. Uh, or I guess, what did rangers get? Oh, they got certain spheres, certain priest spheres, right? No, no, no. Look on things that enhance your ability as the ranger. That's what she should be focusing on. Okay, the Warlock. This is the last one. This is your Fighter Mage. Now, 
I've never played one. Never seen one played. I don't know how good it is. Is there a benefit to being a fighter mage in Hyperborea? Is it overpowered? Until I play one or see one played, I'm never going to know. But I know that people always have opinions about multi-class characters, and this is essentially a multi-class character. Now, as we read through it, we may be able to figure some things out, like, oh, you're not as good as a fighter, so okay. Or kind of suck as a wizard. We're going to find out if it's uh, worth being a fighter mage. In Hyperborea. A warlock is a swordsman and a sorcerer, an armor-clad warrior who wields steel the fighter and weaves the sorcery of a magician. Okay, I don't want to read all this stuff here. Oh, maybe I do. Such an individual might represent a clandestine order of warrior wizards or maybe a failed magician's apprentice fallen into the life of a soldier, mercenary, or reaver. Actually, I like that concept. Or perhaps a young fighter secretly tutored by a shunned hedge wizard. Some warlocks practice a sorcery of cryomancers. These are referred to as ice lords. Others practice the sorcery of pyromancer. These are referred to as fire lords. Wow. Okay, but perhaps the most feared and reviled of warlocks are those who practice the black arts of necromancy. These are referred to as death soldiers, many of whom supplicate the daemon lord Thaumagoria, Thaumagorga. Regardless of the fusion of swords, sorry, regardless, the fusion of swordsmen and sorcerer establishes the warlock as amongst the most potent beings to tread the jeweled cities and forgotten ways of Hyperborea. Okay, you need a strength of 12. Fighters only need a 9, but you need a 12. You also need intelligence of 12 to be the Ice Lord or Fire Lord and a wisdom of... Oh, no. Okay, hold on. Hold on, hold on. Intelligence. I'm confused here. The reason I'm confused... Okay, hold on. I gotta look at something. Sorcery. Oh, okay. So magician. All right. All right. All right. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. I wish it would have said it a little clearer up here, but nope. Now I've got it. We're good. So strength of 12, intelligence of 12, if you are going to be a magician, warlock. Okay. But if you're going to go for one of the specialties, the ice lords, the fire lords, or the death soldiers, you have to meet other requirements. So it's Wisdom of 12 for Death Soldiers, Fire Lords, and Ice Lords. So you already have another attribute requirement. Okay, Strength and Intelligence for the XP bonus. It's a D8, so you get less than a standard fighter, but still twice as much as a, as a wizard, right? Or a magician. Because I think all those are D4. I might be wrong. Alignment. Death Soldiers can be neutral, lawful evil, or chaotic evil. Fire Lords, chaotic good, neutral, chaotic evil. And Ice Lords, lawful good. And this makes sense to me. If you're not understanding why... Obviously, the death soldiers, you know, you can see death a couple ways, but most people see it as evil, but you could also just see it as the natural force of life. Fire lures. Fire is a chaotic element. It just is. It's a chaotic element. Ice lords, I bet you these have a lot of protection spells. I bet you there are a lot of protection spells in here, uh, and maybe buffs, too. More about organization. So I agree with these alignments, at least off the cuff. Armor light and medium, so you can cast in medium armor. That's interesting. And the saving throws change up a little bit. We still have transformation, but now we have plus two to sorcery. Okay, uh, extraordinary. Still feats of strength, though, for the extraordinary. So this is, you're still in the fighter. Magic item use. Can you utilize magic items normally restricted to magicians? Oh, there you go. 
I mean, it's again traditional fighter mage, but for people who haven't played the other games so far. Read magic. The ability to decipher unintelligible mag uh, magical inscriptions or symbols placed on weapons, armor, items, doors, walls, and other media by means of the sorcerer mark spell. Okay. Scroll use. Decipher and invoke scrolls with spells that are included in the warlock's chosen school of sorcery, either magician, cryomancer, necromancer, or pyromancer. Unless a scroll was created by an e ecclesiastical sorcerer, so basically unless it was created by a cleric. Okay, yeah, Malachi, yes, you could say that. You're getting a bit of, because, I mean, what was the elf? It was kind of a fighter mage, right? So, yeah. Uh, bear with me just one moment here. Okay, uh, again, my apologies. <clears throat> wow, 3,000! Okay, you know what? Even if it is a bit potent, even if it is a little bit stronger, oh, I see only level three spells, so eh, I don't know how strong it can be. Uh, wow. You know what? You're going to be behind your fellow man. I don't know what wizards do. Well, we'll see what happens when we get to the wizards uh, or the magicians. But 3,000, that's the slowest we've seen so far, isn't it? Did we see another? I, th I know we saw 2,700. Did we see another 3,000? So that's, uh, you know, that's going to temper whatever power you've got here. Okay, to uh, scroll writing, to scribe a known spell into a scroll, creating a single-use magical device at a cost of 500 gold pieces plus 100 per spell level. You know, I like to keep characters poor. But I would make sure that they had enough money to have one or two extra spells, you know, on the side. Uh, maybe this is the type of game that I don't keep them poor, and I go against my own nature on that, because I really do. I keep, I keep player characters poor, always wanting to adventure more, always trying to see what's over the next hill, always trying to get that next piece of armor, that next, uh, you know, afford that next training and so forth. Not poor to the point they can't play. That's dumb. I'm, say, I'm saying I like money to force them to make decisions. And this is definitely decision-making money. Uh, materials include the finest spell. I don't care about that. Sorcery. Warlocks can cast spells as they... Uh, memorize them from arcane tomes. At character creation, the player must select which school of magic is your warlock practices. And we that's what I had to look up for. Magician, chiromancer, necromancer, or pyromancer. This decision is irrevocable. All right. I am now going to stop for just a moment. Nope, nope, I'm not. I'm not. If you want to see the spells of each one of those, you'll just have to wait for the next video. This one is too long as it is. And I, I will look, we'll look over more of the spells in the next video, which when we talk about wizards. All right. So um, please check that out. By the way, I haven't done this since we've been here, but I would really appreciate it if you subscribe to this channel. If you're not already, like and share. YouTube hates our channel for various reasons, mostly for things to do with Friday nights. But uh, so please share this with your friends and people you think might like Hyperborea, or if you just like deep dive read throughs. No overview for today. It's all deep dive read through for this. Uh... Oops. Wow, I clicked way wrong button there. Hey, that's what we're talking about, though. Look at that. We're talking about fighters and subclasses. Okay, let's get back to it. Um... All right, so, for example, a fourth level Warlock with a 13 Intelligence. So this is just saying that you get your Intelligence bonus. Uh, warlock begins a spellbook that contains one level one spell. That's it, one spell. And folks, let me tell you something here. Magic Missile doesn't have to be that spell. You're already a fighter. Find something that's going to be useful for your group or add, either enhance or add to your repertoire. 
I'm not saying it's a bad spell. I'm just saying you don't need it. Find something that's going to work, that's going to enhance who you really are. You're a fighter. You can fight. So, appreciate that, Omanel. Thank you. And Crafting Gamer, that's, that's, again, everybody runs it differently. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, it's all good. It's all good. Sleep? So, I, I don't know um, how sleep is, is running this one. We'll find out in the next episode. But I know in old school D&D, sleep is OP. And if it is in this one, because it's very, based on, very much based on old school D&D, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Uh, I say just look at the, the chart. But there you go. Uh, Dispels may be learned outside of level training, but the process is more arduous, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Well, actually, in the next episode. So here we go. Saving throws are the same. Fighting ability. Remember, you are a fighter. You can still fight like a fighter. So you're no slouch. And your spellcasting ability is that of a wizard. You start at 1. You don't have any skips in here. It's just 1 through 12. It's just you're limited in your spell per day. You only get up to 3rd level spells. And I think somebody put it in the chat... And if it follows the D&D construct, you're right. At third level spells, so starting at level five, you can have Fireball, Lightning Bolt, and some of those cool ones. Although, again, my suggestion is enhancing what you can already do. If you can already fight, well, maybe Fireball is great because it's area of effect spell, and, you know, swords aren't area of effect. But I would find spells that enhance your fighting ability. You know, your mileage may vary. You, do, you know, you play how you want. Especially if you're a Pyromancer, right? What would a Pyromancer be without Fireball? That'd be silly. Um, all right, so Weapon Master we've talked about, Enlist Henchman, Melee Expert. At 7th level, the Warlock Standard Melee Attack Rate improves, okay? And gets Weapon Mastery. I just wanted to verify that that was still here. Remember, you are a fighter still. Woo! And the Combat Matrix doesn't change either, which we kind of looked at above, so. And I think that's it. All right, that is it. Oh, that was long, guys. That was long. Uh, hopefully it's the longest one um it's going to be a long day today we got we've got why did i take that off the screen i meant to take this off the screen we've got four we're going through all four of these for the folks on the stream today for the folks who are watching this in video format there'll be one video coming out monday tuesday wednesday thursday today was uh fighters and subclasses next will be magicians and subclasses then will be clerics and subclasses then will be thieves and subclasses and uh theoretically this is the longest one thank you for bearing with me throughout this Again, it's a deep dive. I'm not providing an overview. I'm not providing a how-to. We're looking at it somewhat for the first time, even for me. Like I said, second edition I've got behind me. I know that one fairly well, and this seems to be very close to it. Uh, I just, the problem is I have too much D&D stuck in my head as well, so I always forget what was D&D, what was Hyperborea, what was, you know, uh, uh, Adventure Conquer King. <laughs> you know, so having the book in front of me and walking through this, I hope you guys appreciate it. So. Yeah, all four is very ambitious, but I'm on a, an ambitious schedule because I have to have Hyperborea done throughout the month of April. So, uh, visibility, water breathing, comprehend language. There we go. Visibility is such an awesome spell. Yep. Yeah, it started out. Yeah, Jeffrey T has made it known that Hyperborea started off as a collection of AD&D house rules. I did read that before. Yeah. Okay. One more time. Like, subscribe, and share. And now I'm going to prepare for the second. What page was that? I got to figure out what page that was. <laughs> All right, that is page 61. And this is page... Uh, well, we're just going to start down here. Pages I have to remember. 61 
and 29. All right, 29 and 61. You guys in chat are probably going to throw me like 104 or whatever. 16, uh, see, I already, already screwed up. 29 and 61. Let me write that down because I will forget. I'm a dumb dumb right now. 61. All right, for part two of our character classes, we are going to talk about magicians and the magician subclasses. Now, that warrior one was quite long. But we dove in to everything about it. I, I, I gave you all of it. So uh, we're going to do the same thing with the Magician subclasses. What we are not going to do is read off every spell. We'll look over the spell list. Absolutely. We are going to look over the spell list, but we are not going to dive into every spell and see what every spell does. We're just going to show what's out there, and then we're going to move on to the next subclass. Because, uh, you know what? You just don't need to get into all of that. Let's put it that way. So... You guys know the deal here. I'm even going to shortcut these again. I really wish I had a, a, a dedicated video for this. Please do the charity, though. Please go ahead and click on that, uh, you know, scan that QR code or go to that link, and it'd be awesome if you could donate to the charity. That's our streaming schedule. Remember, we're gonna, not so sidetracked today because uh, you know I'm not messing with Heathen Dog and he's not messing with me, but uh, you know I am sometimes looking at chat when I'm able to do so. And of course, like, subscribe, and share. Let's get that on the screen, and let's present our next. Oop, there we go. And again, we are doing Hyperborea 3rd Edition, which so far I am finding to be a fantastic book. Fantastic book. Why is all that stuff on the my bottom of my screen? There we go, that was weird. And so I wrote down the pages because uh, I needed to. 29. There we go. We are going to start with the Magician. Now, if you saw the last video on, on fighters, well, if you didn't, I'll, I'll be repeating this. Four core classes, Fighter, Magician, Cleric, Thief. First time you play the game, I highly suggest that's how you do it. That's just my personal opinion. I'm not saying you have to. Because they are base, they are core. I wouldn't say they're simple. They still have their own idiosyncrasies, but it's a great way to feel out the game. So Magician is that one. So you're not worrying about Cryomancers and Pyromancers and Witches and all the little weird things that they can do right off the bat. You just start with the Magician. But there's so much more you can do beyond that, and we're going to dive into all that. So the Magician is the Archetypal Sorcerer. My God, I already can't read. Archetypal Sorcerer. Conjurer. Dwayomer Crafter. Enchanter. Evoker. and Thaumaturge. All right, not going to read through all of that right now. Not shortcutting things, but I think you get what the idea of what a, a wizard or mag magician is, right? Only attribute requirement you need is a nine intelligence. That is it. Chances are you're going to have a lot higher than that, because if you're putting a nine here, unless it's maybe in your constitution so that you can stay alive, I couldn't fathom what else you'd be putting it into. And hopefully you rolled better than all nines. Just saying. Even with my die rolling method. You get a 10% XP bonus if you have a 16 or higher in your intelligence. Hit die type is D4. Now, if you watch the old video, do you see why that warlock is pretty dang tough? Even if, even if it only gets up to level three spells. Lime any armor, none. Shields, none. Pretty standard fare for fancy and magic games. Pretty standard fare for Dungeons and Dragons type games. People are out there, I don't understand why you can't wear armor. It's always been silly to me. Well, then play a different game. That's all I can say. This is based on the common tropes of Dungeons and Dragons. You know, part of it's for game balancing. Part of it's to, to you know, encourage a play style. 
And part of it is just because they are tropes, and tropes are there for a reason. Favored weapons, dagger, dark, quarterstaff, and sling. Always include a sling. Yeah, oh, I was going to say it, Omen. Oh, you beat me to it. Always have a sling. Uh, and you, uh, saving throw modifiers are device, so that's bat magical item, and sorcery, spells being cast at you. That makes sense. All right, so what can a magician do? Well, you have alchemy. To practice the sorcery science of alchemy, apprentice magicians learn how to identify potions by taste alone. <laughs> is it a potion or is it poison? <laughs> uh, albeit the practice is not always safe. Right. At seventh level, a magician may concoct potions with the assistance of an alchemist. By 11th level, the assistance of the alchemist is no longer required. I've had players in like D&D complain about, you know, things like that. It's like, why, why can't I just do it right away? Build into it. You, you go, you're supposed to go from zero to hero and nothing exemplifies zero to hero in a Dungeons and Dragons style game, OSR, Hyperborea, than the magician, than the wizard. As Heathen Dog likes to say, you are an investment. You are going to be protected escorted you're gonna peek your head out pew and then you're gonna hide back you're gonna hide behind the guys use your sling and then you're gonna you stay out of everything because you die like that you are a glass cannon without the cannon but once you hit like fifth level sixth level you those then all of a sudden you're like hey where you hold my beer i got things to do and once you get up there on 10th level well maybe not even that high not you know nine tenth level then you are the one everybody else is just kind of there for you at first to protect you now to gather things up so that you can do what you do so if you if you're playing the long game this is how it's done well that alchemy ability taps into that as well okay you can try to identify them at first then you can make them with a little bit of help and then look you're a master at magic, you can just make the stuff without them. So don't complain about the fact that you have to wait till 7th level and 11th level. Familiar. To summon a small animal, bat, cat, owl, rat, raven, snake, etc., of 1d3 plus 1 hit points to function as a familiar. Alright, so what do familiars do? Singular creature with uncanny connection to the sorcerer. Alright. Retaining a familiar provides the following benefits. Alright, good. Within a range of 120 feet, the magician can see and hear through the animal. Okay, so I'm sorry, 120 feet indoors, yards, outdoors, and we will actually talk about that range difference when we get into adventuring in a couple weeks. Sight is narrowly focused, sounds reverberate metallically. The hit point total of the familiar is added to the magician's total. Think about that for a moment. I roll a d4. Let me grab my d4. No, it was a d3. d3 plus one. Was D3 plus one. All right, I got D6 right here. Okay, so I rolled a three. So that's, so one and two is one, two and three is two, so that's two. Plus one, so that's three. Right? So it's one D3 plus one. I got a two plus a one, that's three points. I just dang near doubled my hit points. I now have seven hit points. Well, if I rolled max, you know, that's assuming that I rolled max on the D4. I mean, if you want, I'll roll a D4 for you also. Um, if uh -oh, where's my D? There's my D4. All right, my D4 comes up. Oh, one. Go figure, it's a one. Well, I'm glad I have a familiar now. 
because I went from one to four hit points, and I just threw dice on the floor, and my cats are going to knock them. All right. So I just went from one to four hit points. That's awesome. The magician can memorize one extra spell of each available level. Let's look at this over here. So at level one, I can cast one spell. Well, now I can cast two. Well, at level four, I can cast three and two. Well, now I can cast four and three. See that? Uh, all right. Okay, they use a fifth level uh, magician. Uh, one, two, it's an extra one, two, and third level spell. Yeah, because right here, so you'd have four, three, two. These benefits are lost if the familiar is rendered dead, unconscious, or out of range. The familiar is an extraordinary example of the speed. I'm sorry, the familiar is an extraordinary example of the species. Has a perfect morale score, 12, and always attends and abides the will of its master. To summon a familiar, the magician must perform a series of rites and rituals for 24 hours. To determine the result, roll 2d8. Well, let's do that. Unless there's a d8 that I lost behind me. <laughs> no, I'm just gonna throw them in here. Um so what do I get? What do I get as my familiar? 2d8. I got a 2 and a 7. So that's a 9. I got a cat! My cats aren't familiars. My cats are like anti-familiars. They confuse me. They don't help me. <laughs> anyway. So, well, 2d8. And that's your animal. If the familiar dies, the magician also sustains 3d6 hit points of damage. I want you to think that part through. <laughs> I only had... Three hit points, or four hit points, sorry. One was my base roll. I suffer 3d6. Magicians are not going to let the familiar be put in harm's way. That's just, that's stupid, because I'm, your good uh, referee is just going to attack the, the familiar all the time. Number one, not if you're smart with it. And number two, you know, a squirrel running around trees... Referees don't just run out there and just start killing every squirrel that's running around a tree in the hopes that it's, oh, it's familiar. Okay, that's at least not a good referee. You know, as long as you're not dumb with the familiar, the referee shouldn't be dumb against you. And the magician cannot summon another familiar for 1d4 plus two months. All those ability bonuses are gone. Yeah, four, was it up to six months? Yeah, it could be for up to six, for three to six months. That's why, that's why you take care of it. And it's also why I will openly say you're a dick referee if you go after the familiar for no good reason. Obviously, there are times, you know, especially if the player's dumb. But Now, experience points. Okay, 2,500. That's, that's for base. We'll see what some of the other ones get. But 2,500, notice that they level slower. Yeah, uh, was it, it was 2, 4, 8, 10. No, no, 2, 4, 8, 16. Is there a point where there's actually a, a, a full level difference here? 32. It doesn't look like it. It doesn't look like there's ever a point, but it gets close. So you are going to level slower. Well, that's fine. Their job is to protect you. Read magic, the ability to decipher otherwise unintelligible magical inscriptions, symbols placed on weapons, armor, doors. And, and, you know, this is one of those things that I think should just be incorporated in all. I think most of them do it, but all OSR, you know, old school Dungeons and Dragons type games i hate the read magic spell i do i get why it's there i i actually do support it because it's part of that that game but when games do this i'm happier for it uh scroll used to decipher and invoke scrolls with spells from the magician spell list and by the way the magician spell list is huge compared to the other ones 
unless the scroll was created by a cleric. Scroll writing. To scribe known spells, it's the same thing that we read. Oh, no, we didn't read it this video. We read it last video, so I've got to read it. Um, to scribe a known spell into a scroll, creating a single-use magic device at a cost of 500 gold pieces plus 100 gold piece per spell level. Tools may include the finest vellum, paper, or papyrus, a fresh quill, and sorcerer's ink, such as sepia. This involved process requires one week per spell level. So if you're making a fireball spell, that's a third level spell, at least it should be a third level spell, then that's three weeks and 800, uh, 800 gold. Sorcery magicians cast spells that they memorize from arcane tomes. The number and levels of spell cast per day are charted above. That's what we are looking at up here. And this is what you're familiar. Oops, sorry. This is what you're familiar. You know, gives you bonuses to. That's how many spells you can cast per day of spell level. So you can cast one level one spell to start, but when you're 12th level, you can cast five level one spells, five level two spells, four level three spells, four level four spells, <gasps> three level five spells, and two level six spells per day. Add one onto that if you have uh, a familiar, and you might have a ring of wizardry or something equivalent thereof to give you more as well. Um, the magician's high intelligence gain bonus spells. Also that, yep, intelligence adds to that as well. Also, magicians who retain a familiar. So there are ways of getting more spells. For example, a fourth level magician with a 13 intelligence can cast four level one spells. So let's look at that. Fourth level magician. The 13 intelligence. Four level one spells. Okay. Uh, same magician keeps familiar, cast spells. Okay, let's get that. Again, we don't have to, we're not diving into everything, doing all the math here. A magician begins with a spell book that contains three level one spells, and that is a good number when you don't have to worry about things like read magic. So, uh, what's going on? Yeah, I, I like the familiar rule as well. One of my favorite books, even for third, for third edition of all things, uh, third edition D and D, and you know I don't like third edition D and D, is. And it's a book I also didn't know was by Troll Lord Games, so I'm happy about that too, is the book of familiars that I have down there. I love the way that book works. I, I don't know if it incorporates into this game, so I'm not going to talk about it anymore. We're going to move on with this, but it's a book I thought was very well done. So, new weapon skill. Fourth, uh, eighth, twelfth can become skilled in a new weapon that is not included in the favored, that is not included in the favored weapons list. Okay. So one of the things that I probably should have pointed out in the fighter thing that I didn't is that these favored weapons are already proficiencies. You don't have to take, it's not like second edition where you have to pick one. No, no, you get, you get all these. These are weapons you can use without penalty to start. Okay. My suggestion is always have a sling on you. Always have a sling on you. I, I, it's easy to find a rock anywhere and darts are actually bigger than people think. They're not darts that you throw at the, you know when you're at the bar drinking beers they're they're actually pretty big and you know dagger's good too you know people like the quarter staff because it's iconic also because well what if i get a magical staff well if i have a magical staff i don't want to pe uh, beat people's brains with it because it might break <laughs> um all right enlist henchmen we uh, oh sorry this is the first time here at six level magician may seek or be sought out by one or more henchmen classed in uh, classed individuals typically of similar class so probably other magicians who become loyal followers lordship at ninth level a magician who builds or assumes control of a stronghold becomes a lord and is eligible to attract troops you know in old D&D &D, that was like you built your tower but you know you can build a fort tower whatever carriage you build starting pack now let's look at this for a moment here I'm going to scroll back up 
We talked about this more in the fighter stuff, but we'll talk about it here. This is basically your this is this is what you need to roll to hit. Remember, the fighter started at a 19. Well, the magician starts at a 20. So in order to hit a character with armor class zero, you need to roll a 20 on a d20. What can help you out with that? Well, not too much. Strength, maybe dexterity, depending on uh, if you're using your sling or whatever. And I rolled a five. Guess what? I didn't hit. Now, let's say the creature has an armor class of five. That means you have to roll a 15 or higher. Remember, wizards don't normally have bonuses to these rolls. They can, but they don't normally. So I rolled a nine. I didn't hit. It's hard for you to hit certain creatures. Now, at low levels, you're fighting creatures more in this range than you are, obviously, in this range. But the fighter goes up one per level. So at level one starts out, and actually, we could look at this chart. This chart actually kind of lines up for the fighter a little differently. Think of this as level now for just a moment, right? At level one, a character needs a 19 or higher to hit armor class zero. At level two, it needs an 18 or higher to hit armor class zero. I'm talking about the fighter, not the wizard. Three, you need a 17 or higher. Okay. Plus, they get their bonuses and so forth. Now let's look up at the wizard. The wizard's fighting ability starts at zero and goes up every other level. So not only does it not start at one, it starts at zero and goes up every other level. So this will be, in order to hit armor class zero, you need a 20, a 20, a 19, a 19, an 18, an 18, a 17, a 17, a six. So you can see, you see what I'm doing here. It does not go down as fast as the fighter. This is what the fighter, this casting ability is what the chart looks like for the fighter. So you are not going to be in the fray unless it's, you know, unless you're up here in levels and you're fighting things that the warrior's just cleaving through in, you know, diamond does. Use your abilities to help the party. Your one-shot magic missile is a one-shot magic missile that you've exploded your load at here and you're done. Find things that you can do to help your group out. Not gonna tell you anymore how to play your class because that's up to you. And now we are going to get into not clerics, we are going to get into the subclasses of the wizard. And I wrote down that page too, except for I can't read my own writing. I think it says 61. Yes, okay. We're gonna start with this cryomancer. So there are subclasses to the wizard. Maybe I could have showed those off. Hold on. Um 20. Yeah, so here the wizard. We're gonna talk about the cryomancer. The Illusionist, Necromancer, Pyromancer, and Witch. Okay, and it does show the attribute requirements down here and gives you a brief overview of each one. And I really like the idea of the Witch. I don't know how it plays out, though. So let's start with the Cryomancer. And yes, they can wield sword at higher level. They just don't start with it. But you're right, at fourth level, you can pick a sword. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. FA for the fighter, it stands for fighting ability. For the magician, you're right. I'm putting that on the screen. That's good. <laughs> I'm glad I caught that one. <laughs> so it says uh, table 11, magician fighting ability, FA0. Does FA stand for fucking around? Yep, it absolutely does. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh. All right. The cryomancer is a sorcerer who manipulates, manipulates snow. Ice and boreal winds. Through arcane studies and packs made with glacial spirits, the cryomancer develops a spellbook similar to that of a magician. A cryomancer may be a guild magician of an esoteric branch or an adherent of a secret society. Of the latter, some sects seek to un- wow, some sects seek. <laughs> Say that one three times fast. Some sects 
seek to unlock the genius of a cabal of sorcerers priests who in, in immemorial times dwelt in a floating citadel of ice that housed their dread god. Jeffrey, did you write this up intentionally to be a tongue twister? <laughs> oh, man. The Ashen were okay. Cryomancers garbed themselves in colored robes, revealing their personal ethos. Lawful good cryomancers don pale blue robes trimmed with white and silver. Lawful evil cryomancers will pale, wear pale gray robes trimmed with white and silver. And neutral cryomancers vest themselves in white robes trimmed with pale and blue and silver. Regardless of ethos, most cryomancers believe Hyperborea's great glaciers will cleanse the realm of chaos and usher in a new age of law. So remember, uh, there's lawful good, there's neutral with a lawful bent, and, and lawful evil. Intelligence 9, now we have a wisdom of 9 also. Remember, we, we talked about this, oh, no, I think we talked about it last episode with the, with the Warlock, but uh, there are going to be more requirements to be one of these focused uh, mages. So the, the Cryomancer, the Necromancer, the Pyromancer, etc. Prime attributes are intelligence and wisdom. It dies D4. Already showed off the alignments. Now, favorite weapons are a little different here. We have the axe, the dagger, the dart, the quarterstaff, and the spear. Okay. Saving through modifier, device and sorcery, plus two again. And starting money is 3D6 times 10. You know, I didn't really talk about the magician. And again, it's because I've already done an episode on the warrior and I talked about it. But in case you didn't see the warrior, saving throws here is 16. It's 16 for every type of saving throw in the game. Venom, death magic, whatever. The main difference is, is this character gets a plus two. The Cryomancer gets a plus two to the roll. So maybe your target number is a 16. So that means you need to roll a 14 or better to save versus other sorcery or versus magical device. So once again, you have alchemy. We already, already read through that with the magician. You have fire and heat vulnerability. Minus two penalty to saving throw versus fire and heat effects. I don't like that but it does make sense because you have ice and cold affinity plus two saving throws versus ice and cold effects cumulative with the cold resistance spell. So if you cast a spell also, I would say it's cumulative with your normal sorcery. If it's a cold spell. So that'd be plus four. Icicle once per day per level of experience, evoke a 12 inch icicle to rise slowly from a loosely close, wait, a loosely clenched fist. It glows violet. Not. It glows violet, shedding light in a 15 foot radius. An icicle can function as a single use dagger, melee or missile. Otherwise, it lasts six turns, one hour, before crumbling or melting. We all know the old adage of, uh, of being stabbed with an icicle so nobody can identify the weapon. Read magic, the ability to cipher. Okay, we uh, said that with magician. Scroll use, we said it with magician. Uh, can be anything from the cryomancer spell list. Scroll white writing, same thing as magician. Sorcery, same thing as magician, except where is it? Um, cryomancer can't spell the memorized ranking tones. Glacial spirits, where is it? The cryomancer high intelligence. Cryomancer begins a book, okay, that contains three level one spells uh, drawn from the cryomancer spell list. Remember, you are stuck with the cryomancer spell list. There are different spell lists for Magician, Cryomancer, Pyromancer, yada yada. Because everything else is the same. New weapons that aren't your favorite list are 4, 8, and 12 again. Enlist Henchman, Lordship. 
Cryomancer starting pack. Man, these wizard ones are going to be pretty easy, except that we are now going to look through spells. You know, I forgot to do that for the Magician. I should have done that. Uh, I thought it was 160. Oh, there's Spellcraft. I'm not going to cover this stuff. That there's, there's no segment that is going to cover this. So I'll let it say on the screen for a moment so that uh, you can see that it talks about starting with spells, replacing a lost spellbook. These are things that, honestly, you'll figure out while you're playing. I'm going over the character class. I'm going over the basics of the game. Uh, acquiring new spells. Magician gains a spell uh, with a new level. Independent spell research. This is, there's a process for that. Copying spells is a process for that. Spell memorization. Sorcerers memorize spells, magicians, and other thaumaturgic spellcasters must study their spell books. Where's the time frame? Uh, okay, to memorize a spell, sorcerer must be well rested from a good night's sleep. Afterward, 10 minutes per spell level must be spent preparing. Wow, that's that's okay. A lot of games have kind of changed that to like 10 minutes per spell. This one goes with the old way, 10 minutes per spell level. So there you go. Uh, spellcasting. Reverse spells, spell definitions. All right, we're going to get into spell list now. So, sorry I didn't do this for the first time around, but uh, you're going to see that uh, the magician spells. Look at that. That's a ton of spells. And that's just levels one through three. Italicized spells have water, uh, sorry, have reverse forms. We will look at a couple of these later. Probably when we talk about like uh, combat and adventuring, but we'll see. And here are your level four through level six spells. Whole ton of mag magician. If you want to be a jack of all trades, master of none, you go with the magician. Now, let's look at the cryomancer spells. Chill touch, cold resistance. All right. We also have decipher language. You're going to have some utility spells here. Melt ice. I don't know what that is. Magic ice dart. That's probably magic missile, just with a different name. In fact, I can almost guarantee that's what that is. Freezing hands is probably burning hands again with a different name. Why reinvent the wheel? You know those spells work. Just give it, just give it the feel of, uh, of what the class is, right? Or the subclass is. Shocking grasp. That makes sense. Anybody who's been out on a winter day, you know that uh, it's easy to get shocked. Dissipate gas. What I'm looking for is light, detect body heat. That's kind of cool. Frost sphere. I'll have to see what that is. I'm looking to see if they have uh, a lot of protection spells here. There's shield. Uh, is there an armor spell of some sort? I don't see it. Cool metal. I don't know what that does. Ice armor. Oh, there's ice armor. Okay, ice armor. Second level, though. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, old person. That, again, that makes sense when you think about it. You know, it's kind of like a freezing somebody into place, right? I mean, it might work just like the hold person spell, but you can add that, that touch to it. Uh, Ice Storm, uh, that's always a favorite. Ice Javelin, that's kind of cool. Squall, I don't know what that is. Seems neat. Transformation, Iceberg, Geese. Wow, you get Geese? Okay. Freezing Sphere, it's probably the same as Flaming Sphere, but just, you know, opposite. So, and Control Weather, again, that kind of makes sense when you consider, you know, the theme. So, I'm... A lot less spells. Remember, only one page worth of spells. There we go. <laughs> dissipate gas very woke sounding wow <laughs> wow uh all right ice axe okay that was 168 
So we'll go back to, was it, uh, uh oh. That was a spell list for the Cryo Mansion. Now let's go into the next one, the Illusionist. Illusionist is a magician who specializes in illusion, phantasms, hypnosis, and other sorceries that distort or modify perceptions and attitudes. And I remember Heathen Dog really hated the Illusionist. And I think Biggest Geekus hates it too. Uh, or it just wishes it worded something different. The Illusionist and, and Castles and Crusades. But I like it. I like that it's more than just illusions. I understand the term is illusions, but I like that it's brain foogling. It's mentally manipulating somebody. And we're going to see if that this one does the same because it says it here that distort, modify perceptions and attitudes. So looks like it dives into enchantment charm as well. Uh, the illusions can manipulate and transform lights, colors and shadows into quasi real matter. Like other magicians, the illusionist studies arcane tomes and scripts. Uh, the, these weird, what, curvilinear? Curvilinear texts are nearly indecipherable to most other magicians. Though these, oh, it's though these weirds. I said through these weirds, but though these weirds, curvilinear, that's a word, okay. Illusionists might learn their unique form of sorcery from an esoteric branch of magicians. Okay, we already saw that in Mount, whatever, I don't care. See, dexterity and intelligence? Dexterity. That makes sense, though. To, to manipulate and get that illusion just right. I can see that. D4, an undagger dark quarterstaff sling, so we're back to normal mage stuff, device and sorcery. Alchemy, we read. Colored globe. Once per day per level experience. Evoke a six-inch diameter. Is this going to be chromatic sphere from from uh, from D&D? Uh, six-inch diameter colored globe to rise from the open palm and float within ten feet as directed by the illusionist. Colored globe. Uh, Close any pastel colors chosen by the illusionist. Shedding light. Okay, it's a light orb. Got it. Uh, shedding light in a 10-foot radius. It lasts six turns, one hour, with no need of concentration. Multiple colored globes can be simultaneously controlled if desired. But that's if you can do more than one per day. Okay. So at level one, you can do it for an hour, shed some light on some things. But at level 10, do they have 10 for one hour or one for 10 hours? Uh, feats of, oh, feats of dexterity. That extraordinary. So eight percent form feats of dexterity. I feel like they're turning the illusionist kind of into a little bit of a thief. Perceive illusion plus two bonus to saving throws versus illusions and phantasms. That makes sense. Uh, if the illusionist is that of a sorcerer three or more levels lower than the illusionist, then the saving throw bonus instead equal to the level difference. This is always something I like to see in games. I like a level difference to mean something between spellcasters, so that's cool. Read magic, already done that. Scroll use, done that. Just, it's the illusionist spell list now. Scroll writing, the same. Sorcery, the same. Just illusionist spell list. Hey, man, we're going to get through this uh, wizardly stuff pretty quickly compared to the warrior, right? Wizard. Wizard. It can't trip to alter one's countenance by means of simple illusion. Chin, ears, eyes, hair, lips, nose, teeth. And all such facial features can be altered, including shape, color, thickness, blemishes, and so forth. The illusionist must touch his or her face for one round and imagine the desired features. The wizard is only detectable if a viewer peers closely within 12 inches or cast detect phantasm. Otherwise, the effect lasts for one turn, so 10 minutes, and may be executed once per day from first six level or twice per day from seventh to twelfth level. Regardless of level, any illusionist, any illusionist can see through another. Oh, wow. Okay, well, there you go. So if you're an illusionist, you can see right through it. 
Your weapon skill as before, endless henchmen, lordship. All right. Again, another thing I didn't talk about before because I talked about it in the last video, it's not that important. You, instead of spending money, you can choose a starting pack. Okay, let's uh, let's look at our illusionist spells. Oh, what, what? Hold on. Well, too late now. Okay, sixty-six. Biomancer. Zoom out a little bit here. Auditory glamour, color spray—that's a famous one. Dancing lights, darkness, decipher language, detect illusion. Okay, lots of detections here, and that kind of makes sense. I mean, if you're casting illusions, you're going to want to be able to see through them as well. You're going to want to see, um, you're going to want to see through, not just illusions, but you're going to be able to notice things. You're going to be able to perceive things, right? A visor. Well, it's a, a, a vis, I think it's a play on the word vizier, you know, which is a person who sees. It's like a scryer, somebody who foretells the future and so forth. So I think it's more of a, more of a play on vizier than on the word wizard itself. Uh, terrify, Unseen Servant, because, so again, playing on emotions here. Prismatic Orb, what the hell? Okay. Um, I, I want to look at that one at some point. I'll probably forget. Alter Self, Blur, Captivate, these all make sense. Chameleon, it really seems to pull in abilities. I know they're elsewhere, but from my experience, it seems to pull in abilities from Earthdawn. Earthdawn had a lot of interesting ways that the Illusionist could, uh, Mess, mess with people. Oh yeah, sit earth on. It's time to drink. Invisibility hemisphere. I like, I like the name of that. Uh, Allay exhaustion. Look at that. Again, affecting your morale. These are these are good spells. The illusionist is not is not just a like whatever you can cast illusions. No, there's real stuff here that you can do. I like it. I like this spell list. Maze, illusory wall, rainbow pattern, prismatic spray. Okay, I hate this spell. Everybody who knows me knows I hate this spell. It gets removed from all my games. <laughs> true seeing. I hate true seeing. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I remove the ability. I remove the magic items. I remove the spell from all my games. You can have wish. You cannot have true seeing. But it does make sense for an illusionist to have. Absolutely does make sense for an illusionist to have true seeing. If any other casters get it, say the witch or the magician or whatever, I would remove it from them, but I would not remove it from an illusionist. Okay, uh, that's page. So next we'll be doing page 170. Let me write that down so we can come here quickly. 70. And I think I said we we're from page 66. And if not, we'll be close enough. Necromancer. All right. It was illusionist, right? Yep. Okay, now we're in the Necromancer. This is something that I would play. I've played it. Eh, I'm probably bored of it now, but I played a lot of Necromancers in my life. Too many rainbows in this subclass. Well, those rainbows hurt, though. <laughs> hey, Squirrel Hermit, how you doing? Mirror Image, yeah, that's another good one. That's absolutely a great defensive spell, yeah. Uh, necromancers are odious sorcerers that contact, summon, and control the dead. And Necromancers might us a necromancer might be a magician's apprentice who has renounced traditional learning in favor of black magic or perhaps a deranged sorcerer obsessed with death demonology and witchcraft look this doesn't tell you that the character class is evil i don't know what does all right we're going to skip the rest of it just know that it's that it's a that's poo poo evil people 
Actually, we require intelligence and wisdom again, specialty. So we're going to have the extra in there. Intelligence, wisdom, it gives a 10% bonus. D4, all evil. But that says neutral. You know that's with an evil bent. Okay. Featured weapons. Ooh, you get a sickle. It's, I'm telling you, this is why I would play it. <laughs> and a whip! There you go. I'm going with a sickle and a whip. But actually, again, this isn't second edition AD&D. You're not picking these. These are all ones you get right from the beginning of the game. Death. Notice it's not device anymore. It's death gives you the plus three. So your death saves, you're a little bit hardier when it comes to save versus death or die. All right. Oh, Crafty Matt sent you. All right, Pepe Clifton. Good to see you as well. I'm glad you're here. We, you know, do deep dives of games. We uh, do overviews of games, which aren't going to happen today because this, this, today's session is going to be incredibly long. And we have our opinions and commentary on Friday where things get crazy. It's okay to agree. It's okay to disagree. Just as long as when you're here, you're having fun. So thank you for coming by and uh, thank you for Crafty for uh, sending you here. Read magic. Again, we've gone through this. Scroll use, scroll writing, sorcery. Again, but it's going to be uh, necromantic spells. Not going to read through the things we've already talked about. Uh, command undead. All right, let's take a look at that. Let's take a look at it. And if this was a dog skull, I would, I would take a picture of this and give it to Garthon. Very few of you know what that means, but those who do, you get it. You know what I'm talking about. All right. At third level, cause undead to submit and serve. You will do my bidding. Refer to the cleric class and for regarding for rules regarding turn undead. So it's so it treats it as a cleric, the same as the cleric ability. Okay. Special attention given to the evil command undead. At third level, a necromancer has first level turning abilities. Let's say it up here. Uh it does. Turning ability right there. It's actually command ability, but it's gonna be a turning chart. So you can't do it right off the bat. That's fine. You gotta build yourself into it. That makes sense. Also, you're not a cleric. You don't have divine power. So I'm totally cool with that. Like the cleric, the necromancer must stand before the undead within 30 feet. That's got to be a little scary, right? And speak boldly a malefic commandment whilst displaying a holy symbol. Really? A necromancer has to do it? Okay, or a necromantic symbol, glyph of death. Okay, that, there we go. Hold out that skull before you. All other rules and restrictions can be found at the cleric's aforementioned turn undead ability. All right. New weapon skill, 4th, 8th, and 12th like before. Enlist henchmen, lordship, all of this is the same as before. Where does the big change come in? Well, it comes in with the spells. So let's go to 170 and look at our spell list. At our lovely, lovely necromancer spells. Animate carrion. Black hand. Deciphered language. Because, of course, you, I mean, again, remember, you still are an intelligent class. You're going to want to be able to talk and, with other creatures and learn uh, maybe spells from or magical precepts from other ancient uh, cultures, whatever extermination that just sounds cool and it's a first level spell i don't know what it means probably just magic missile or some crap i don't know but it's called extermination gotta love it scare serpent charm shocking grasp okay zombie visage 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 oh my god i cannot talk i have to get through two more classes too ray of enfeeblement this is a perfect place to put the ray of enfeeblement spell is with the necromancer absolutely ghoul touch which is reversible dance macabre Ooh. I wonder if that's about cudgel of bone. There you go. Love these spells. Cataleptic state. If that's what the name, that's pretty dang cool. Agonizing touch. Heck yeah. Oh man. 
<laughs> you can't have you can't have romance without necromance. Okay, that's nice. I like that. That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> Race shape, empiric touch, fear, inflict madness. Um, yes, shroud of fear, sorcerer's eye, summon demon, white hand of death, racist. Uh, chain. Ooh, chain lightning. Interesting. That's an interesting one because most undead are immune to lightning. Huh. Well, I don't know. Maybe not in this game, but uh, that's an interesting one. Chain lightning. I wonder why that was put into necromancy. Faithful hound. Faithful hellhound. <laughs> Gelatinized bones. Oh my god. Okay, this person has played Earthdawn. <laughs> Drink. Plague rats. Yeah. Necromancer's awesome. Okay, let's uh, got to continue on here. Long, long, long episode today. And I want to get through it, but I have to give you good information. So, we're back to 170. Did I not say enter? Oh. Everything broken? Enter. Oh, wait, no, this is 170, dum-dum. So, let's do that. So, 171 will be the next one. And I don't know what page I'm supposed to be on going back, so I'm just going to 66. And that's the illusionist. So then we have the necromancer. Skip, 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 skip. Okay. And pyromancer. Now it's all about fire. Fire, fire, fire. All right. Pyromancer is a sorcerer, masters the control, manipulation of heat and fire. I bet you this is pretty much the exact opposite of the cryomancer. It's going to have negatives to cold, bonuses to heat. We're not going to read through the rest of that. Oh, uh, do remember, okay, I am going to read this part, because remember, uh, the cryomancers were all lawful, the necromancers were all evil, the, uh, the pyromancers are all chaotic. So pyromancers garb themselves in robes of colors, revealing their personal ethos. Chaotic good pyromancers don red robes trimmed with orange and yellow. Chaotic evil pyromancers wear black robes trimmed with red, orange, and yellow, and neutral... Vest themselves with green robes, weird, trimmed with red and orange. Okay, that's god-awful looking. Nobody wants to be neutral. You don't wear red. You look like, okay, you look like a freaking Christmas hobbit here. What the hell? <laughs> Regardless of ethos, most pyromancers believe that fire and destruction will cleanse the realm of its impurities and usher in an anarchic age of unrestrained chaos. That's one of the things about fire, is fire is the best healer, but it is also, well, it heals through destruction intelligence and wisdom i find wisdom to be comical when it comes to chaos but that's fine prime attributes also intelligence and wisdom alignments gotta be chaotic now what are the weapons a dagger a dart a falcata morning star morning star is kind of interesting that's definitely an interesting hmm i wonder why morning star quarterstaff scimitar short or long these make sense I don't know if I agree with this, but then again, it could be because it's a desert weapon. You know what? That, that could be why, because it's, it's a, it's an Arabian theme thing, which then brings on the, the, the visage of the desert. Okay. I, I can see that. I can see that. It's thematic device. We're back to device and sorcery. Alchemy. Can't, ooh, what is candle? Once per day. I bet you this is the opposite of ice, right? Or this is going to be, instead of the icicle light, this is going to be the candle light. Once per day, per level experience, evoke a heatless candlelight flame to rise from the palm. 
Candle sheds a 15-foot radius of light and can be placed on an object. This effect lasts for six turns. Yep, it is. There you go. Oh, what? It can do damage? Uh, with the gesture, Pyrometric cause one or more candles to singe, each causing one hit point of damage to any creature on which it is directly placed, and possibly enkindling dry combustible materials. Okay, that's kind of neat. And Pyromancers are immune to that. You get a plus two to save versus heat and fire. Minus two. Okay, just, just like the Cryomancer. Minus two to save versus uh, ice and cold. Read magic, scroll use, scroll writing, all the same. Just it has to be Pyromancer. Here, I'll highlight that real quickly. Pyromancer spell list. I actually like the fact that all these wizards are very similar because we can get through them kind of quickly. Sorcery, same thing, just Pyromancer. New weapon skills, add 4, 8, and 12 as per... That's right, I said... I'm a cool kid now. Got your Lordship, Enlist Henchman, and your starting pack. And we've already talked about the fighting ability, which will be next on page 73. I will write that down, 73. And we're going to 171 to go look at some Pyromancer spells. I bet you those spells are very close to the Cryomancer, just with a different name. Also, I'm sure there are some differences, but uh, what do we have here? Burning Hands, of course. That would be a staple of any low-level uh, Pyromancer. Burn everything sounds right. Fire, fire. Flaming Missile. I'm sure this is just Magic Missile with the flame in front of it. This does not mean stop chat. I know you're going to type in chat. No, no. Don't go there. Influence <laughs> normal fire, light, melt ice, uh unseen servant. That's interesting. Okay. Unseen servant. Sorceress armor, me. Ray of enfeeble Ooh, Ray of Enfeeblement for a Pyromancer? Really? Huh. Well, it's there. Flaming Sphere, Flame Blade, Fire Web. That sounds cool. Web but with flames on it? That'd be awesome. Witch fire, fire staff, fire ball, flame arrow. You get the idea. Haste, that makes perfect sense for fire, by the way. I don't know if that was in the Cryomancer, but I hope not. It does not make sense to be a Cryomancer spell, but definitely makes sense for a fire, fire-based spell. Oil, shout, produce bonfire, okay. Sending pass wall, dismissal, death smoke cloud. <laughs> okay. And some of fire elemental, all right. Well, I mean, very focused, but useful spell. Uh, List of spells. And if anybody's never played D&D or any of these OSR games before, it's like, oh my god, it's like, what do any of those spells do? Well, kind of what the names say. How about let's put it that way. And what page is this? This is 172. And I go back to 73. And we have our last one, the witch. This is the most divergent one of all the casters. And one that I remember in second edition I found Interesting. Witches are sorcerers, usually female, who encircle the unwary, lay curses, and confer with demons. Witches are renowned for concocting poisons, potions, and filters, consorting with particular animals and enchanting brooms. <laughs> Gotta have the enchanting brooms, don't you? Like necromancers, witches speak with the dead, and like druids, they commune with nature spirits. They sometimes form a coven, assembling a portentous, oops, sorry, assembling on portentous nights to affect outcomes weird or nefarious. Witches utilize spell books as other magicians do. They are known to venerate demons, otherworldly beings, celestial objects, and death. They are regarded with fear and suspicion, so they often live solitarily out or on the outskirts of society or clandestinely within the walls of civilization. 
desperate people off seek the witch for advice and for malefic favors. But lo, the price may be appalling. A male witch is somewhat rare and may be referred to as a wizard. Oh, okay. I would think it would be a warlock, but we already have warlocks in here. So, <clears throat> intelligence, wisdom, and charisma of 12. Interesting. Okay, intelligence and charisma. This is probably for the convincing factor, convincing you of those portents and so forth. Chaotic good, neutral, and chaotic evil. They're definitely solitary, definitely loners. Definitely do not care about hierarchy. Blowgun. Makes sense. Dagger, dart, quarterstaff, sling, whip. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'll go with the... I'll let you have the whip. Saving throws. Transformation. That makes sense, because remember, turn me into a newt. Um, that, that definitely makes sense for a witch and sorcery. Alchemy. Uh, is this going to be different because sorcery alchemy by taste alone will be... Uh, apart from that, witches do not practice alchemy as magicians and other magician subclasses do. Rather, they practice brew... brew... Detoxion? What? Deco Wouldn't it be concoction? I don't know. Decoction. I've never heard that word before. Jeffrey Talanian is he's increasing my vocabulary. So what does brew detoxion do? To brew a hallucinogen, nausea, okay? Whatever the hell that word is. Paralytic filter, poison, or soporific potion. In a cauldron suspended over a fire. All witches begin with an iron cauldron. Replacing it costs 50 gold pieces. A witch can brew a detoxion at the following schedule. One per month. This is, okay, first, fourth level, one to month. One per month. Jeepers, creepers. Fifth to eighth levels, four detoxions. Okay, we're going we're gonna to slow down. First to fourth levels, one detoxion per month. Fifth to eighth levels, three detoxions per month. Ninth to twelfth levels, five detoxions per month. It takes 48 hours to brew a detoxion. Each is boiled down in the cauldron, retaining a potency that is measured by the witch's casting ability, which is over here. Okay, so pretty much determined by the level of the witch, right? To prepare detoxion, the necessary ingredients, animal blood, organs, parts, roots, fungi, herbs, mosses, etc., can be collected in the witch's native land at no material cost, though gathering them may require one to six days. Elsewhere, ingredients must be purchased at 100 gold pieces per casting ability of potion. So if you're making a, a rank 7 or, or casting ability 7 potion, that'd be 700 gold. A brood detoxion must be imbibed by the victim. So he's got to eat, drink, whatever. A successful death poison, a death saving throw, negates all effects which otherwise take place. So hallucinogens, there we go, cause confusion. For one turn per casting ability. So if you only want to have it on them for 10 minutes, hey, level one, probably easy potion to make. If you want it for two hours, well, that's, that's going to cost you a bit. Nauseate sicken for one hour per casting ability. Natural one save results in, whoa. Natural one save results in death in 1d6 turn. So if you roll your save for a nauseate and you roll a one, you will die in one to six turns. That is 10 to 60 minutes. So not only do you have gut cramps and, and your stomach feels like it's twisting on you and you're vomiting, you're going to die. Opagigens? I, I do not know what this is. It's a lot of double letters here. Opagigens. Never heard the word before. We'll go with it. Opagigens. Opagigens. Uh, cause blindness for three turns per 
CA. Wow, three turns per CA. Natural one means it's permanent. If you roll natural one the same throw, you are permanently blind. Paralytics cause paralysis for three turns per CA. Hey, notice this doesn't have the natural one issue on it. Filters cause unremitting love for Brewer for one year per CA unless dispel magic uh, or remove curse is cast. So, I mean, at its highest, that's uh, 12 years. Could you imagine wooing somebody? Making that person fall in love with you. And then 12 years later, she comes to. I never wanted to marry you. I never wanted to have anything to do with you. You're disgusting. And now we have five kids? What the? <laughs> Could you imagine that? You'd get murdered. Poisons. Cause harm or kill the victim. Okay. Sporifics cause a sleep effect for three turns per casting ability. Oh, the potency of brewed potion depends on the witch's casting abilities. Casting one can brew inge uh, ingestible type ones, type twos, type threes. Okay. See chapter seven sorcery alchemy for poison results. Uh, I don't want to look that up. Guess we're going to have to. So it's page 74 right now, and I'm going to go to page, I think it was 160. Uh, do we have potions in here? Spellcraft, spellbook. Oh, yeah, that's new spells. Oh, don't tell me it's after spells. First spell, so oh, it's gonna be after spells. Spell stacking. Yep, it's gonna be after spells. Dang it. Do 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 that's F's, that's R's, S's, T's. Oh, that's terrain. Moving. Okay, so we're in the adventuring section now, which will be in a couple weeks. Henchmen, to that later. That'll be in a couple weeks also. Adventuring part. Okay, so that's chapter 8. Where, where are the potions? No, those are just spells. I didn't see it in the sorcery chapter, so and I'm not going to dig harder. You can point out a page to me if you want, but it'll be there. You can read more about potions at that point. So, um... Pyromancer, I took the wrong page. Dang it. All right. Familiar. To summon an ancestral. Uh, is this the same familiar rules? Does not look like it. Okay. So the familiar here is different than the magician familiar, so we're going to have to read it. To summon an ancestral, animistic, demonic, or elemental spirit which inhabits the body of a small animal. Okay. So this isn't just summoning a small animal that's of you know the highest class and ability possible. This is actually an elemental spirit which inhabits the body of a small animal, fat cat, oh, whatever, and functions as a familiar. The witch's familiar has 1d3 plus 3 hit points and is of canny, uncanny intellect. To summon a familiar, the witch engaged... Okay, so that's the same. Like the magician's familiar, the witch's familiar always attends and abides the will of its master and has perfect morale score. Otherwise, the benefits differ. All right, so what are the differences? The witch and familiar share a spiritual and empathic bond of unlimited range. At any range, the witch can see and hear through the animal. So that is much better because it was 120 feet for the magician. Witch can do it no matter where. So, you know, the magician would might rather have a squirrel or something where the, uh, the, uh, the witch is probably going to want something more like a, uh, a bird because it doesn't matter. Sight is narrowly focused, sounds reverberate metallically. The following spells, if known, can be cast through the familiar. So you'll have to know them already. They don't come with the familiar, but detect evil, detect illusion, detect magic, detect lots of detections. Detect undead, locate the dead, detect invisibility, detect silence, find traps, locate object, perceive. So 
a lot of scrying type abilities. And that makes sense for a witch. Looking through the animal's eyes, pretending to look through the brewing potion, whatever. That makes sense. I, that's very thematic. If the familiar is killed, the witch must make a death saving throw. A failed saving throw results in 3d6 hit points damage sustained. And we looked at that before. That's going to be a high level witch that can take that. A low level witch is dead. If the saving throw is failed by a margin of five or more, the witch must make a trauma survival test. Even if the witch survives loss of familiars physically and emotionally draining, it takes 3d4 months. Before, wow, that's even more. So that can take up to a year. Uh, the wizard's only six months before the witch can seek a new one. Read magic, scroll use, scroll writing, sorcery. Again, this is all the same, making sure there's nothing specific in here for the... Oh, Dance of Beguilement. At fifth level, the ability to perform an entrancing dance moving in a rhythmic manner to entice a number of human and or humanoid observers equal to the witch's level of experience. The dance requires one turn to perform and victims are usually unaware of the underlying enchantment. A sorcery saving throw made a minus one penalty if fire is employed negates the effects. Save is also modified by willpower adjustment. That's pretty cool. Victims become entranced by the witch, first staring dumbfounded and then enthusiastically desiring to please the witch. Beguilement lasts as long as the witch remains visible. In one victim, the witch can implant a suggestion as per the spell, which the victim is compelled to obey. However, if the suggestion is unreasonable, the victim is allowed a second saving throw to shake off the cobwebs of his or her mind. <clears throat> effigy. At fifth level, create effigy of an enemy human or humanoid. Voodoo doll. It is fashioned from clay, cloth, or wicker. Averages 4 to 12 inches tall and requires no more uh, Requires no more than a crude resemblance to the intended victim. It takes one week to complete the creation. Then the effigy is enchanted by means of a six-turn, one-hour, ritual that requires the handling of a personal item or hair taken from the intended victim. To activate the effigy, the witch must be within eyesight of the intended victim. A final, that's why you know you a lot of times see in the trope where they're hiding in the shadows behind a building somewhere. Ah, I've got you now. It's like, oof, gotta da magia. If final incantation is spoken, if the victim fails a sorcery saving throw, the witch can affect the victim through the effigy as follows. Control the victim's bodily movements within reason like a puppeteer. Stab the effigy once, wounding the victim for 3d8 points of damage. Wow. Pinprick the effigy, causing 1d2 hit points of damage as many times as the witch has levels of experience. <laughs> At uh, 12th level, strangle the effigy. Victim must make a, a death saving throw or die. Now remember, 12th level is the max in this game, so the witch has to get to max level, but wow. Wow, now to be fair, you can only do this once a week, but no, hey. If an effigy victim touches his or her own effigy, the effect is terminated, the spell is broken which also can use this ability in conjunction with clairvoyance spell or the like, manipulating or harming the victim from afar. That's awesome. Oh, another new one, anime broom. At seventh level, transform a normal broom into a magic broom. Following an exhausting 24-hour ritual that involves binding a demonic, ghostly, or animistic spirit, the broom is an intelligent item that can be commanded by the witch. If anyone but the witch attempts to ride at the broom, unceremoniously dumps the violator unless the witch commands otherwise. Broom has a movement of 80. Wow. If it bears one person of 250 pounds or less. So no fat witches. 
in K2 persons whose total weight does not exceed 50, but at a movement rate of 60 moves. A witch can maintain but one magic broom. If it is destroyed, the witch suffers 3D... Well, everything the witch makes hurts her. Uh, 3D6 hit points damage. The broom is considered a creature of armor class 3. Hit dice 7. 20 points. And is susceptible to fire. All right. It functions thrice per day for a maximum period of 6 turns, so 1 hour. So you can use it 3 times per day for 1 hour. Sizes. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm a fat chamber. I don't care. I'm openly a fat shamer. Not people who are trying to lose the weight, but the people who are just fat and they cry about it. Okay, that is it for the magician stuff. We are, this is, I'm telling you guys, this is going to be a really long stream. Really long stream. Um, only halfway through, and this is normally stream end time. I have to get through these, though. I have to get through these. Uh, let me type something here. Well, so, uh, well, here's what I'll do. It's actually good that Heathen Dog's not here uh, because it just allows me to focus on this and uh, we don't have to have a segment two and so forth. We will not be having a segment three today. There's no chance of that. We will have two more character class segments, though. So like, subscribe, share. Once again, that is our streaming schedule. Charity we give to. Those are the core values of playing tabletop roleplay. set up here for the next one um if somebody wants to send gm's alcove a message saying that my stream is going to last well until when his game starts um i'll do that in a moment here so uh what page what page do i start on so druid is 77 get these page numbers done a little quicker this time uh do do, do. Oh, crap, I forgot what the other one was. Was it 23? I'll get the super chat here in just a second. I guess I could start here. So, 21. And then where's the real cleric? Wait. Well, you know what? 21... 24. Obviously, this part isn't going to be in. Uh, the video portion of it, magician. Just want to get somewhat prepared here. Oh my God. And 32. So those are my starting points. You know what? Since that's a starting point here, I do thief next, right? I guess we'll just grab that one right now. Thief is 36. I bet you it's 22 and 25. Let's just make sure. And then I'll get to the super chat. 22. The hell? So cleric subclass overview is 24. Oh, I know why I did that. Okay, so yeah. So that is 25. So it's 21 and 25. 125, so that'll prepare me for the thief. And where is the where does the thief subclass stuff start? Thank you for putting up with this. This is going to make the... Oh, oh my God. You know what? Screw you, hippie. Let's just start at 80. Monk, that's a cleric. Monk is apparently one of those that got, like, the biggest change, and I don't even really know what those changes would be. 
It's a cleric. Monk isn't the type of class that I normally play. Shaman. Oh my god. These things are long. Oh my god, these cleric ones are long. <laughs> Assassin, okay. So that'll be 95. Alright, thank you for putting up with that. Now I can get ready for... Oh, I, I have a graphic on the screen, so you guys couldn't even see all that. That's cool. Pardon me, just moment, if you probably hear me clicking my typing, so uh, I'll be I'll be back here in just. Okay. All right, for the third part of our character classes, this is a crazy long stream, folks. Oh, I got to read a super chat from the last one. We'll get to that in just a second here. Uh, we're going to talk about the cleric and the cleric subclasses. And we're going to do it in the same way that we've been doing the uh, the first two, the fighter and the magician. We're going to read through it. Uh, I'm going to read the, the powers or whatever you want to call them one time. If another subclass already has that power as well, we'll have read it once and you should already be exposed to it. We're just going to read the new ones. So uh, got to get through this. And no, I'm not desperate. I'm not going to skip things. It's just one of those things that uh, that we've got to got to get through. And I appreciate everybody hanging out on the live stream side of that and talking about the live stream side. Those are the core values of uh, tabletop role playing games. That is the charity we support. Please, please, please donate to our charity. That is our streaming schedule: video games with Heathen Dog on Thursdays and Saturdays, and tabletop role playing games on YouTube slash Rumble side on Sundays and Fridays. And of course, our live stream podcast, not a concise step-by-step -step tutorial, which is why we're doing a read-through. Like, subscribe, share. And here we go again. And I have a super chat. Where'd it go? Boom. What's he say here? Game with ADHD. Thank you for the $4.99, sir. Use this to get a monster. Keep going. You got this. I appreciate that. Thank you. I am going to keep going. Uh, so I appreciate it. Crafty says we actually sold the car today. It's Easter. How are you selling cars in Easter? Why are people buying cars in Easter? But thank you, uh, Game with ADHD. I really do appreciate that. Okay, Whew. here we are with Hyperbore again, and now we are going to kick into the Cleric. And so let's uh, start here. Four principal classes. I said it in the other ones. I'll say it again. If you're just starting out, start with just these four. It's not that you have to. It's not that, oh my God, you can't add the other ones. It's just, just start with these four. Keep life a little simple. And then after a character dies, or after you have a little bit more experience, then throw in the subclasses. Not, again, you don't have to do it that way. That is just my suggestion. So what is a cleric? It's an armed and armored ecclesiastical sorcerer who channels the divine. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a warrior priest, right? And then now we go to page 25, which we'll look at the cleric. Oh no, that's, my God, I wrote the pages down and I didn't even get it right. Which we'll look at <laughs> 24, the cleric subclasses. So after the cleric, we're going to talk about the druid, the monk, the priest, the rune graver, and the shaman. Those are the different subclasses. And we will see what is involved with each of those. All right. 
And now we move on to page 32 for the basic cleric. And once again, this doesn't want to go. There we go. Look at that. A cleric with an axe already throwing off expectations, right? Or subverting expectations. The cleric serves as a conduit between the temporal and the spiritual worlds. This staunch warrior, sorry, this staunch warrior and ecclesiastical sorcerer might be esteemed as a fighting chap, chaplain, or holy knight. Feared as an inquisitor and a zealot, or condemned as a renegade and heretic. Typically, the cleric learns the mystical power of sorcery through rites and service, spiritual endowment, sacred mysteries unearthed. This reverent martial sorcerer becomes an oath-bound supplicant to eldritch forces, otherworldly beings, and deific powers. Patrons may include ancestral or animistic spirits, demons, or alien entities scarcely understood by even the wisest of sages. Remember, I, uh, <laughs> the Cthulhu mythos exists here. All right. So, uh, yeah, you uh, might not fully understand who you're getting your powers from or why you're getting your powers. But you know what? You got them. And it's time to go forth in the name of whatever god or demon or entity you serve, you serve, right? Prime requisite. Again, these core classes, these primary classes all have the easiest requirements. Only you need a wisdom of nine. That is it. That is an average wisdom. If you consider three to 18, 10 is average or nine to 12 is average. You're on the low end of that average. Right? You know, 10 and a half. You know. So, Wisdom, if you have a 16 wisdom or higher, you get 10% bonus to your XP. D8 hit die. All right, so much better than the wizard. Or magician, sorry, I should say magician. Much better than the magician. Not quite as good as the warrior, but you know, or the fighter. But hey, you can still, you can still tough out most fights. Favored weapons. There's a lot of them here. I'm not going to read them all. It's not all of them. You do have a limit. But some interesting ones like lasso. You can have a sword. It's okay. Saving through modifiers. Death and sorcery. Well, that makes sense. So, scroll use. Oh no, that was in the last video. I have to talk about it. Uh, to decipher and invoke scrolls with the spells from the cleric spell list. Now, some of the other ones will have a different spell list. Clerics get the, the we'll call it the cleric spell list, because that's what it's called, and it is the one with the most spells in it. Unless the scroll was created by a thaumaturgical sorcerer. So basically, unless it was created by... So some spells have crossovers, right? So if you're read, basically, if you're reading a cleric scroll, you're good. If you're reading a magician scroll, sorry, can't do it. Scroll writing. To scribe a known spell onto a scroll, creating a single-use magical device at the cost of 500 gold pieces plus 100 gold pieces per spell level. So if you're trying to make a scroll of a third-level spell, that would be 800 gold pieces, 500 plus... 300. Materials vary. Some clerics engrave thin tablets of stone, whereas others use vellum or parchment, a fine quill and sorcerer's ink such as sepia. This involved process requires one week per spell level. So again, that third level spell will take you three weeks and must be completed on consecrated ground such as a shrine, fane, or temple. You're not just randomly doing this while you're traveling through the wilderness. Druid might be an exception to that. I said might be. Turn Undead. Now, Turn Undead and Control Undead is something we've talked about a couple of times, like with the Necromancer and so forth, and now we finally finally get to see what it's about. But before we do that, let's take a look at the chart. 2,000 experience points for the Cleric. Okay, interesting. That's low. That's, that's like the Fighter. So far, we haven't seen any 
that are under 2,000. I bet you we will when we get to the thief, but we'll find that out when we get there. 2,000. So just like the fighter, levels fairly quickly, unlike the Berserker or the Warlock or some of those other ones. Okay. Um, actually, I'm going to start here, and I'll go, go to turn undead in a moment. Let's, let's finish up with sorcery, because we already talked about scroll writing, scroll use. Let's get into the spells. Clerics memorize and cast spells, but they do not maintain spell books. Rather, they might bear the scriptures of their faith in prayer books. I really like it when a character or a player writes out like a little mini catechism type thing. I give bonus experience points for that. And actually writes the prayer as one to three different invocations. I don't demand it. I like it. Uh, you know, especially in a polytheistic world, I like to see how they invoke the different gods. In a more of a monotheistic, I worship one, whether it's polytheism overall or not. Um, you know, if you focus on one God, then I like to see how you how you invoke those prayers. I, I do. That's just like I said. Like to see it. I don't demand it. The number and levels of spells cast per day are charted above, and that's right here. So, and wisdom will affect this, and I think I'll talk about that in a moment. But at first, keep my most. At first level, you get one spell. Hopefully, you can see the highlighted on the screen. At sixth level, you get three first level spells, two second level spells, and two third level spells. Again, bumped up by that's per day, by the way, bumped up by your wisdom. So you can cast three first level spells per day, three second level spells per day, two third level spells per day, all the way down to here. Now, remember, you're also a fairly decent fighter. Are you at the level of a fighter? Well, sort of, but no. At first level, you are. You have the same fighting ability as a fighter. You just don't necessarily have the same maximum hit points as the fighter. But you both start fighting ability one. If you watch the fighter video and then watch the magician video, you will know the magician started zero. That means the magician has to roll a 20 to hit armor class zero. You only need to have to roll a 19 to hit armor class zero. But it stays one at level two. And it bumps up. That bumps up again, stays. As you can see, you gain two every three levels. So down here, the fighter has a 12. The magician has, oh, is it a six? I think it is. Or is it a six? Well, oh, zero, zero, one, one, two, two, three, three, four, four, five, five, five. So you're definitely better than the, the magician, but not as good as the fighter. But that's fine because you can still wear decent armor. You still have a decent amount of hit points. You can turn undead. You can cast healing spells and other spells on top of that. And these are 1 through 12. They gain... Oh, can't do it that way. Casting ability and turning ability are 1 per level. No stops, no skips. All good. So, and saving throws look the same as everybody else. Uh, da, 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 uh, was the number in the, in the chart above, which we showed, the clerics of high wisdom gain bonus spells per day, which we talked about last week. For example, fourth level cleric with a 13 wisdom can cast three level one spells and two level two spells per day. So, because I don't think, what level is that? A fourth level cleric, level four. Oh, that would, because that person gets a bonus of one first level spell, but doesn't get any second level spell bonus. Or is it one of each? Hold on can cast three level one, two level twos. Yeah. So that person with the 13 intelligence, I just didn't want to go look at the chart, would have a bonus first level spell. Unfortunately, wisdom isn't high enough to get a bonus second level spell. That's the point of it. Clerics begin their careers with knowledge of three level one spells. And I really like this. A lot of times D&D is like, have access to every single spell in the book. Just figure out which one you want to pray for in the morning. No, no. You get three spells. Basically, you have three... Uh... 
catechism items, three Bible passages, whatever you want to call it, three, three holy things that you've been trained in, three creeds, you know, like the Nicene Creed or whatever. You have three things that you can do that you are part of that you can invoke and turn into a miracle of sorts. Sacred mysteries revealed through initiation to a sector cult devoted to an otherworldly power, deific being, ethos, I'm sorry, that's beginning their powers. Uh, uh, yeah, three spells, secrets, my mysteries revealed through, there you go, the initiation of the sect. That's what it is. Clerics develop three new spells at each level gain, but they must be of castable levels. So if we go up here and I bump up, so from here I have three spells, right? Now I'll have six spells because I'm only going to get first level spells, right? At this point here, you get to choose. Well, how do I want it? Do I want three second level spells? Do I want two second level spells and add another to first? So I have two and seven. That's up to you. You get three spells when you gain level. These spells are drawn from the cleric spell list. And of course, the other spell list for the type of cleric, I guess, yeah, cleric subclasses that they are. Level gain, but they must be of castable levels. Typically, they are acquired via spiritual revelation, otherworldly favor, and the piercing together abstract theologies. Such spells are learnt automatically with no need of qualification rolls. So you're, again, you're writing in your little catechism, and all of a sudden you have a an economical or an, or an epiphany. I was going to say an economical breakthrough, but we'll say you have an epiphany. Lord came down and you saw some more holiness and you can do some other things. Okay. Now, Clerics get the ability to turn undead. Of course, evil clerics will have command undead. This is turn undead. All clerics can exert control over undead and some demonic beings. That's something that I think has been lost in D&D to some degree. A lot of people forget that demonic beings can be turned. Causing them to flee and or cower. Evil clerics can opt instead to compel submission and service of these foul creatures. In either case, the cleric must do the following. Stand before the undead within 30 feet. That in and of itself is scary. That's why you have to have faith. You have the conviction of your faith because those things are ready to chew your eyeballs out right now and you're standing before them. No, the power of Christ compels you. The power of Cthulhu compels you, whatever. <laughs> and you must speak boldly a commandment whilst displaying the holy symbol. The referee must cross-reference the cleric's turning ability with the undead type to determine the cleric's chance of success. The referee may ask the player to roll a d12 to determine the outcome. And uh, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, or the result may be fixed. The results are as follow. D12 score equal to or less than the number indicated. T means turn. So when we look at the chart, T means turn. And T means not turn. And that's if you roll greater than the number indicated. So that is the target. So if the target number says six, you roll six or less, it's turned. Okay. Target number says six and you roll seven or higher, it is not turned. But then there's also destroyed and ultimate destruction and i don't really understand the difference because it says our exercise destroyed crumbling to dust and this one says the same thing exercise destroyed crumbling to dust so i don't know what the difference is but uh oh clerics of above average charisma are more commanding hence their chance in 12 is improved by one so if you have a four and 12 chance it's now a five and 12 chance we'll look at that Frequency of turning undead. This ability can be used a number of times per day equal to the character's turning ability. So we come up here at level one. It's just equal to your level. So at six level, you have six turns, which I kind of like because you can do it six at one pop or you can do one now and save them for later. Like, I will turn you. I will turn you. I will turn you. Will turn you. Oh, wait, I, I just lied. I just lied. Well, sort of lied. 
However, the cleric can make but one attempt per encounter unless a second wave of undead arrives. And here's the turning chart. You roll a d12. And it's based on type. So your turning ability is down here. If you have turning, it's so at 12th level, you ultimately destroy levels. These are usually skeletons. These are usually zombies. I don't know, gas. Right? I don't, I don't know what they all are. Up here, you've got your liches and vampires. Okay? So you automatically turn things like race and specters and so forth. You destroy your... I think mummies are actually pretty high as well, so I don't know what's down here. Anyway, it will tell you in the creature's description what type it is. I did like that second edition AD&D actually gave examples of each type, but that's fine. Each type, if you come across a zombie, that's probably type one or two. And I hate that I can't highlight columns. Um, and you're level three, you automatically turn rank ones. Okay. But if you roll a 12, it, uh, and you roll that D12. Where's my D12? Let's see what I rolled. Let's see if I turn category two. I rolled a six, so I did. I rolled a 10 or less. Actually, would have got category three also. Would not have got category four, even with a charisma bonus. All right, how to turn multiple undead types. If multiple kinds of undead are met in single encounter, only one D12 roll is required. The same result is applied to each undead type. Those of the lowest undead type are affected first, and that is the same as D&D, at least uh, second edition D&D. Okay. Evil command of undead. A cleric of evil alignment may opt to exercise control over the undead on a successful turn undead check. Such undead remain under the sorcerer's sway unless turned or commanded by another sorcerer of equal or greater turning ability. Up to two hit dice of undead per turning ability uh, can be controlled. If a neutral cleric attempts to command undead, and he or she will have turned to a darker path, submitting to evil and no longer of neutral alignment. Really? That's lame. That's okay. I, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like it. I don't like it. I get the idea of it not being natural or something, but neutral should have access to both turning and commanding, depending on what tool is needed at that time. But I'm not here to counter the game. I'm here to tell you what's in the game. So, uh, I would probably do something more like the old first edition Dragonlance uh, mor uh, morale ticker. But again, your mileage may vary on that. Hmm, look at those creepy crawlies. New weapon skill, like uh, most of the classes at 4, 8, 12. Remember, um, let me say this again so I don't have to say it in the future, even though I probably will. The cleric has access to all these aren't like, uh, you know, AD&D where you pick weapon proficiencies like, OK, I'm going to pick lasso and spear. No, no, you can use all of these up front. Now, if you want anything that's not on this list, well, you'll get one at level. Uh, where is it? <clears throat> you'll get one at level four, one at level eight, one at level 12. Enlist henchmen. Six level cleric may seek or be sought out by one or more henchmen classed individuals typically of a similar class, race, culture, who become loyal followers, so probably people of the faith who want to defend the faith more. Lordship at ninth level cleric who builds or assumed controls of a shrine or a temple becomes a lord and is eligible to track followers and troops. You have now you are now a bishop of your realm, cardinal of your ministry. And you can choose to, instead of spending money, but to use a starting pack. And the starting pack for the clay. If you don't want to spend the money, you just want to you know quickly jump into play, studded armor, 
Dagger, Warhammer, Backpack, Bandages, Silver, Holy Symbol, Holy Water, Soft Leather Pouch, Iron Rations for one week, Small Sack, Tinderbox, Torches, three of them, Wine Skin, which is full, probably of water, or maybe Sacramental Wine, I don't know, Riding Stick, and 1d4 plus one gold pieces. And here's the combat. We already talked about the combat matrix, but uh, at level one, because you already have Fighting Ability one, Fighting Ability zero would mean that you had a 20, but no, you have Fighting Ability one, so you need a 19 to hit Armor Class zero, you need a 12 to hit armor class 7. And when you go up in, a lev uh, in level, well, that will adjust over. This bottom will move to the right. So that 12 will become an 11 to hit armor class 7. And a level higher, become 10 to hit armor class 7. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yes, Jim Jones of your very own island. There you go. All right, now let's look at the subclasses of... And we'll start with the druid. So let's go up here and hit page 77. Druids are spiritual and oftentimes temporal leaders of tribes and communities, both settled and nomadic, of typically Celtish and Pictish ancestry. They're sorcerers priests who obtain their abilities from ancestral, animistic, and elemental spirits. Druids also draw strength from celestial objects such as sun, moon, stars, Saturn, and Saturn's moons. Remember, this game is a far future, like 4 billion years from now Earth, where our sun is a red giant and this landmass is floating around Saturn. Okay, remember that. Uh, some druids are said to derive their sorcerer's gifts from neutrality itself. A druid typically wears a helm capped with the head of a bear tiger or wolf and affixed with the antlers of a stag. The motion of the heavens is of portentous pretentious concern to the druids so they care about things like astrology and positions and mercury ascendant and all that stuff well mercury doesn't exist anymore but you know what i'm saying whose hierarchic orders assembled during the most significant astronomical phenomena wise and philosophical druids often strike out on their own but to their own order they must answer when the call to assemble is issued all right attribute requirements Wisdom 9, Charisma 12. Again, interesting. Interesting on that Charisma part, but it might be, you know, for the purpose of getting followers or to uh, entice animals or something. I'm not, not sure. Uh, but if you have both Wisdom and Charisma at 16 or higher, you get a 10% XP bonus. Typical D8 hit die type alignment is neutral or, un, you know, ambivalent, unaligned, whatever. Uh, armor allowed light or medium. Shield slot any I'm surprised it doesn't say uh no metal or something like that. Uh oh my god. Charlotte! Bad joke! Bad joke. I read that. <laughs> oh saving throws. Uh, uh death plus two, sorcery plus two. Again, like your clerics. Alright, druidic tongue. Secret language of the druids. It has its own runic alphabet. Describe it, however, is forbidden to all save the highest ranking druids. Ninth level or greater. Don't get caught. Fire and heat affinity. Oh, that's interesting. Plus two bonus to saving throws. Yes, it is in my head. No, thanks. Uh, plus two bonus to saving throws versus fire and heat related effects. Cumulative with fire resistance spell. That's an interesting one to me. But I guess, be, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I fully understand that, but I'm not going to argue it. Because they tap into all elements, don't they? whatever natural identifications a spiritual connection with nature provides recognition of potable water that's important when you're out surviving the general classification of plant types edible poisonous curative and the general classification of animal types carnivorous 
herbivorous, diurnal, nocturnal, aggressive, docile, natural, unnatural. Okay, I like that. Scroll use, we've already talked about that, except in this case, it'll be for this druid spell list. Scroll writing is the same, uh, except for your consecrated uh, area is a grove or a henge. Sorcery, again, uh, they write their stuff on clay tablets, oak bark, parchment, and so forth, bones, whatever, and druid spell list. And spell list, we'll see, is pretty much the same as clerics up here. Actually, I shouldn't say pretty much the same. It's the same as a cleric up here. Fighting ability, casting ability, all match the cleric. Even XP matches the cleric. Traverse overgrowth. You can negotiate natural overgrowth. Briars, brush, tangles, thorns, vines at normal movement rate without leaving a discernible trail if you so desire. So not only are you not slowed down, you don't have to leave a trace. And that's from the beginning. It doesn't say a level there. New weapon skill uh, at 4th, 8th, and 12th. Uh, charm immunity at 5th level. So you have to wait till 5th level for this. You're immune to the supernatural charms of magical beasts that encircle and beguile. Think of this as, uh, oh, well, it says Greater Gorgon, Harpy. There you go. Satyrs, Man of Lang, things, you know, Sirens. This immunity does not apply to the charm spell of sorcerers, though. We're talking the natural abilities that encircle. Shape change. At level 5, the power to assume the form of a normal animal of small size. Small size. Once per day. Choices include amphibians, birds, birds fishes, mammals. I like the fact that fishes are added. It's always one thing that drove me crazy about D&D. Mammals and reptiles. Frog or salamander, crow or eagle, carp or trout, raccoon or squirrel, snake or turtle. As examples. At 7th level, a medium animal. Now we got bears and boars and deers and big dogs and hyenas, mountain lions, snakes. Wolves. And Druid assumes creatures armor class movement and tactile abilities except venom. Oh, disease transmission, other attacks. Sorry, you do not get to have snake venom. However, personal hit point maximum saving throws are retained on shape change. 50% of any prior hit point loss is regained. It's always kind of been a trope of the Druids in Dungeons and Dragons and like games all clothing armor weapons and items are transformed so this isn't like what is it the the beastmaster from the fighters where, where you turn the incredible hulk and you rip all your stuff no this is transformed with you magic items enchantments cannot be accessed during the shape change period though the powers of a magic ring can be utilized if worn before transformation shape change lasts indefinitely notice said true who maintains animal form for more than 28 days Okay, I'll go with it. Risk the loss of humanity. I was about to say, I would say 29 days or 29 and a half days, uh, you know, for the cycle of the moon. But then I remember, oh, wait, we're floating around Saturn now. So that doesn't, that doesn't matter anymore. You can get henchmen. Other furries to join you. Uh, Druidic hierarchy, hierarchy, hierarchy. Druidic society has a strict and far-reaching structure. I have a whole video about this when it comes to Dungeons and Dragons uh, on a Gatekeepers episode we did about a year or so ago. And this is one of those things that I really get angry when Dungeon Masters hand wave in D&D. But let's see how it is handled here. Druidic society has a strict and far-reaching structure. The Druidic hierarchy and Hyperborea comprises nine ninth-level Druids, seven tenth-level Druids, five eleventh-level Druids, three twelfth-level Druids. When a druid game, okay, so I mean, at least it's better. It's three instead of just one. Uh, the druidic triumvirate. When a druid gains enough experience points to reach ninth level, he or she must seek out and challenge one who has already achieved that rank 
unless a vacancy exists, you know, druids can die. A challenge is met at a sacred grove or henge during astronomical astrological event of significance. Uh, when members of the sect uh, assemble, the druidic challenge can be one of matched weapons and or sorcery. In any case, rites are performed that bring to witness a deity such as Luna, uh, Lunaqua, uh, Thamagora, or Yunde, or agent thereof. The duel is not necessarily to the death, but loss of life is possible. A defeated but still living druid is reduced in experience to one experience point short of ninth level. Okay, that's, that's actually kind of nice. Instead of bringing it all the to one experience points above eighth level, it's bringing it to one short of ninth level and must abide one year of waiting before issuing new challenge or rematch. So, you know, you may as well not even adventure for a year. Screw it. You only need one XP, right? <laughs> it's not like the XP, you can do anything with it. But hey, whatever. A victorious challenger is promoted to ninth level, awarded appropriate abilities. This process repeated in similar fashion. I will tell you this very few times, bordering on the never. Have I seen a dungeon master impose this stuff, or sorry, referee in this style game? And it drives me crazy. It it really does. Um, it's one of those things that uh, that is part and parcel to the class, and you really lose a lot of what the class means when you take it out. But the characters, the players don't want to deal with it, and it sucks when they lose. Blah blah blah. Well, you know, that, that's too bad. All right, again, this is important. I normally wouldn't do this, but this is important. Uh, I'm supposed to be doing something else right now. <laughs> this is going long, and I'm just making sure everybody knows that this is taking priority. All right. Um, now, Lordship. Again, we got Lordship, which we've already read. Longevity. Now, this is a cool one. At 11th level, aging process slows. For every 13 years, very druidic of you, one hyperborean cycle, the druid effectively ages one year. Cool. Uh, starting pack and the, uh, what do you call it? Uh, combat matrix, the fighting ability. Oh, oh no, no, never mind, never mind. I was reading it wrong. So yeah, it starts with fighting ability one. All right, monks. Now this is one that I hear in third edition took a lot of change, but I got to be honest with, or, or took on a lot of change, but I've got to be honest with you. I don't know the second edition one well enough. You probably can barely see the book back there in my second edition books uh, to be able to, in, to note any differences. So if you guys in chat know the differences between the second and third edition monk, go ahead and type them up if you want. It doesn't really matter because we're just presenting this book as it is. I'm not trying to do a comparison, but all right. So 12th level dual lost to a ninth level, just have an accident, create a vacancy. <laughs> you could, yeah. <laughs> not sure that the monk or the, uh, what do you call it? The druidic nature of, uh, of the character would be okay with that, but hey, you know, whatever. The fighting monk is a priest and warrior, an anchorite, an ascetic dedicated to physical expertise and mental discipline. This is your Tibetan monk. A monk might be a Cenobite or friar serving a monastic order, contemplative who abstains from speech in favor of meditation or prayer, a mendicant begging for alms in poverty-stricken streets, an initiate of a forbidden cult or a mountaintop lama reincarnate. 
Again, thank you, Tibetan monk. Uh, Uh, monasteries typically are secluded, located atop mountain cliffs, within vast caves, or on remote islands. Others might exist in, exert, uh, in urban environs or their clandestine un underworlds. A monk's monastery need not subscribe to a specific faith or deity. Rather, it might advocate an ethos of chaos, law, or neutrality. And it's one of the few... Again, I don't like it falling under a cleric for that, but... I, I I get it. I mean, where else do you put monks? I, I see them more as fighters than clerics, but I get it. And when we get through the powers and so forth, look, you can call me wrong. I don't care. I'm just saying that's how I feel. Um, monks do not cast spells. However, they channel their ka, the Marians call it ki, to empower themselves in other ways. Many monks engage in lengthy walkabouts, expeditions through which they seek to expand their knowledge of the world and their own humanity. Strength, dexterity, and wisdom are important. Why would dexterity be? Because, again, it's, it's about sound body and mind. Prime attributes are dexterity and wisdom. Hit die is d8 still. Remember, they are priests. Armor allowed none. Shields allowed none. Notice, none. None, 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 none. And favored weapons are pretty much anything except for, look, look at the theme. No great axes, no great hammers, no great maces. Basically, these, all these weapons right here are weapons you don't use with precision. Yes, you can use an actual axe with precision. A great axe is just meant for slashing and clubbing people. Well, what about a polearm? Polearm isn't used the same way. A great axe is just swing big mighty thing and try to cut it in half. A saving throw, transformation, avoidance. All right, let's uh, look at uh, we'll look at the chart first since it came out. Now the monk has a 500 XP bonus uh, or bo bonus uh, penalty, I guess you'd call it. It needs 500 more XP to level up, so its experience is slower. So chances are that it has something that goes with that, and well, I can see it right now on the chart. Fighting ability. The bad part is the fighting ability starts at zero. What does that mean? The other priest started a one, right? Or, or a cleric started at a 1. That means uh, uh, to hit armor class 0, they roll a 19. Well, the monk starts at a 0, which means hit armor class 0, he has to roll a 20. Well, if this is supposed to be some sort of martial arts, why would, why would it be uh, a harder? Well, we'll get into that. The good news is, though, is it goes up 1 per level like the fighter. Now, the fighter ends at 12. This fighting monk will always be 1 level lower than the fighter but it is going to equal the priest here and then start passing the priest or the other clerics. So ultimately, and think of it like that investment concept, right? That we talked about with the, uh, uh, with the wizard, same thing, spent a couple levels of investment here. And now you've got a character that is fighting better than a, every other priest, just a tick under 5%, technically speaking under the fighter. It's an AC bonus, which we'll look at in these abilities here below, and empty hand damage bonus. So we'll we'll check uh, check that out. And I guess he's cool class bonus. Remember, uh, I say this for the people who play new games and not old games. Oh, I like feats of third edition and fifth edition. These things, these class abilities, are feats. They're just more prescribed, less optional, and more prescribed. 
Think of them as feats if you want, as talents from other games, but they're class abilities. Look what this guy gets. Deflect a fired arrow, bolt or bullet. Yes, you read that right. Sling bullet. Likewise, a hurled axe, boomerang, dagger, dart, javelin, spear, or like weapon. Even spells such as flaming missile, magic ice dart, magic missile, and acid arrow can be blocked. Magic missile, which normally can't be stopped by anything, you could pull that out of the way. Siege missiles, giant hurled boulders, and like, do not apply. Okay, you are not going to a big-ass boulder coming at to repel a missile, the monk must make an avoidance saving throw. So, what are the saving throws? Well, let's look up here. Saving throws are 16, 16, 15, 15, 14. Okay, you know, it's a standard saving throws, right? Um, does avoidance, do we get, uh, yep, avoidance is plus two. So, the 16 is really a 14 for avoidance. So, first level, you have a 30% chance, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, uh sometimes 35 percent chance 35 yeah that's it's not more than 50 your first level shut up a 35 percent chance of blocking an arrow that is shot at you the monk must drop anything held to use his ability which can be attempted as many times per round as the monk has levels of experience at sixth level okay that'll be a 12 right because you get the plus two and what is that percentage-wise? Uh, 40? Is that what it is? Yeah, because this would be uh, 35, 35, 40, 40, 45. So 45% chance. And you can do it six times per round. So yeah, more than 50% of them are, just gonna, are still going to come in and get you. But you know what? If you can block 50% of them, all right. Cool. Uh, all right, cellular adjustment. Once per day, superna supernaturally alter cells to heal physical damage equal to hit points per level of experience. Okay. Once per day, you can heal yourself like a paladin's lay on hands. Actually, <laughs> kind of more like the fell paladin's uh, sap, uh, sapping hands or whatever it's called. But hey. Alternatively, the monk may confer this healing onto an injured ally. Oh, well, look at that. <laughs> also, once per week, the monk can purge him or herself or another of disease or poison. Okay, so this is dang near a paladin. Cure the spells, cure disease, neutralize poison, though not lycanthropy. So, this is the paladin ability. Controlled fall. To retard descent of precipitous falls for every level of experience the monk can fall 10 feet and sustain no damage again a six level monk falls 60 feet and just walks away for falls beyond the monk's limit normal rules are enforced starting at the point which the control fall no longer applies so a fifth level monk plummets down 90 foot pit thus sustains four hit points of or 46 hit points of damage unfortunately we won't get to that until i start talking about adventuring which will be a couple weeks from now but um, I'm sure that's uh, a lot less than what it was normally going to be because what a fifth level monk can do 50 feet. So this is probably it's probably one uh, d6 per 10 feet. That's my guess based on just kind of putting two and two together. So instead of being 96 of damage, it's 5d6 of damage uh, or four. I'm sorry, 46. I can't subtract apparently. Uh, but we'll worry about that later. Point is, you can fall. 
defensive ability to avoid and deflect blows and damage through physical, mental, and spiritual key uh, or kaki mastery. The monk gains AC bonus that increases as levels of experience are gained. Remember, the monk does not wear armor. So uh, the monk has to be careful of being hit. But the monk gets this AC bonus over here. This is also why you probably want a pretty high dexterity. You know, yeah, it only caps out at plus six, which I don't even think is as good as plate mail. But hey, you're wearing no armor. Gotcha going on with that barista. <laughs> oh. Find secret door and base three and six chance. That's 50% chance to find a secret door. Empty hand, master of the unarmed attack. Hand, foot, knee, elbow, etc. The monk enjoys the following benefits when fighting without a weapon. That's right, I translated some French for you. Two attacks every round. Doesn't say this starts at level five, level 10, whatever. Or you have to have weapon mastery to do this. No! You start out of the gate. Two attacks. Every round. Although it does require two free hands. Weapon-like damage. The monk may use cestus. Leather thongs wrapped around the hands and weighted with iron or lead for plus one damage bonus. By the way, empty hand damage is 1d4 plus strength, right? Perfection of body and mind. And you add another plus one to that. Let's say you have a plus one to your strength and now plus one to the Cestus. That's 1d4 plus two. You're doing just uh, three to six damage. It's not bad. That's not bad at all. On a natural 20, a stunning blow can be delivered. A smaller medium creature must make a transformation saving throw or be stunned for 2d7 rounds. Or, wow, did I say 2d7? I was reading the seven over here. 2d4 rounds. At 7th level, large creatures can be stunned, but they're afforded a plus 4 bonus to save. Does not affect undead constructs, oozes, yada, yada, things that can't be affected. At 5th level, the empty hand is equivalent to a magical weapon and gains a plus 1 hit bonus. At 12, you get Quivering Palm, the famous Quivering Palm, infamous to some. If hit, the victim must make a death saving throw or die instantly. Otherwise, normal damage applies. All right. Extraordinary, uh, so plus 8% to feats of dexterity. Run to move swiftly as a tiger. If unarmored, achieve a movement rate of 50. At 7th level, 60. That's crazy. This is why it's 2,500 XP. Oh, we're not done yet. Looks like we have a whole more, another page of stuff. Superior willpower. Plus two bonus to saving throws versus any sorcery that would influence mind, including illusions, charms, etc. Okay. And it's cumulative willpower. 4, 8, and 12. Become skilled with a new weapon that is not included in the favors weapons list. So now you can learn your giant weapons. <laughs> okay. Now you can get your giant weapons. If you were mad about it before that you couldn't have your Final Fantasy sword, now you can have your Final Fantasy sword. At 5th level, you can uh, enter Deep Trance, which amongst can feign death. Oh, that's what Catalyptic State is. Oh, okay. Okay, that isn't what I thought it was going to be, but uh, now we know. You're like, what are you talking about? Well, in, when we talked about uh, Necromancers back in the previous video. Got it. Endless Henchman, we know what that is. Lordship, longev wait, Longevity. At 11th level, Aging Process slows. This isn't a Druid, this is a Monk. 
You have become a master of even your own body. For every 13 years, one cycle, the monk effectively ages one year. But wait, there's more! <laughs> Progressive thief abilities. Monks practice a few thievish skills. The following thief abilities progress as the monk advances in levels. All right. So you get climb to ascend or descend sheer cliffs or walls without the need of climbing gear as a thief of equal level. If vertical, the surface must be rough or cracked. You're not climbing up ice. Okay. But if there's some cracks in there, you can do it. At least one check must be made per 100 feet of climbing. Failure indicates climber slipped and fallen at about the midway point. So for every 100 feet, so it'd be at 50, 150, 250, so forth. Discern noise. To hearken at a door and detect the faintest of noises on the other side. Perceive the distant footfalls of wandering monster and distinguish a single voice in a crowd as a thief of equal level. Six rounds, one minute of concentration, listening, concentrated listening are required. Hide to vanish into shadows, camouflage oneself, ninja, or flatten one's body to a seemingly impossible degree. All whilst remaining still as a statue. This ability is performed as a thief of equal level. Only the slightest movement is permissible. Hiding is impossible in direct sunlight or if the monk is observed. Duh. Move silently. To move with preternatural quiet, even across squeaky floorboards. Dry leaves. This is, uh, what's at the beginning of the Kung Fu show? If you can walk across the white uh, rice paper without uh, ripping it or whatever. It's been like many, many, many years since I saw that. But yeah. Uh, dry leaves, loose debris, and the like. As a thief of equal level, this skill is executed half the monk's normal movement rate. That's fine. And again. We have the combat mix. Notice that again, it starts at initial fighting ability zero, but it goes up one per level instead of one, uh, two every three levels like the rest of the priests do. Now we have the priest. Oof. Yep. We're at four hours. Oh, I'll, I'll be getting to five hours, no problem. Yes, this is going to be a long stream. Look, we, we're doing a deep dive. I've, I've got I've to pop into it. So I appreciate you guys all hanging around. Those who watch it later, hey. Um, appreciate you too each one of these videos is gonna you know it's going to deep dive into this we're going to talk about each and every one of these because well one i want to present it to you and two to be fair i haven't played any of these for third edition so i can't just sit here and say oh this is what the priest does i have to, i have to do it through the read-through but i know you i know you're not uh not complaining i'm just uh that out there Priest, the priest is an ecclesiastical sorcerer of limited martial skill but superior mystical capability all right. Govern themselves in raiment from simple to elaborate as befits the belief system. Dwell wherever mankind practices faith, city-state, where an otherworldly being such as Zakwatha is worshipped. And if I'm saying the names wrong, I don't care. <laughs> a simple village where Helios is revered. A fortified manor house where a goddess of the hunt, Yunde, is venerated. Or perhaps underworld guild of thieves who tithe to the god of trickery and luck rel. Some priests may dedicate their lives to banishment of undead and demons. Others may represent a holy order of mystery whose mission is just uh, scarcely understood i bet you these guys get more spells but they have the fighting ability of wizards or, or sorry uh, uh, magicians i bet you i might be wrong we'll find out all right um you know spiritual and political advisors knights lords uh all right wisdom charisma nine that makes sense because you're trying to you know you need to be wise to provide the advice but you also want to tend to the flock and you need both Wisdom and Charisma to get 10% bonus. D4. Oh, there we go. We're starting it off. Hit dice D4. Wizardly. We're talking, you know, just like the, the Magicians. Alignment any. Armor allowed none. Shields allowed none. Favorite weapons as the Magician. Plus a whip. <laughs> so, save versus death and sorcery and starting money. All right. Scroll use. We already, uh, we've already talked about scroll use. Scroll and scroll writing. 
And so let me just make sure there's nothing in here that pops out at me that shows that they get a bonus because they are... Oh! Oh, it looks like they get more spell. Okay, we'll look at that in a moment. Turn Undead. Yeah, let's look at uh, what they get over here. Alright, fighting ability is as the... Uh, yep. Here we go. You may as well consider these weirdos to be magicians. They do not fight. But, look, they get two first level spells to start. Remember before it was like 4, 4, 3, whatever? Well, not 6, 6, 5, 4. So this is your spellcaster. This is the one who's going to... I mean... The way I defined it in Dungeons & Dragons are clerics go out and want to bash things. Priests are the ones that stay home and tend to the flock. Well, this is the character that tends to the flock. Unfortunately, you happen to be in Hyperborea where that sometimes means that you're going to be traveling out there and still have to bash some undead. Turning ability, 1 through 12, that's good. Casting ability, 1 through 12, that's good. All right, so it's this fighting ability that's low, but look at all these extra spells you get. And remember, this is also bumped up by your wisdom bonus. And experience is only 2,000. So it's not like the 2,500 like the monk. So, you know, that takes into account the fighting, but especially since you can't wear armor or anything, you are a sitting duck. You're basically a wizard. Or I keep saying wizard, but in this game, that means something different. You're basically a magician. <laughs> okay. That casts uh, cleric spells. That's, that's the way you should think. Oh, and can turn undead. That's the way you should think yourself. Scrolls are the same, sorcery is the same. Oh, we already said that. Um, turn undead. Like clerics, priests can exert control over undead. Opt. Okay, I don't see any bonuses there, so let's move on. New weapon skill, 4th, 8th, and 12th, like the rest. Enlist henchmen. Demon rack. What is this? At ninth level, once per week, conduct a powerful ritual that dismisses or, dismisses or beckons a demon or other netherworldly being. This ability functions as the dismissal spell, except it applies only to demons and their elk. Wow. Um, the dismissing one is powerful, but the beckon one is nuts. Nuts. Lordship. Specialized faith. Okay. Priests who elect to embrace the specialized faith. I bet you this is the polytheistic versus the monotheistic. Embrace a specialized faith, develop supplementary abilities. Each ability is particular. There's two and granted by the deity that the priest exclusively venerates, as noted in the table of below. Table of below, the table below. A breach of faith or alignment may result in loss of these abilities as best adjudicated by the referee. Priests of specialized faith often are regarded as zealots. Even practitioners of similar beliefs may judge them as eccentrics. Okay, let's see. Apollo, we're not going to read through all these. We're going to read through a couple. We've got Apollo, nice Greek god there, right? You can be good or evil. Got to be lawful, though. Priest abilities at first level, proficient with all bows. Okay, all long bows are nine straight. Okay. <laughs> All arrows launched in sunlight ignite as flame arrows. So once you're at ninth level, if you fire that bow during the day, ninth level. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, flame arrow. Let's uh, let's go to a god Kraken. That sounds cool. Chaotic. Once per day, you can cast mirror image, but only one image. That's lame. Uh, once per day, you can conjure twelve mobs, squib-like appendages that act as black tentacles. Okay, that's a bit creepier. And <laughs> okay. You can read Cthulhu on your own. I'm going to scroll down. Okay, I don't know what a Tlaknaka is, but we're going to go with it. Tlaknaka is a neutral god. Once per day can cast Spider Climb. That's pretty cool. Manufacture poison as an assassin. All right, well, we know what you're a... Uh... And let's... Whatever the last one is. Yug. Yug is Yug is the last one. Yug is the last one. Once per day can cast Darkness. 
and at ninth level once per day can conjure a quasi-real Shogoth as a spawn shadow monster. Wow! And there's a starting pack. I think we have two more still. Is it two more? Runegraver and Shaman, right? Yeah, we have Runegraver and Shaman. So here we go. Runegraver. Oof. Runegraver is a mystic warrior who carves sorceress runes on bone, metal, stone, and wood. Very dwarven-like for your D&D. Very uh, Viking-like for your uh, for your Hyperborea. Graving is a heritable craft taught to precocious young, uh, precocious young warrior. Now, I, I thought at first I was precious. No, that's precocious young warriors. Hyperborea, the craft and accompanying ruined poems, originally a gift from the deity Uller, bestowed upon a selection of the first Vikings to cross the North Wind, and has been passed down ever since. In the common era, rune graving no longer is exclusive to Vikings, though most practitioners still are of Nordic descent. Notwithstanding, all pay homage to Uller and Emir, regardless of ancestry. All right. Let's see what they do. Strength of nine, wisdom of 12. Ooh, we got a bump in that wisdom there. Strength and wisdom, both need to be 16 plus. D8, so we're back to our priest progression. Alignment is chaotic. Interesting. That might just be because of the Uller thing. I, I don't know. It's weird that um, a rune graver would not be, would kind of try to be outside society or individualistic, but that could just be my not understanding. Armor, light and medium. Okay, so back to the priestly stuff. Shields loud, favored weapons, any. Transformation sorcery, get the plus two. Uh, extraordinary feats of strength. Okay, that makes sense for a rune graver, right? Now, what is grave runes? Rune gravers grave runes on specific materials that are carved smooth and shaped by the rune graver each rune emulates a specific spell with no other material components required the number and levels of rune spells cast per day are charted above above uh table 49 did i miss it that can't be above yeah okay <laughs> that's that's a typo probably in like the original draft or something it was above Runes are enchanted when the rune graver cuts his or her palm, no damage at this time, drips blood on the rune, and recites the, recites the appropriate poem. Much like spells memorized from books, when a rune spell is cast, the rune and its medium remain, but the sorcery is drained until the process is started anew. Okay. Uh, runes are invoked much like a spell, except each invocation costs the rune graver a sacrifice of one hit point. Oh, this is like a point of strain out of Earth Dawn. Okay. I've said Earth Dawn a lot today. Uh, pain carousing up the rune graver's arm. So casting a level three rune spell in tables entails a loss of three hit points. And remember, they only get the D8 just like normal clerics. It's not like they get fighter. Uh, which can be recovered in the usual manner. Should the rune graver drop below one hit point from evoking a rune, unconsciousness is staved off for one turn, 10 minutes, pending an extraordinary feat of constitution. Oh, okay, if you make an extraordinary feat of constitution. Got it. Each of the 16 runes may be invoked, but once per day. So that means if you're going to do this, you're going to have to do different rune. The rune spells they mimic are as follows. Giant, okay, so at uh, level one, get giant man in riding, so you can do enlargement, command, and mount. Constraint, Shower, and Wealth, those are the runes, but it translates to Hold Person, Black uh, Cloud, Fool's Gold. And I am not going to uh, read the rest of these. So, and with six level spells being the max, you get Reincarnation from Birch. All right. 
So let's look at this. Well, I hope these guys get a bunch more abilities than the uh, than the monks because that's 500 more experience points than the monks. Saving throws are normal. Fighting ability, okay. Fighting ability is on par with the fighters. Casting ability is on par with all the casters. Runes per day is lower than the number of spells than what a normal can, uh, you know, priest or wizard can cast per day, but they get that one, two, three pretty quickly. So, uh, interesting. Although I think the progression is a touch slower once you get to these higher levels. I might be wrong about that. Okay, Runegraver begins with a single room. A sacred mystery revealed by a master. It is either selected or randomly determined upon character creation. Consult your referee. Runegravers unlock the secret of a new rune or runes at each level gain at the following schedule. And there you go. It, it's, this, it's this schedule. New runes are acquired via spiritual revelation, the uncloaking of runic lore, or deific favor from Uller. Each new rune is learnt automatically with no need of a qualification roll. Runegravers do not learn new runes outside of level gains, but by 12th level, all 16 runes have been mastered. And here are the runes. And here are the poems. I'm guessing that asterisk for the poem means it's an example and not what you have to say, but we'll find out in a moment as we scroll down. Translation. Oh, nope. Actually, it's legit. Never mind. That is your poem. All right. Uh, da, da, alehorn. An aurochs or other bovine drinking horn painstakingly etched in Nordic design. Once per day, if the horn is filled with 12 ounces of fresh water, the rune graver can turn the water to enchanted ale that restores two hit points per caster ability. That's awesome. I just created a healing potion out of water that tastes like booze. That's a win-win-win. That's a triple win. Trifecta. Triple word score, baby. The ale can be shared, but once uncapped, the entire contents must be imbibed within six rounds. Once per week, three drops of honey added to the water. The water-filled drinking horn produces a magical mead that can cure disease. Again, we now have the paladin. Was it the paladin and monk abilities? Was it monk that could do that? I forget. Yeah, I think it was. So, it's another classic and basically lay on hands. Casting of lots. At fifth level, the rune graver can gather 16 fresh twigs. The twigs must be smooth and engraved, each incised with one of the 16 runes listed earlier. They're then placed in a leather pouch filled with powdered bone. To cast lots, the rune graver must engage, this is like yarrow sticks from the I Ching, must engage in a one turn ritual chanting, shaking the pouch, finally dumping the twigs from the pouch. The runegraver then articulates a question, selects three bone dust covered twigs, wipes them clean, and interprets their meaning. Casting of lots is otherwise equivalent to the augury spell, so that's just how it would play out. It can be performed once per day. I like the idea that this gives some really good role-playing opportunities. You know, for the people like, oh, just what, whatever augury says, that's what this does. No, role-play it out. Come on, guys. You've got a turn. You've got a turn. That's ten minutes. Doesn't have to take that long, but it gives you time to role play it out. I think you should. There's a typical henchman, a knithing pole. At seventh level, a rune graver can select a strong branch. Uh, wow, a strong branch and carve it with all manners of signs, sigils, and uh, execrations in the Old Norse language. Amongst them, the proper name of an enemy. 
The knithing pole must be staked into the ground and mounted with the head or skull of a goat, horse, sheep, or like animal. It must face in the direction of the named target's abode within a quarter mile. Oh, wow, you got to be kind of close for this. The effect is equivalent to a bestow curse spell. I mean, when you're talking, you know, out in like, you know, open, I wouldn't necessarily call it open. I mean, we're not talking like the jungle here. We're a quarter miles forever, you know, prairies and savannas and, uh, uh, you know, the, the like that you find steps quarter miles, actually pretty close. Uh, except their duration is permanent until the knithing pole is located and nullified with a remove curse spell or a dispel magic spell. Physically destroying the pole will not lift the curse and you can make one a month. Berserker Horde. Oh, okay. Come on now. <laughs> Ninth level. Cover Rune of the Berserker. Venture into the savage wilderness and then stab one's palm with a knife. I like it. Stab one's a for D4 hit points damage. Whilst howling like a beast. The Rune Graver smears the fresh blood on the Rune. I thought I was going to say himself. Attracting 50 wild berserkers of an alignment that roughly corresponds to that of the Rune Graver. These feral warriors will arrive over the course of 1D4 days. They will follow the Runegraver Lord until death. So this, okay, so this is how the person gets henchmen. <laughs> I get it now. Uh, or, or followers, whatever. Uh, follow the Runegraver Lord until death, so long as their lives compromise. Violence, bloodshed, drink, and revelry. Providing food and shelter for the Horde is the responsibility of the Runegraver. Unless the referee permits otherwise, a Berserker Horde can be summoned, but once every five years years furthermore introducing these wild people to civilization can prove disastrous you think uh, oh well, actually here's lordship right here so that's got to be the henchman that's got to be the henchman nope there's henchman right there screw it <laughs> I don't you get an extra 50 weirdos that just want to bash stuff in all right and the last one the shaman until we get to the thieves uh The shaman or witch doctor commands the thaumaturgical sorcery and uh, and magic. Sorry, commands the thaumaturgical sorcery of a magician and the ecclesiastical sorcery of a priest. Oh, so this is a this is a mage priest, mage cleric, cleric mage. It's not furry. No, it didn't say furry. Hold on, hold on. No, it just said wild berserkers. Wild berserkers that are nutballs. Charlotte Willis. So this class just summons a furry con to follow him around. Uh, all right, where, where is I here? Uh, with the Cleese Castle Sorcery of a Priest, a tribal personages who communicates with transcendent, oh, wow, transcendent dimensions where dwell astral, animistic, elemental, and otherworldly beings. Through these connections, the shaman can function as a spiritual sorcerer, healing, divining, and enchanting, as well as communicating with the dead. Shamans are not schooled as other sorcerers are. Rather, they answer irrefutable callings from, spirit, from the spirit world. Typically, this occurs at or before puberty. Shamans often assume advisory roles. <laughs> Squirrel Hormone. It goes back to uh, me covering after the bomb from Palladium books. I like, uh, I, I like anthropomorphic animals. So, you know, everybody likes to do the furry thing. <laughs> it's all good, though. It's all in good fun. And even if it's not, I'm taking good fun. 
Uh, shamans often uh, assume advisory roles to tribal leaders. Sometimes they themselves function as both political and religious leaders. For many barbaric tribes and savage cultures, the shaman serves as the conduit between the temporal and spiritual worlds. And yet, it's not unusual for a shaman to wander the length and breadth of Hyperborea seeking knowledge, wisdom, and adventure. Intelligence Knight Wisdom 12. We got to bump up in that wisdom there, so a little harder to become one. You need intelligence and wisdom both at 16 plus to get the XP bonus, and it's only a D6 hit points. Not a D8 like the rest of the priests. You can be chaotic good, neutral, chaotic evil, probably because uh, you're wandering and you're really not bound to a hierarchy. Armor allowed light. Shields allowed none. Weapons, you see the list here. Axe, blowgun, bola, boomerang, things that make sense. for Shaman. Death and sorcery are where you get your plus two modifiers. 2,500, same as the monk. Yeah, TMNT and other strangeness is where I got my Palladium start, and it's still one of my favorite games. Uh, or after the bomb, the current version is one of my favorite games to this day. I, I'm with you on that one. So, saving throws. Now, fighting ability starts at zero, stays at zero, and then goes up like a priest. So it's actually behind the priest, because if you notice, the priest ends at eight. This one ends at seven. Turning ability also doesn't start until level three. And only goes up to 10. Now, it's still pretty good. Don't get me wrong. It's better than Paladin, right? Casting ability, on the other hand, well, that's normal. It starts at 1 and goes to 12. So everything seems like a detriment. It's a lower hit point, or sorry, lower experience points, lower hit points, and goes up in fighting turn and turning ability slower. So what is it they get? Well, this is what they get. They get to cast Cleric and Druid spells, and magician neck or sorry cleric druid spells and magician necromancer spells and we'll get to that in a moment so they get more choices in spells on the the ecumenical side and on the sorcerers or what, what do they call it in this game the ecclesiastic divine whatever and the uh, thaumaturgic class abilities draw poison well, we already read this in the fighter, but we didn't read this here in the cleric, so I have to read it again. To draw and this is the uh, the crocodile Dundee. To draw and spit poison from a snake bite or another venomous wound, such as scorpion sting or spider bite. The attempt must be made within two rounds of the affliction for a three and six chance of success, four rounds for a two and six chance of success, and six rounds for a one and six chance of success. Success may revive one who has expired. Yes, you died of poison. I can suck it out of you. You can come back to life. So long as a trauma survival check is made. Uh, somebody's going to clip that. That's fine. You can clip what I said. The deceased poison victim is restored to zero hit points, albeit at a price, a permanent loss of one constitution point. I mean, come on, you died. As with the um, berserker, I think it is, or no, the barbarian, uh, victims of envenomed blades or ingested poison are beyond the shaman's aid. Harvest Venom. You can extract now. This gets both of them. Remember before, I think it was in the fighter stuff, whatever. Uh you had the one that could suck the venom, and then you had the one that could uh, uh get venom sacks and like you know procure the venom from the creature, from the snakes, from the spiders, and so forth. Well, this one can do both. To extract venom sacks from snakes, spiders, giant insects, and the like, should the opportunity present and the appropriate containers be available. The shaman learns to dissect venomous creatures in the field. This skill is performed at base nine in twelve chance. Nine or less on a D12. 
If a 12 is rolled, a mishap occurs, and the shaman is exposed, eyes, no skin, to the poisonous fluid. Make your saving. Magic item use. Can utilize magic items normally restricted to clerics and mag magicians. Can use them both. So that, that's pretty powerful, actually. Medicine man. To bind wounds, set sprains or broken bones, and concoct cures and antidotes for diseases and natural poisons, so long as the shaman has access to the herbs, roots, and ritualistic devices. A drum, a rattle, got a picture, get the maracas going, right? That are integral to shamanism. Gathering ingredients can be a time-consuming process, depending on circumstances. The process works as follows. Thank you. But I wanted the caffeine. Uh, treat one person per day, that, which includes the shaman, per level of experience. So, first level shaman can only you know, heal himself, or you can't do both. A third level shaman can do three people to, to, uh, per day, so himself and others. The process takes one turn to complete per person. Treatment involves use of herbs, roots, and ritualistic dancing percussion. Yes, we're good. Again, a good role-playing opportunity. You don't have to be stupid about it. You can do it with respect. A recipients or or don't up to you. I don't care. A recipients immediately regain one d4 hit points and are stabilized if unconscious. That's pretty damn cool. Recipients can receive treatment only once per day. Yeah, but that's fine. Once per day and you're stabilized. Rest for a little bit. Get you the next day. Hey. Uh, treating poison disease. When treating a natural plant or animal poison or disease, the shaman has an eight and twelve chance to devise an antidote if familiar with the affliction. If unfamiliar. The success is reduced to 4 and 12. But that's on the spot. That, that's a powerful ability. In either case, the chance in 12 is increased by 1 if the shaman has a 16 or, plus, uh, or higher wisdom. The shaman may attempt to treat a poison or disease, but once per week, I mean, that's normal. The process takes one turn to complete and is predicated on the intervention of an ancestral spirit. Read magic, the ability to decipher unintelligible. Okay, we know. Uh, do we from the priests? Uh, maybe. Uh, do, 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 do. scroll use cleric or druid spell that's and magician or necromancer so it looks like you have to pick cleric or druid magician or necromancer if you want more you go with cleric and magician if you want specific thematic you go druid necromancer and if i'm wrong if it is all four my apologies but uh, it looks like a pick uh, scribing scrolls, same thing. Sorcery, same thing. Drawn from. Okay, so let's see if it hears. During character creation, player must decide which two schools of magic the shaman casts. Okay, this is the second instance of naughty, naughty pronoun, but only the second one in the entire thing we've read so far. Uh, one choice is between cleric and druid spells. The other choice is between magician and necromancer. Says right there, you got to pick. So now we have that answer, and we saw the spell list above. Do, 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 do. Totem, the sacred symbol of kinship that a clan, tribe, family shares with an animal, plant, or other natural object. Oftentimes, the clan is named after the totem, Clan of the Bull, Frog Tribe. Totemic emblems are carved from stone, ivory, or other medium. Once per week, the shaman may beseech the totem spirit for wisdom and guidance as per the contact otherworldly being spell, requiring half the monetary sacrifice. A shaman might view a totem as a brother, guardian, or protector. Dualism is a distinct possibility, meaning it's possible the totem is speaking and acting, not the shaman. The totem might be transferred uh, from one person to another through elaborate ceremony, inheritance, or expro uh, expropriation. 
I don't know why Ed Shelfson got that Stargate episode stuck in my head with uh, uh, the the key and Zales. If you guys know what I'm talking about. Turn Undead. That third level can exert control over the undead and some demonic beings. We've already talked about Turn Dead, but you get it at third level there. And it's first level ability at third level. New weapons at 4th, 8th, and 12th, like everybody else. Enlist henchmen, lordship, and longevity, as we've seen multiple times before. There we go. Starting pack. And I think we are done. Yes, we now get to go to the thiefly stuff. I have some people who are very angry with me with as long as the stream is going. So, uh, oh well. We're going to get through it. We're going to get through it. I still have a bunch of you guys watching. Really do appreciate that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, uh, uh, <laughs> okay, got to do it. All right. Let me put this back on the screen, and I don't care who this angers. That includes you, Cat. I hear you screaming. All right, let's look at this. Uh, it's called Pronoun Antecedent Agreement. Uh, during character creation, the player is, is one. Must decide which two schools of magic his... And the way this book has been doing his or her shaman casts. Again, the rest of the book uses his or her. And this is only the second instance of, oops, made a mistake. The player is singular, therefore you use the singular pronoun. I'm not an activist and I'm not ignorant, so I do not use they in the singular. Only activists, ignorant, and those who follow Queen's English use they in the singular. All right, so with that said, and anybody who doesn't like that can go to Legion of Myth dot tv slash pronouns with an s at the end of it and read my long blog post that teaches you english okay let me get everything set up oh actually let me um finish this up here please like subscribe share if you like what we're covering with the um with this uh, so for, so far this is a fantastic book been reading this for what how what time is it i don't even know what time it is right now um F11, that, that off the screen. I can't, F11, F11 won't work, there we go. It is five, we are an hour and a half over normal, well, not normal, normal, maximum stream end time should end at 25 minutes ago. So, so, and we have one more section to go through. I'm going to have somebody really angry with me. Uh, well, that is true. He is using, he is using you, but, but the rest of it, he's been using he or she. So uh, anyway, I, I, I got to not talk about that. That should be in between segments. Uh, yeah, like, subscribe, share. And uh, what do we got here? That's the core values of uh, role-playing games. That's the charity we support. That's our schedule. Thank you very much. I hope you like what we've been talking about so far. We've covered the fighter, the magician, and the cleric. One more to go with the thief. And I'm somewhat prepared for this. Except for I can't find my note card now. Oh, there it is. Whew. Go back to 21. Got that there. F11, that bad boy. I do appreciate all of you hanging around this long. Um, all right, for the final final chapter final final video of this 
Man, the stream is already, what, uh, a half hour over our maximum stream time, and I have one more to go. So all the folks who've been watching live, who've been sitting through this, appreciate the heck out of you guys. Those who are watching in video format, well, you got some nice long videos this week. So uh, I hope you enjoy that. I am late for a gaming session I'm supposed to be involved in. So I am openly uh, uh, apologizing to the GM's Elkof because I still have to do all the post-stream stuff after the fact before I can join his game, and he is waiting for me to join his game. So if you guys have not subscribed to the GM's Elkov, check him out and subscribe to his channel. He does Let's Plays, he does Paint and Chats, uh, he, he talks about some of the games that he likes, so uh, go check out his channel, especially since I'm, I'm holding him up right now. Now, with that said... We're going to now finish up talking about thieves and subclasses, you know, things like assassins and led, ledger domainists, or however the hell you say that. We'll get to that in a moment. And fun and purloiners. Got Come on. The class is called purloiner. Why would you not play it? But we do that. We believe that role-playing games take place in fantastic worlds. The focus of the game should be on role-playing and having a good time. The core values... That's core values, not just ideas. Not just, eh, you know, good ideas. No, core values of hashtag RPGate and any good tabletop group are escapism, not representation, entertainment over activism, and natural, organic inclusion, not forced diversity. The charity we support is the Wounded Warrior Project, a national nonpartisan organization whose mission is to honor and empower wounded warriors. I've actually had people come to me and tell me the good that Wounded Warrior has done for them specifically, so uh, I know it works. Please refer to the description below for the link to where you can make your hopefully tax-deductible donation. That is our streaming schedule, the purple on Thursdays and Saturdays for twitch.tv playing video games, multiplayer video games, and Sunday and Friday for talking about tabletop RPG games. This is a live stream podcast discussion, not a step-by-step -step tutorial. We'll deviate off topic. Even with just me here, we'll deviate off topic. They've been cracking jokes in chat. Meanies. So <laughs> like, subscribe, and share. All right, let's pop this on the screen. We are not having a segment three today. And in fact, when this segment is done, it's going to be an almost abrupt ending. It's going to be, thank you guys for being here. Have a nice day. I got stuff to do. <laughs> but we are going to get through this, and we are going to get through it in the same format that we did before. So, all right, we are on the thief. I said we are on the thief. There we go. Say down here, it says, cunning and nimble swordsman, possess of numerous specialized skills. All right. Now, one last time, I got to say that these are the principal classes. These four, fighter, magician, cleric, thief. I suggest that the first time you play the game, this is what you stick with. Either as whether it's the first time you play as a game master, referee in this game, sorry, or the first time you make a character, stick with the basics. Okay? Game master, that's just one time. You know? The, re the rest of you, it's the first time you play a character. That, it's, again, suggestion on my part, just because, you know, Things get a little weird when you start getting into, uh, here we go, the Assassin, which I've never liked as a character class. Yes, I am one of those weirdos. I'm kind of like the Troller Games guys on this one where it's like, shouldn't be thinking about playing Assassins. And anybody who kills people is Assassin. But it does have a special role here, and this is a Hyperborean world, or Hyborian world, Conan type thing, so it makes sense that it's here. So we have the Assassin, we have the Bard, we have the Letter, oh my god, I can never say it, Ledger Demanist. The Purloiner and the Scout. So what is different between the Scout and the Ranger and so forth? We are going to find out. So first things first, I need to go to page. It looks like uh, 36. As what we did with the other ones, we will read the Thief 
pretty much in depth, and then the rest we will talk about the differences. So, the thief is a swift swordsman and nimble-fingered specialist, a robber, a pickpocket, racketeer, or a spy, perhaps a bandit, outlaw, or raider. Thieves live... Oops. Sorry, that's just a little anal retentive thing by me. <laughs> Thieves live by their cunning, wits, and quick blades, and they are well-versed in subterfuge, duplicity, and methodical execution. All right, well... Many thieves are members of a thieves' guild, the hierarchy of which offspans the urban underworld and beyond. From a thieves' guild, the apprentice thief learns the plethora of eclectic skills. He or she then forfeits an agreed-upon percentage of earnings to that guild. Hey, we're teaching you how to do this. You have to give a little bit back. And per the last video, this is what I'm talking about. This is how it works through most of the book, he or she. That's why it struck me as odd when I saw it in the last book as being different. Other uh, apprentices, uh, sorry, other apprentice thieves take instruction from an unaffiliated master, a rogue with no ties to formal organization. Despite their notoriety, the expertise and versatility of the thief is ever in demand by dungeon delving adventure seekers. And you can play a thief that focuses on that. Like, hey, man, I'm not stealing from the poor. I'm not running around trying to rob you know, merchants and so forth. They're just trying to make a living. I've practiced my trade to bring back artifacts. Now, you know what? I may not bring them to a museum. I might sell them. We might split the uh, costs as we, you know, uh, you know, oh, oh my God, um, fence it. There we go. If we, you know, as we fence it up, whatever, you know. Um, but I ply my trade not to take from the common man, but uh, to assist you. You can do that. You can do that. Um, Thieves Guild doesn't make sense to you. I mean, I liken it as the easiest example so that I can go on here. It's like a mafia. Um, is there a more combat-oriented thief type in this game? Well, we'll find out, preferably other than the assassin. We will definitely find out. I think there is. I think I know which one it is, too, but I don't want to lie. Uh, thief is a swift sword. Oh, okay, we already read that. Okay, so dexterity nine. That's all you need is a dexterity nine to get into this. That's the lowest end of average. But if you have a 16 or more, you get a 10% XP bonus. D6, you're going to find that as pretty much the common ground for the thief. Chaotic good, neutral, lawful evil. That's interesting. Lawful evil. Huh. Huh, okay. Okay, and chaotic evil. I mean... I can see an argument for it. Don't get me wrong. But it just kind of surprised me. Armor allowed light. Shields allowed small. Favored weapons. Here's your list of favored weapons. Hand tridents. Horseman's flail. You know. Falcata. Uh, okay. Agile. Plus one armor class bonus when unarmored and unencumbered. A small shield is allowed. Travis says, take from the rich and give to myself. Hey, if that's how you want to be, that's cool. You can, my, my point wasn't that you shouldn't play a type of thief that pickpockets or, or whatever, but you don't have to. You can play one that's dedicated to archaeology, so to speak. Dr. Jones. Um, I don't know if he'd be considered a thief, but you get what I'm saying. So, yeah, I mean, if, if you want to do the, the Robin Hood kind of thing. Oh, wait, no, that was giving back to the poor. <laughs> you absolutely can. Uh... Right, and, and the law, yeah, the lawful, I think of the lawful evil thief as the, as the naughty, naughty lawyer. <laughs> uh, anyway, 
Backstab. A backstab attempt with a class one or two melee weapon, and we'll get to what class one and two means in a future episode. Uh, I don't think it's next week. I think it's week after, but I could be wrong. Uh, we'll talk about that. But with a class one or basically a smaller weapon, the target must be unaware of the attack, which may be the result of hiding or moving silently. Also, the target must have vital organs, so you cannot backstab a skeleton. Aw. Or a green slime. Aw. If the requirements are met, the following benefits result. The attack rolls made at a plus four two hit. That is one of the things I always thought the Dungeons Dragons was missing. Well, it kind of wasn't missing if you actually delve, dove into the rules, but a lot of times people didn't do the whole attacking from behind. They gave the damage, but they didn't do the, uh, the bonus. Plus four to hit. Glad it's spelled out right there. Additional wep uh, weapon damage dice are rolled according to the thief's level experience. So if you're a first or fourth level thief, you do times two damage. Now, that times two means you're rolling damaged, extra damage dice, not just multiplying the d6 times two, you're rolling 2d6. Using d6 as the example, if that's your weapon. This would be 3d6, this would be 4d6, or d8, or whatever dice you're rolling. Other damage modifiers are added afterward. So... A fifth level thief with a 13 strength and a plus one short sword rolls 3d6 plus two. Why? Because it's times three. And he had a plus one for his strength and a plus one for the short sword, which gave him the plus two. So normally it'd be 1d6 plus two, but with the backstab, it's 3d6 plus two. All right. Now, like in most Dungeons and Dragons games, the thief levels the fastest. Why? Because honestly, the thief does the most dangerous shit. Okay, that's number one. And you want your thief to live. And pardon me for cursing. That, that's really what it comes down to. You want your thief to live. You're, a, you're just a real big dum-dum if you are complaining, oh, thief levels so fast. He's going to be twice as level as me. Who cares? <laughs> Please, thief, level! Level yourself! <laughs> live through those poisons. Live through those traps. All right. So... Saving throws are normal. Fighting ability is interesting. I wasn't expecting this. One, one, two, three, three, four. It's the same fighting ability as the priest. I wasn't expecting that. Okay, so let's move on. Detect secret doors. Find a secret door, three and six chance. Extraordinary feats of dexterity. 8% to extraordinary feats of dexterity. Remember, that's based on your attributes. So if you have an 18, right? You have a 32% chance. Let's say you have an 18 dexterity. That means you have a 32% chance to do some sort of extraordinary feat. Well, now you have a 40% chance. Let's say you have a low dex. What is that? I think that gives you like a 16% chance to do something. Well, now it's a 24% chance. That's a significant boost. Excuse me? The secret language of thieves. Thieves can't. Strange pigeon. I think I said that right, pigeon. And I've seen the word before, I just don't know how to pronounce it. By the way, I'm going to tangent right now. For many years of my life, I knew the word esoteric. But nobody ever taught me how to say it. So I'd say until I was like 30 years old, I pronounced it esoteric. And then, of course, because people don't know how to correct people without being mocking, that's fine. Um, I got laughed at big time. But it was the first time I'd ever actually heard the word pronounced esoteric and nobody ever corrected me when i was younger when i pronounced it esoteric so uh yes now i pronounce it esoteric so like this pigeon i'm guessing it's right in which some words may be unintelligible to an ignorant listener whereas others might be common yet of alt alternative meaning it's hacker speak <laughs> okay before there was hacker speak um this covert tongue is used in conjunction with specific body language um a big example we used in the 80s was jive 
Uh, hand gestures, facial expressions. Two major dialects of thieves' cants are used in Hyperborea, one by city thieves, the other by pirates. Commonalities, commonalities exist betwixt the two. New weapon skill, 4, 8, and 12, just like... Oh, sorry, this is a new video. So, uh, outside of this list up here, these are you get all of these. You get all of these favorite weapons, okay? And then down here, at 4, 8, and 12, you can pick weapons that are not included on that list. Enlist henchmen at level 6, thief may seek, or be sought out by one or more henchmen, classed individuals who become loyal followers. Lordship at ninth level thief who builds or assumes control of a suitable headquarters becomes a lord and is eligible to attract a band of thieves. You have started your own thieves guild. Now you might be a sub thieves guild to a bigger one or you might have your own, whatever. But when you're ninth level, you start your own nonsense and uh, you start to make deals. Progressive thief abilities. All right, here we go. Climb. To ascend or descend sheer cliffs or walls without the need of climbing gear. If vertical, the surface must be rough or cracked. At least one check must be made per 100 feet of climbing, as I said before. Failure indicates the climber has slipped or fallen at about the midpoint. So midpoint between 100 feet is 50 feet, so you'd fall about 50 feet. I think that's 5d6 damage, but we'll find that out later. If you made it the first 100 but didn't make the next 100, well, you'll be falling at about 150 feet, and that's a lot of damage. You don't want to do Decipher script. To translate text otherwise not understood. Maps can be interpreted, instructions decoded, and so forth. Alien or alien ancient, sorry, ancient or alien languages, however, may remain unintelligible, lacking any basis for comparison. I used to pronounce Thrykreen as Threekreen. Hmm, interesting. I can see that though. I mean, to me, it's always been Thrykreen, but I can actually see it. Look at the fight between Drow and Dro. I know some people insist it's pronounced Dro. It's like rowing. You don't call it Rao. And then there are those of us who pronounce it Drow, and I say, well, it's like, ow, I hurt myself. O-W, I don't go, oh, I go, ow. You know, who's right, who's wrong? I don't know. But you know what is right? It's pronounced Boulette, not Boulet. I don't care Gygax says, I don't care Arnesis says, I don't care Tim Cass says, I don't care Jeffrey Telanian says. If you end your word with E-T-T-E, that's et under every circumstance, it's never an A. If you want it to be Boulet, you take off the last T-E and you just spell it B-U-L-L-E-T. And then you can have your dumb little French Boulet. It's Boulette. Oh, and it's GIF, not JIF. And I don't care what the creator of it says. The creator of it calls it GIF. I don't care. Or sorry, calls it GIF. It's GIF. Number one, G-I-F as, as a word would be GIF. Number two, it's graphical uh, uh, interface, whatever the hell it's, uh, it's format or interchange format. Well, the word graphical is pronounced G. So F off, it's GIF. Now, back to our regularly scheduled story. <laughs> uh, I told, see, I got to put it up there. We will go on tangents. <laughs> All right. Uh, da, 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 da. discern noise to hearken at a door and detect the faintest of noises on the other side perceive the distant footfalls of a wandering monster distinguish a single voice in a crowd six rounds one minute of concentrated listening are required <laughs> a word is yes yes i'm one of those people that i am not perfect with the english language but i try to be as much as possible especially in writing especially in writing and the people that go, oh, it doesn't matter, I just write like I speak, well, they can go F themselves off a bridge with Dan. We were taught as kids, you don't write like you speak. And I tell you what, if Jeffrey Telanian, which I've actually seen a couple of interviews with him, if he were to speak like he writes in this book, I'd laugh at him. <laughs> Would be twixt. But, uh, anyway, I love the way he writes this book, by the way. Absolutely love it. Hide. To vanish into shadows, camouflage oneself or flatten one's body 
to a seemingly impossible degree, all whilst, see, whilst, love it, remaining still as a statue. Only the slightest movement is per, uh, permissible. You can unsheath the blades, you know, slowly, you know, you can open up a pouch. You know. Hiding is impossible in direct sunlight or if the thief is observed. It's not a magical ability, it's a natural ability. Manipulate traps to find, remove, and reset traps, both magical and mundane. Separate checks must be made to accomplish each facet. Find, remove, reset. Now, reset isn't one that's done all the time, but if you find one, you probably want to remove it, right? So you have to find it first, then you have to remove it. Then if you want to set it back up for whatever reason, you might do it just to say, I was never here, especially if it's a place that's going to be, uh, that people could look for something like that, right? But, you know, a, a, a dungeon that's just got carrying crawlers or whatever in it, you might not be resetting it. But each time you have to roll. Failure by more than two. Okay, I, I want you to hear that. Failure by more than two, or if a natural 12 is rolled, may cause the trap to detonate on the thief. We're going to have to look at those numbers because more than two is not a lot. You went from success to boom pretty quickly on a D12. Also, a new trap may be built if the mechanism is simple and the parts available. Anything more complex requires the assistance of an engineer. These tools are required when practicing this ability. Move silently. To move with preternatural quiet, even across squeaky floorboards, dry leaves, and squeaky cats. Uh, loose debris and the light. This skill is executed at half the thief's normal movement rate. Open locks. To pick locks or disable latching mechanisms, both magical and mundane, so they can hit the magical ones too. Thief tools are required. Picking or dismantling a lock may be attempted but one time. If the attempt fails, the thief cannot try again until he has gained a level of experience. Yeah, just not smart enough to figure it out. Most locks require a D4 minutes to pick. Complex locks. Complex locks might necessitate 3D6 minutes. So I hope you're not in a rush. Picking pockets. To filch items from a pocket, pouch, backpack, garment using nimble fingers and possibly a distraction. Failure by a margin of three or greater indicates the attempt has been observed. That's a little better than the two, right? <laughs> though, though not necessarily by the victim. If the role is successful, the referee must determine what has been procured. If the thief attempts to pick the pocket of a higher level thief, ledger demanus, there we go, or purloiner, a penalty equal to the difference in levels must be applied to the check. So, if you're pickpocketing, uh, didn't include Scout or whatever the other one was in there. Uh, assassin. But a higher level thief, Ledger Demanist, or Purloiner, you're going to get a penalty if that dude's higher level than you. This skill also covers the gamut of sleight of hand trick trickery a thief might employ to deceive onlookers. You know, palming, stuff like that. Read scrolls to decipher and invoke thaumaturgical, that's magician, scrolls. If the attempt, fail, if the attempt fails, a backfire other unfortunate circumstance may result. A second D12 roll must be rolled with 3 and 12 chance of disaster. <laughs> the spell is erased from the scroll in any event. All right, so let's look at these uh, real quickly. A thief level, 1 to 2. Now, I know some people don't like this, and I get it. I understand. As a second edition Dungeons & Dragons player, I absolutely get this. You want to put the abilities where you want to put them. But it's just so much easier to go through it this way. Just know that as a first, second level thief, you have an 8 and 12 chance. Means you roll a d12, you get an 8 or less, you got it. Decipher script, you're just not doing it at first and second level. You haven't been exposed to enough stuff yet. Discern noise, yada yada. I mean, 
uh, read scrolls. How can you roll a zero? Well, this is going to be based on you might have an attribute bonus or ability score bonus that, that you can add here, and we'll look for that in just a moment. Okay, that's why I can search here because these are affected by ability score bonuses. Now, attempting progressive thief ability, roll a d12 determines success or failure. If the result is equal to or less than the required number, the attempt is successful. Referee might modify the probability of success uh, based on prevailing circumstance. Yes, you might make it harder or easier. I wouldn't suggest doing that too often because remember, thieves thieves get killed. <laughs> okay, so if the thief made it and it's not something that's specifically there to thwart a thief, just give them the roll. And if a good player comes up with an idea that makes it that the, the roll can be done better maybe takes more time uses up more uh more thieves tools if that's a thing uh you know works the process in a in a longer manner you know uh gonna make a little extra noise doing it whatever give them a bonus don't have to i'm just saying that's a good idea um modifiers each ability is associated with a potential mo uh potentially modified oh god each ability is associated with and potentially modified by an exceptional attribute increasing the chance in 12 by one if you have a higher dexterity, let's look at the one we saw before, the decipher script. If you have a 16 or higher intelligence, oh, is that read scrolls also? Decipher script and read scrolls, yeah. If you have a 16 intelligence, well, good luck, but on a one, in tw on a one you can do it at, at uh, fifth level. Good luck with that. <laughs> okay, because it gives you a, a bonus of one. Example, a 5th level thief with uh, 16 dexterity is 8 and 12 chance to move silently. Well, what is it normally? So a 5th level thief, to move silently, normally has a 7 and 12 chance. So you roll, uh, it's over 50%, but uh, if you roll uh, 7 or less, you've possibly moved silently. Well, now, because you have a high dexterity, you have an 8 and 12. Yeah, player skill. I don't overuse the player skill thing because I don't want players, you know, watching a James Bond movie and then just trying everything from that. But if a player, a player has to sacrifice something or the player, let me say the player character, the player character has to sacrifice something, time, effort, components, something. But if that sacrifice is made, I don't see why you can't get, and it's reasonable. It makes sense. I don't see why you can't give, you know, a plus one plus two bonus. Okay. Again, that's just me. I, I, I don't expect everybody to do it. All right, armor modifier for subclasses. Subclasses with the abilities now, talk about the subclasses now. Scout, Perloiner, Ledger Demanist, Assassin. Subclasses with abilities, climb, hide, and move silently. Execute these abilities at a penalty. Chance of 12 is reduced by four if wearing medium armor. Executing these abilities is impossible in heavy armor. Is that just for the subclasses and not for? The thief yeah it doesn't say anything about that here for the thief it does say it if you if you watch the other videos it said it in the other ones so the thief can actually climb in armor that's i still would probably i'd house rule that in or maybe do it no penalty with medium and minus fourth heavy. I don't like the idea of wearing heavy armor. Not that they're supposed to wear it anyway, but. All right. And we've got the combat fighting matrix. Okay. Now we go through the subclasses and we are done. Again, for the folks hanging out on the live stream, I am losing a lot of viewers. 
You guys are finally getting bored. I understand it. Uh, but I appreciate everybody who's hanging out. And uh, those who are watching this per the videos, just know that this has been going on for 50 minutes, five zero minutes past the normal, like, long stream end time. It's 5.50 p.m. I want to be done by 5. And like I said, there's a RPG I'm supposed to be in right now that, well, sorry, didn't mean to do that. Uh, I knew today was going to be long. I didn't think it was going to be this long, though. Here we go. Assassin. The assassin is a proficient killer and sometimes bounty hunter, an adept instrument of death whose skills border on the uncanny. Most assassins are trained by instructors of an assassin's guild or special branch of thieves' guilds, others by unaffiliated master of execution. May serve as a, no a nobleman or liege lord. Might be an accolade of a fanatical religious order. They're viewed with disfavor. This is important. Assassins are viewed with disfavor or disdain even by those who employ them. So, if you don't, obviously people don't run out, I'm an assassin, I'm an assassin, I'm an assassin. But, even the people who employ them are, are, don't like them. So hence, most lead solitary lives. Most assassins are remorselessly evil. In sooth, even those who lack moral turpitude are of neutral alignment at best and devoid of emotional and sentimental attachments. It's kind of a psychopath. Like, like, you don't necessarily have to be evil. You could just be a psychopath. I mean, I know a lot of them where you just relate to being evil, sure. But, you know, an, an intelligent one might just be a psychopath. Assassins are capable of murder without compunction, whether it be a knife across the throat, poison wine, meticulously arranged sniper shot, or some other means. So, to be an assassin, what do you need? You need to strength the nine, probably because you have to wield some weapons and uh, get into places. Dexterity of nine, of course, because, you know, you're a thiefly side and you want to be accurate with your attacks. And an intelligent of nine, because a stupid assassin is a dead assassin. Now, you could argue, that's pretty dumb. Well, you know what? You you know, what you do with the training is up to you. We'll get you that point. Because you prime our dexterity and intelligence. You need both of those at 16 or better to get a 10% XP bonus. Hit die type is still a D6. Neutral, lawful evil, chaotic evil, armor allowed light, shields allowed any, Favorite weapons, you got a whole list of them here. Hook throwing knives, crossbows, tridents, tompas. All right. Saving throw modifiers, plus two to avoidance and device. Remember, I don't know if we talked about Thiefel, we'll do it right now. That plus two effectively makes this a minus two, so to speak. You need a 14 or higher to make it a level one because you get a plus two to the roll, to the number that you rolled. All right. So, 1750, so a little higher than the Thief. So we'll see what... Uh, Okay, plus one AC bonus from unarmed. We already talked about that with the uh, thief. Assassinate. It's a backstab ability. A backstab, so therefore the thief ability. Attempt made with a class one or two melee weapon. So I think those are one-handed. With the intent to assassinate. The target must be unaware of attack, like backstab, which must be the result of hiding and moving silently. Or maybe. Also, the target must not have... Okay, so this is all backstab stuff. So what do we get? Um, made plus four to hit. If target's hit, a second d20 is rolled to verify the assassination. So basically, you're making two attack rolls. If the first one hits, you hit the target and you get your backstab, right? If the second d20 meets the required target number or less, the target must make a death saving throw or die. However, if the original d20 attack rolls a natural 19 or 20, then no saving throw is allowed. A little, not confusing, but let, let's, let's do this. Let me roll my dice. I roll my attack roll. Where's my second d20? Oh, I think I found the other die that fell on the floor. It's down there on the floor somewhere. I rolled. That didn't hit. Let's let's get a hit. 
Okay, that got a hit. I got a 19. And I got a 13. All right, let's just say for the sake of argument, I needed a 15 to hit. Well, I got a 19. So, uh, the first tech, I get the backstab, but the second one didn't didn't confirm the assassination. So it's just the backstab attempt. Okay. So, so next, let's say uh, let's say uh, I needed to roll. Would I get a 13? Let's say I needed to get a 13. Well, the first roll was a 19. The second roll was a 13. So I got a hit, and then I confirmed that hit, as they like to say. So, now that person has to make a saving throw. Oh, wait, but no! That first attack roll was a 19. No saving throw is allowed. That creature is dead. Okay. Normal backstab damage rules per thief class apply if the result is hit, but not automatic assassination. There you go. You can see it there. We already talked about that. Other damage modifiers, we already talked about that. Note the assassination attempt is... Uh, if the assassination attempt is made against an assassin of higher level chance in 20 success is reduced by one for every level difference. Good job. Sniper attack. Lastly, unlike the thief's backstab ability, this assassin can also make an assassination attempt with a missile weapon, such as bow or thrown dagger, versus human, humanoid, quasi-man, or giant. Attempt requires short range. Mark must be completely unaware of the danger and not otherwise engaged in combat. Why is that? Because... When you're engaged in combat, you're assumed to be moving around, you know, trying to get position and so on and so forth, and you're trying to get that. But if it's just a guard standing there, derp, 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 not paying attention, and uh, you've got the surprise, you can, whap, done. It's the ninja and the shuriken, right? The, uh, the assassin's comprehensive knowledge of anthropoid anatomy allows for the specialized termination attempt. Uh, okay. So, assassination level. Oh, 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 did I screw that up? Second D. So, no, 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 no. Okay, so this is the verification. I'm sorry, I used the roll to hit when I did my example. This is the second D20. I should have known this because it's the same as the other edition. So I rolled my, atta my attack to hit. Let's roll attack to hit. Let's say I need to get a, a 12 or higher. That's an 18. So I hit. Now I roll D20. Um, level hit dice of target let's just say i'm a third level assassin attacking a first level target because we want it to be somewhat easy so that means i need this i need a seven in 20. so i got my backstab in and now i rolled a 19 i did not get it oh well but on a seven or less it would have been an automatic kill with the saving throw Detect secret doors, we already done that extraordinary feats of dexterity already did that disguise to fashion a facade that stimulates or simulates a particular race, creature, social class, possibly making one appear a few inches taller, shorter, several pounds heavier, thinner. See the disguise self. The assassin can also appear as the opposite sex. This ruse may be accomplished through a combination of acting, makeup, apparel. This is why you want a good charisma, right? And perhaps even subtle sorcery. The base chance of disguise being discerned is 2 in 12. You are <laughs> good luck with that. Adjusted as the referee deems appropriate. If the assassin is a 16 plus charisma, the base chance is uh, oh i'm sorry to being discerned being discerned I, i'm sorry so yeah the assassin's got a pretty good chance of pulling this off that's a pretty good chance of pulling that off i think that actually is too easy yeah i think that's too easy I, i'd make you give up you'd have to buy some good materials and so forth basically if you planned it out i'd give it to you if you're just like oh my god rub some dirt on here so i can like okay that's not gonna be so good harvest venom uh, we've talked, no, we haven't talked about another thieves, damn it. To extract venom sacks from snakes, spiders, giants, insects, and the like should the opportunity present 
and appropriate containers be available. I mean, this is how the thief is going to collect his uh, poisons, right? Or the assassin's going to collect his poisons, right? Assassins learn to dissect venomous creatures in the field. This skill is performed at base 9 and 12 chance. If a 12 is rolled, a mishap occurs. You, you cut the venom sack poorly and you got some in your mouth. <laughs> uh, Maybe in an open wound or something, whatever, and you could be suffering the effects. Who knows? Poison resistance. Toxological training and exposure to various poisons toxins provides a plus one bonus on all saving throws versus poisoning, though not other death saving throws. In fact, what does the assassin get? Plus two to device and plus two to avoidance. So now add on plus one to, uh, to poisons. Poison use, the employment of toxins to kill assassins. Some assassin guilds have in-house alchemists who concoct poisons. Consult your referee. All right. New skills, those that weren't in that list at 4, 8, and 12. Enlist henchmen, poison manufacturer at ninth level, eligible to train with a master alchemist, toxolo toxologist, and learn how to concoct debilitating and deadly poisons. Before ninth level, you're buying them, you're having other people make them. At ninth level, you're making them yourself. Lordship. Okay, progressive thief abilities, we've talked about those. I'm looking quickly to see if there's a difference. Does not look like it. Um... Yep, looks like those are the same. So there we go. That's the assassin. And by same, I mean the same as the uh, the thief. Do we look at here the fighting ability? The fighting ability is the same as the thief. Saving throws and DC. Okay, so yeah. All right, what's next? The bard. Oh, I have to drink before this one. No, my wife knows this is going to be a long one. The bard is a mystic thief with the martial versatility of a fighter, the dweomer craft of an ecclesiastical and thaumaturgical sorcerer, and the plethora of esoteric skills. See, esoteric right there. <laughs> Through song, verse, or music, the bard opens windows to other dimensions and taps weird vibrations that permeate the illimitable black gulf. Cherished or detested by kings, knights, noblemen, and peasants alike, some bards use their preternatural gifts to craft poems and satires interwoven with sorcerer's vibrations. Others play musical instruments to affect similar results. I'm just going to tell you, my favorite bard, I have two favorite bards in any game. The first one is the first edition AD&D bard. Yes, I'm a second edition player, but I like the first edition AD&D bard. And I also love the troubadour from Earthon. I think it really captures what a bard is supposed to be more than any other game ever has. Now, Let's move on here. A bard, oh, drink, because I said earth on. A Viking bard is called a skald. The skald performs kennings, compo compound metaphorical poems laced with sorcery, and composes sagas of kingly deeds, blood feuds, and heroic battles. Bards off roam with fellow adventure seekers, composing new word works based on the escapades of glory and daring do. One of the things that, uh, that I think that really miss in a lot of these games about the bard is the bard is supposed to be a historian an accurate historian yes a storyteller as well because when stories were recounted like beowulf and so forth that was done you had to have the extravagance for it to stay in people's noodles but outside of things like beowulf they also were heralds they 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 passed along news and you wanted to be accurate about that um, all right. So dexterity, look at all these. Look at all these attributes. Strength, dexterity, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma 15. We're at paladin levels. Actually, I think there are even I think this is a paladin level worth of attribute requirements. So it's not gonna be easy to become one. 
Then dexterity and charisma, that makes sense. A D8. You see that? Thieves normally have D6. D8 for the bard. Chaotic good, neutral chaotic evil. Yeah, because they're going to be wanderers, loners, and so forth. Armor allowed light and medium. Shields allowed any. Favored weapons any. Look at this. Saving throw modifiers, device avoidance. This is, this is a fighter. So you're asking if there is a fighter, uh, one that has better combat ability. Well, um, let's look. Let's just go down to the chart. Fighting ability as a thief, though. But who cares? Can cast druid spells and lose it. Oh my god! Yeah, we're gonna. We're gonna what, what's the experience on this one? Twenty five hundred. That's it. Okay. Well, it's jack of all trades. That is for sure. A jack of all trades. I have to give it to that. Counter so class ability. Counter songs to cognize songs of enchantment. From other bards, gorgons, harpies, etc., and instantly, no initiative required. So this is like a reaction. React with opposing melodies, poetics, and or instrumentation that channels the horrific, horrible vibrations of the Black Gulf at once, muting or disrupting auditory sorcery. So it acts as your sound deadening headsets. The base chance of success is nine and twelve for opponents of equal or lesser uh, level or hit dice. For every level or hit dice greater than the bards, the chance in twelve is reduced by one, with one in twelve being the minimum chance of success. He can fight, but can he seduce a dragon? Ugh. Plus 8% chance to form extraordinary feats of dexterity. Folklore. To identify or recall a random fact or sliver of knowledge regarding ancient artifacts, legends, myths, folklore. This is legend lore from D&D &D and other oddities. Whether anything exists to be gleaned as well as the extent and veracity of the information is ultimately the purview of the referee. I would like the bard to know to some degree, whether it's true or not. I mean, again, I, I, they're part historians, so... Um, but, at the same time, eh. Uh, who should provide a chance in six success or possibly automatic success if appropriate. Okay, yeah, I should, probably should have read the rest of that, right? In spirit allies, in the midst of battle, recite poems or sing verses that in spirit allies to fight with enhanced ferocity. Allies gain plus one bonus to hit and damage. And melee, not missile combat. Boon takes effects two rounds after the singing begins. So you have to wait a couple rounds. So on round three, if, this, if he starts singing right away. Boon lasts his bard, uh, as long as the bard performing to a maximum of one turn, so ten minutes. And remember, one round is what, ten seconds? So here comes Brave Sir Robin. Can last for quite a while. This ability can be used whilst engaged in battle, so long as the bard can continue to sing or recite. However, casting other spells, performing other like actions, is not possible. So... You can recite, you can do your thing while you're fighting, but not while casting spells or doing other things that require some sort of concentration, we'll say. This ability can be used once per day for every three levels. So at seventh and ninth level, you can use it three times per day. Shh, I'm on a live stream, Pat. Magic item use. Can you use magic items normally restricted to magicians and clerics? All right, uh, let's look at the spell cast since we're up here. D8, saving throw. So more hit points than a thief. Also can wear more armor than a thief. Uh, experience points are, well, I mean, was it, it was 1,500 for a thief, so I guess it's a lot, but can cast druid spells, starting at one there. Up to level four. Up to level four spells. That's pretty good, because the real kick-ass ones kind of start at three, but really uh, come in at level four. Druid and illusionist. That's pretty awesome, and that does make sense. Uh, why druid? Again, he's traveling. He's a, a the the bard is somebody who understands lore and history and you know, understands nature understands so uh 
Mesmerized once per day, recite a song or poem laced with weird vibrations that permeate the universe. Alternatively, the bard may play a flute, panpipes, you know, it's your Pied Piper, right? Or other wind instrument. Requires Requirements, limitations, effects are as follows. Can take no other action besides walking. Targets must be within 40 feet and of animal intelligence or greater. Again, Pied Piper. Uh, you can Pied Piper humans. Allies and traveling companions are unaffected unless they have become hostile to the bard. Funny. Each target is allowed a sorcery saving throw modified by willpower adjustment. Those who fail are mesmerized for as long as the bird continues to perform up to one turn. So up to 10 minutes, you can lead the lemmings off a cliff. Mesmerized victims are considered stunned. However, mesmerized effects are broken once subject is attacked. A third level single victim's mind can be imprinted with a suggestion as per the spell. I suggest you just leave now. However, sorcery saving throw negates the suggestion and ends the mesmerization. And at ninth level, single victim's mind can be infected with madness. Wow. However, the applicable sorcery saving throw negates madness and ends mesmerization. That's actually pretty, pretty cool. Read magic, ability to cipher. Yeah. Okay, so that's just read magic. Scroll use, illusionist and druid spells. Scroll writing, we've gone through that before. Sorcery, gone through that before, except for it's druid and illusionist. And the chart will mimic what this is, so. Enlist henchman, we know that. Lordship, we know that. Progressive thief abilities, let's see if anything... Oh! Uh, do, 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 nope, nothing new there. Nothing new there. Nothing new there. Nothing new there. And combat matrix. Uh, Alright. You can go back and watch the video, uh, the cleric, or the... Well, we really didn't talk about cleric spells, did we? Oops. We went through all the cleric stuff and didn't talk about cleric spells. Oh, well. Maybe I'll throw that in another video as a... <laughs> as, as a bonus or something. Okay, the class that I had the hardest time saying, the Ledger Demanist. I don't know. As a master of skullduggery, a specialist who practices the skills of a thief and the thaumaturgical sorcery of a magician. So this is your fighter... Mage. I'm not fighter mage. Oh, I mean, sorry, uh, mage thief, thief mage, whatever. Um, there's practice illusion sorcery called Montebanks. So, okay, you know, it's made to a powerful musician. Perhaps I want to see a secret. Okay, those who practice a pyromancer sorcery called Fire Thieves. That's a dumb name. Those who practice pyromancer sorcery called Ice Thieves. Gone. Regardless of the sorcerer's education, legend of madness are notorious for combining thievish and sorcerer skills to rob. Now, we'll find out later, I'm pretty sure, if you have to pick one of these or if you can just do Mage also. Okay. Dexterity 12, Intelligence 12, and Wisdom 12 for the Fire and Ice Thieves. But not for the Illusionist one. Those are minimum requirements. You have to have 12, 12, and possibly 12, 12, 12. Good luck getting that. Prime Attributes, Dexterity, Intelligence. Both must be 16 or higher for you to get the 10% bonus. D6, Alignment. Chaotic good, neutral, lawful evil, chaotic evil, same as thieves, but for the fire thieves, chaotic good or chaotic evil. Remember, fire is a uh, is a chaotic construct. Ice thieves, neutral and lawful evil. Again, uh, I, I understand it. I wouldn't say that ice is, but I mean, ice is unmoving. It's not a chaotic uh, concept. Uh, armor allowed light, shields allowed small, favored weapons are all these, starting with axe, a horseman's pick, yada yada, trident, saving throw, avoidance, and sorcery. And that makes sense. Okay. 
Agile, we've talked about that before. Backstab, we've talked about that before. Detect secret doors, talked about that before. Extraordinary uh, dexterity, talked about that. Magic got amused, restricted to magicians only. So this is just for magicians. Read magic, done that. Scroll use. Uh, Legend cho chosen school. So yeah, magician, cryomancer, illusionist, or pyromancer. So whatever your chosen school is, that's what you can read. Scroll writing, and this is gonna be quick. If it's all the same. Sorcery. Uh, you have to pick your school, and we'll get to that. And thieves can't, which we've talked about. New weapon skill four, eight, and twelve, like always. Enlist henchman, lordship, progressive thief abilities, which I'm not seeing any changes in these. Stop talking. All right. So the only thing we really need to talk about is um, the spell list. So spells per day up to level three. So 2750 is base experience, so it's a little slow. Actually, for a thief, it's really slow. But you get the spellcasting ability. What's the fighting? A fighting ability is that of a, th of a thief still. Casting ability is that of a, spell of a magician. You just only get up to level 3. Remember, the bard got up to level 4 in two different ones. All right. I don't know why you wouldn't. I mean, bard seems overpowered, actually. I could be wrong. This is one of those classes. The Ledger Domainus is one that I've really always had kind of an interest in. But looking at it, it seems kind of eh. It's just a thief of spells. Okay. Unless there's something that I missed about the uh, about the bard that gives it a big drawback. Anyway, Purloiner. I think we have two left. I think we have the Purloiner and the Scout. Is a hallowed thief dedicated to demons, deities, and otherworldly beings. This is a, a, a mash of a priest thief, which can't be in second edition AD. But this, this is a, yeah, this is where we just got out of the, the thief mage. Now we got the thief priest. Uh, being associated with greed, larceny, subterfuge, trickery, and wealth. The Purloiner is a spiritually endowed brigand who masters the myriad skills of a thief whilst foregoing unspeakable packs and bargains. Of forging, not foregoing. Wow. Unspeakable packs and bargains with deific powers. Whether serving a, myst a mystery cult, in appropriating or misappropriating funds and rare artifacts, or functioning as a spiritual mentor of an underworld thieves guild, or working as a rapacious freelance adventurer. A purloiner combines the remarkable expertise of a thief with the ecclesiastical powers of a cleric. In Hyperborea, most such thieving clerics serve Rel, but some will venerate Raven or Zekwatha in place of or in addition to the famous God of Thieves. Attribute requirements, Dexterity and Wisdom 12. Now, that may, uh, wow. Wow, both are 12s. Okay, so it's not like 9 and 9. It's 12 and 12. Uh, dexterity, you need both Dexterity and Wisdom of 16 or higher to get the 10% bonus. Hit dies, Thief level at D6. And you'd be chaotic, good, neutral, lawful, evil, chaotic. So all the thiefly stuff. Looking very thiefly here. Um, avoidance plus 2. Sorcery is plus 2 to your saving throws. Class abilities. All right, so we have agile. Uh, we know what that is. We have uh, backstab. We know what that is. Detect secret doors. We know what that is. Extraordinary. Uh, it's feats of dexterity still. Uh, magic item use restricted to clerics. So you can utilize magic items normally restricted to clerics. Scroll use has to be cleric spell list. Scroll writing sorcery. A lot of repetition here, which is which is good, and I'm glad that the information is actually repeated, so you only have to look at your class to go on. Thieves can't, we know what that is. Turn undead. Ooh, hold on. Let's look at this chart up here. So, 
it's a, you don't have the hit points of the uh, of the priest. You only have it of the thief. Saving throws are normal. Fighting ability is that of the thief. Turning ability, it starts at level three, but then it goes up one per level. So not quite as good as the priest, but I think it's what the same as the necromancer, right? Uh, casting ability is one through 12. So you're casting this at max power. You just only get up to level three spells. Clerical spells, remember. Clerical spells. So, uh, we know what, uh, we know how to uh, deal with the turn undead. If not, you watch the cleric videos. So, there's a chart for it. We'll show the chart, et cetera, et cetera, because that's a cleric ability. The weapon skill 4, 8, and 12, unless henchmen, unless the people in chat think that I need to uh, repeat it again. Because uh, I know it's not technically in this video. Uh, thieves, okay, same thief stuff. Decipher script, do, 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 seems the same. Decipher noise, seems the same. Hi, seems same. Manipulate traps. Yep, move silently. Open locks, seems the same. Pickpockets. Uh, I'm not seeing any numerical differences. Boom. Okay. So, yeah, really, it's just the ability to turn undead. It's the ability to turn undead and the, to cast, uh, cast cleric spells. And. Again, I'm keeping it on the screen so you can read it right now. I'll even zoom in for it. But ultimately, I'm not going to read it all because it's all in the cleric videos where we talked about this. And while I do say that, hey, you know, we'll reread things here. Turning undead is just that. Make a turn undead check. It starts at level three for this character. You compare it to a chart that's in the cleric section. And uh, either it worked or it didn't. And let's finish up with the final one, the scout. The scout is a cunning explorer and reconnoiter of castles, towers, and subterranean milieu. If I'm, by the way, if I'm missing anything in chat, I see you guys are talking about character creation for, for AD&D, uh, so I'm ignoring a lot of it, but if I'm missing anything uh, pertinent, just let me know. Uh, a scout might be retained by a merchant house or thieves guild investigating rare artifacts hidden in ancient ruins or dungeons deep, or may serve as a spy gathering intelligence and identifying vulnerabilities. Some scouts seek their fortune with freebooters, brigands, or fellow adventurers using their plethora of skills to sneak, explore, track, and infiltrate enemy defenses. But the most celebrated scouts are those who explore and measure the depths and breadths of impossible dungeons. Swift of blade and fleet of foot, daring and guileful to the utmost. The scout can be an invaluable resource for any band of seekers, especially those who delve into the awesome black depths and labyrinthine tunnels of Underborea. I like that. Where gods and demons dwell. Hey, I like for golden glory. Oh, except for the way it's written. But I like for golden glory. <laughs> um, attribute, okay, dex nine, intelligence nines. So we're back to the nines, but you do need an intelligence of nine as well. And you need both of those 16 plus to get your 10% XP bonus. D6 like a normal thief. All the alignments of thief. Light small. Same normal weapons. Device and avoidance this time, but that makes sense. Agile. Got it. Alertness. Here we go. We haven't seen this one in a while, and I think it's the first we've seen it for the thieves. Reduced by one on a D6 roll, the party's chance to be surprised. A scout's doing his job to scout. It's harder to surprise you. It makes sense. Uh, backstab looks to be the same. Controlled fall. Okay, to retard the descent of precipitous drops, for every level of experience, the scout can fall 10 feet. This is the same as the monk. It's literally the same cut-and-paste uh, words, too. Of the monk from the priest class. So a, a scout 
For every level of experience, the scout can fall 10 feet and sustain no damage so long as the wall or other stable surface is within five foot reach throughout the descent. Oh, so he's kind of slowing himself down by reaching for branches and grabbing that wall a little bit, you know, whatever, scuffing up the hands for, you know, some, that's probably some of the damage. But for falls beyond the scout's limits, normal rules are enforced. And uh, so a fifth level scout plummets down a 90 foot pit and thus sustains 46 hit points of damage. Now, why is that? I think I might be wrong about this, but I think it's 1d6 per 10 feet. So 90 foot drop would normally be a 90 or 9d6 damage and we'll find out if i'm wrong about this in a couple weeks but i think that's what it is um a fifth level scout takes off five of those d6 so instead of nine d6 it's down to 46 hit points of damage find secret doors three and six chance determine depth and grade oh they're dwarves to ascertain the extent of a pit chasm or shaft by dropping a coin or pebble and listening to determine the slope of a dun of dungeon passages detecting even the shallowest of slants the chance of success for determined depth and grade is as follows. First to fourth level, two and six. So you got basically a 33% chance of uh, detecting. Five to eighth level, 50% chance, three and six. And nine to 12th, 67% chance with four and six. If the roll is off by one or two, the estimate is off by 20%. For example, if a second level scout rolls a four when attempting to determine the depth of a 50-foot pit, he or she will believe the foot either be 60 feet deep or 40 feet deep, as best decided by the referee. Rolls off by more than two, the result is just a failure. Like, eh, it's like 110. I don't know. Disguise. Remember, you're a scout, and part of scouting is infiltration, right? To fashion a facade that simulates. Actually, we've already talked about this, and it looks like the same numbers as the assassin. So just listen to the assassin right up. It's still two and 12 to be discerned, and one and 12 uh, if you have a high charisma. Uh, not a lot to see here. 1750. So it's, we're back down. It's, it's pretty low. It's lower than a fighter, right? Lower than, than a mage, lower than a cleric. Um, still a little higher than the thief, but that's fine. I mean, it makes sense. But hit dice... Oh, no, I'm sorry. Never mind. For some reason, I thought I was in priest. Never, never mind. Is our right? Yeah, all of these are just basic thief stuff with a little bit higher hit uh, experience point total needed to gain levels, but that makes sense because you've got some extra abilities here. Extraordinary uh, is for feats of dexterity again. Run! Check this out to move as swiftly as a hare. Base, 50% movement when lightly armed or unarmored. That's crazy talk. Track to stalk prey, tracing physical signs and discerning subtle clues. A scout can track at the below suggested probabilities. In the wilderness, base 7 and 12 chance. So that's not as good as, what is it? Was it a barbarian? If I remember, or the, hunt, the hunter. Huntsman. Okay. But that's fine because in non-wilderness and dungeons, nine and twelve. N nobody had that high, so it's pretty dang good in both. I mean, this is pretty good. This is really good. The others were like what three and twelve and five and twelve, if I remember correctly. So there we go. Furthermore, the scout can identify in general terms of species tracked if it is a known animal type: large feline, heavy bovine, small canine. So, uh, hey, have a good one, Travis. Thanks for being here. Uh, new weapon skill at 4, 8, and 12. Enlist henchmen. We can know that. Lordship. Progressive thief abilities. Improves scout loading is comparable to the thief. And I'm not seeing any numbers change or any commentary change. Boom. 
There we go. Next week, we are going to talk about backgrounds. Heathen Dog will be back next week. Um, that is all four of the classes. Starting with Fighter, going to Magicians, going into Clerics, going into Thief. Man, that was crazy long. This is over two hours. No, well, two hours longer than our, our, our shorter, but average, we'll call it. And hour and a half longer than what we should have. But I needed to get through all of that. You guys have been amazingly patient. We still have a bunch of viewers. Not as much as we did like two hours ago, but it's still a bunch of viewers. I appreciate that. Please like, subscribe, and share. Uh, if you've got any questions about the thief or whatever, go ahead and put them into the comments. But uh, uh, hopefully going through them, I, I caught myself reading a bit faster towards the end there. Hopefully I wasn't rushing to the point that nobody could understand it. Chat was talking about... <laughs> creating characters for other games so they i think they stopped listening to me as well but i hope you all enjoyed this uh remember escapism not representation entertainment over activism again a conclusion not forced diversity that is our charity you can see it in the description below that is our schedule and uh oh i don't need that anymore <laughs> dude i'm i've lost my mind there's gonna be no segment three today thank god no segment two let me get that off the screen let me thank chat oh got a super chat in here let me pop that on the screen boom seth mcfalton for ten dollars says thank you no thank you seriously thank you for being patient thank you for putting up with it thank you for only ha getting to listen to me instead of heathen dog as well um it was well so if you if you're going over there squirrel hermit i still have to put the videos together most of it's done but it's going to be like another hour uh if you want to tell him that i'm really 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 apologetic and i will be there as soon as possible uh feel free to if you have no plans of watching don't do my dirty work for me but uh if you're going to be over there i apologetic but uh no i i love hyperborea it is my osr game of choice i know some of you love you know uh, ose i get it uh they're talking about for golden glory in chat which is a second edition game uh a clone they're all good uh what is it uh Adventure Conquer King, Adventures Dark and Deep. They're all good games. This one is, I love the way Jeffrey Tulanian writes. Uh, I, I love the way the classes uh, work together. I, I love the special, I'm uh, sorry, the subclasses really feel unique in their own ways. Love them. I, I love the way this game's put together. So, all told, um, you know, for my D&D &D style game, if I'm not going to do D&D, &D, I absolutely would do a Hyperborea thing. So, uh, all right. I'm going to scroll through chat here real quickly and see if there's anything that I that I missed. You guys have been fantastic. <laughs> Hyperborea is a game of shit. Well, thanks, Bruce. Um, maybe. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to leave it at that. I don't even know if the segment is over yet, so we'll pretend it is. And if not, well, I'll add this in. I have nothing else to say. I'm not going to do segment three. Like I said, I'm repeating myself. I'm just making sure I get everything out there. What did I say at the beginning of the stream? So happy again, happy Easter to everybody. Uh, don't forget to put in Bruce. I see you sent me a message on discord. I'm sorry. I haven't read it yet, but uh, I'll, I'll get to it. Uh, for those who have not done so yet, Riff's conversion book next week for heathen dog segment two. Okay. So if you have a, an OCC, you would like see converted from beyond the supernatural palladium fantasy, uh, what, what all the other games out there after the bomb go ahead and either make a comment on that video it's from a couple of weeks ago or easier just go into our discord and go into the rpg digest suggestions and tell them there but he's going to start doing it within the next day or two 
Yeah, he has to make the character first, and then he has to convert it. So um, we're not going to wait till Friday for this or whatever. So you got you got like a day or so to put that in there. Just come to our Discord. Description's in the link below, and you can put that uh, put your idea in there. So, whew. all right. So now take phone calls. Make it, I can't. I no seriously. I have to do this stuff, and then I have to get to James Alcove stream. Uh, I feel absolutely horrible for making him wait this long. So uh, with that. I think I am going to end the broadcast here. I don't have it moving on to anybody's because nobody had a live stream up and available before I start uh, set this one up. So I'm just going to do the theme song and roll on out of here. Again, thank you very much, folks, for the super chats. Thank you for hanging out with me. I hope you like Hyperborea. And next week is going to be backgrounds. And maybe, depending on how long that takes, some sorcery. We'll look at those cleric spells that I missed today. But other than that, every one of you have a fantastic week. And I'll see you on Friday for the Friday Night Show stream.